Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast hosted by GrandTheftWorld.com. It is November 21st, 2021. This is episode 55. This is Take the Roads Pill. We're going to learn a little bit about globalism tonight. We just premiered uh, a remarkable interview with Dr. Peter McCullough. We call it Dr. Peter McCullough Uncensored. It's still on the YouTube, but it's about to be distributed to all our other outposts. Uh, I encourage you to check that out when you got time. Uh, it's an hour long. It's made to share with your friends and family. It gives early treatment options. It also gives his opinions on whether or not young people need to take that, uh, that pokey poke. So we're going to get into that. We also have coverage of the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. We're going to do a deep dive into the history of globalism with James Corbett. We have a 1970 document showing the origins of the World Economic Forum. We're going to do a deep dive into that. That comes from the Club of Rome. By the way, we'll do that after we talk to Corbett. And we have a long list of news, uh, further uh, things stacking up, the case against Fauci is stacking up. We'll learn uh, from Jimmy Dore and others about that. And uh, for our first uh, clip tonight. Let's go to Luke Rudowski of wearechange.org, bestpoliticalt-shirts.com. And we're going to check out uh, not his Sunday summary. This is his clip from Friday. It's going to give you, uh, you know, just a little update on the globalist uh, precipitation of chaos and plunder around the world and people pushing back, most importantly, against it. Let's go to Luke and do the kickoff. And then one more area that I hope nation states start paying greater attention to is the rise of cryptocurrency because what <laughs> looks like a, a very interesting and, and somewhat exotic uh, effort to uh, literally mine uh, new coins in order to trade with them has the potential for undermining uh, currencies, for undermining the uh, uh, role of the dollar as the reserve currency, for destabilizing nations, perhaps starting with small ones, but going much larger. So when we think about this new environment in which we find ourselves that we've been discussing for the last uh, some minutes, um, we can't just think about nation states. <laughs> you know, if, if there is someone who really knows about destabilizing nations, it's definitely Hillary Clinton. And there couldn't have been a better endorsement of Bitcoin Ever. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. This is Ogrodowski here of wearechange.org. As we got some crazy news to get into as Austria now goes into a full lockdown and makes a procedure mandatory for everyone, being the first European nation to do so. While now, of course, they're dealing with record cases, as surprisingly in Africa, they're not. Two exact opposite approaches. What's going on here? We're going to get into that plus a lot more all on this independent media broadcast that, of course, is provided by you and your support. But seriously, Hillary Clinton's comments during the Bloomberg New Economy Forum in Singapore is starting a lot of conversations about a new emerging technology that essentially allows anyone anywhere in the world with an internet connection to have a bank account without any strict regulations decentralizing the financial markets, which of course cannot be confiscated or censored by any government. And gee, I wonder why the authoritarian Hillary Clinton doesn't like it. She also, during her speech, by the way, attacked Russia, not surprisingly sounding like yet another broken record. 
But if we're talking about destabilizing nations, we should also understand that this is on the heels of the House just celebrating inside of Congress as they just passed their Build Back Better bill, which, of course, will indebt this country to insane amounts of money for, of course, their environmental equity and, quote, infrastructure package, spending money that, of course, they don't have. While the United States is nearly in $29 trillion, dollar debt that's literally amounting to $87,000 per citizen and in my opinion if there's anything destabilizing this nation it is of course destroying its economic freedom indebting it and printing money out of thin air hyperinflating this currency while of course implementing more policies that of course hurt the free flow of capital by restricting it with more rules regulations taxes and quote oversight and to all of this the democrats celebrate is passed Woohoo! yeah we're one step closer towards financial calamity yay absolutely freaking ridiculous as of course the economist even wrote a headline that says quote the sharp increase in inflation over the past year has blindsided many economists almost no one saw it coming and that is an absolute freaking lie if you remember even from the very beginning of the sickness that spread around the world almost two years ago now we were telling you on this specific channel when it comes to lockdowns when it comes to restrictions when it comes to the government's move here every step of the way prioritizing the billionaire class screwing over middle and lower america that this is going to have significant ramific ramifications and that there is a tsunami storm coming with severe financial consequences we were telling you this and we weren't the only ones saying it so the economist again is spreading absolute fake news disinformation saying that somehow we were blindsided and no one saw this coming when that is absolutely not the truth at all. And related to destabilizing the country news, while of course it's being robbed blind, we of course have extremely divisive situations and cases that are of course are highlighted that push a divide and conquer agenda and have the American people at each other's throats for trivial differences, which I believe could be perfectly represented by the larger psychological warfare happening around the trial of Kyle. Meanwhile, other very important court cases that would bring people together to make them see the true corruption and evil of government like the Ghislaine Maxwell case or of course by and large in my opinion being absolutely underplayed as of course the people who are still able to talk about these very important issues are having less and less ability to do so but hey I think it's fair to say with the way that the current situation has been going all around the world within the last close to two years now that a lot of people who were previously considered conspiracy theorists are now considered prophets by many. Now, that might be a little bit of a hyperbolic statement, but one based on the true reality of many people's personal situations, especially if you live in Austria, a major European country that has some of the most strictest, most ridiculous policies, laws, lockdowns, and mandates by their centralized government that is becoming more powerful in the day in exchange for the human rights that it takes away from their citizenry. If you remember, a few days ago, almost exactly last week, we were telling you about Austria imposing severe lockdowns specifically on individuals who 
didn't comply with the whims of government, who didn't get a procedure that the government said that they should have, even though some medical professionals say that some people, based on their medical history, shouldn't be taking it. The government said, if you don't do what we want you to do, we will take away your access and your ability to participate in any form of society. And they had police officers hunting down individuals, checking their papers everywhere they went, setting up roadblocks, making sure that if you went outside, that if you've gotten the correct government permission paper slip by complying with their demands. And now the Austrian government is announcing that when you did comply, you, you, you did get that permission slip, you're still locked down. Yes, I'm not kidding you. Austria is now a country with a majority of its citizens, whether they complied or didn't comply, are under full lockdown. Something, of course, that the World Health Organization has called not to do, since, of course, it not only violates basic human rights, but also the science here is, is, is questioned. There's some scientific train of thought here and studies highlighting how lockdowns may actually help spread this sickness, since, of course, people are congregating in, quote, essential areas, smaller areas more than they would if they were more spread out. But very interestingly, the government said, hey, just take this procedure and you'll get special privileges in our society. You don't. We'll take them away. Now they're saying, well, we're just going to take them away anyway. And that, to me, is a slap in the face to anyone paying attention and to anyone who believed them in the first place. Because if you did, you're a fool. And now Austria has some of the strictest lockdowns and rules and centralization of force by their federal government almost in the entire world as they're going into a 20-day confinement, 20-day lockdown. 20-day home prison sentence for all of its population, as of course the country with the most amount of government intervention is dealing with the most amount of cases as they are reporting them. And even though Austria has some of the most compliant rates of people doing what the government want them to do, the government there is still blaming the few remaining people who didn't comply. In Vienna, children as young as five are taking this procedure, and yet their cases are skyrocketing. You compare that to Africa, a country with no masks, no procedure, no lockdowns, no government intervention, no modern medical system for the majority of its population, and scientists are reporting no sicknesses there at all, as far as it's being reported. In Zimbabwe, a person was interviewed and said, the sickness is gone. Quote, when did you last hear of anyone dying from it? Adding, of course, quote, the mask is to protect my pocket, he said. The police demand bribes, so I lose money if I don't move around with a mask. Zimbabwe, of course, also recorded zero deaths and allegedly 33 cases of this sickness this week, according, of course, to the Associated Press. Now, why is the place with the most government, the most intervention with this sickness having the most amount of cases? Well, we don't know. Correlation does not prove causation. There's still a lot of factors that we don't even know about. There's still a lot of things that we don't even understand yet. I'm not a medical doctor, not here giving you medical advice, but there sure is a large correlation between England, Israel, Gibraltar, Singapore, Austria, and other places that have severe restrictions on its populations with, of course, a correlation of a large number of sicknesses rising. Now, this backstab by the Australian government to the people who have complied, to the people who have listened, to the people who said, okay, I'll do this, 
procedure if you give me back my rights. Now those rights are being taken away. Shows you why you shouldn't be complying with a government that wants to take away your human rights. The Austrian government is now also mandating this procedure on everyone. As of course, there is a major protest scheduled for this Saturday, which of course will bring out a lot of people to the streets to protest these lies and this insanity brought on to them by their own government. In Australia, even the prime minister there in that country is demanding that people should have the access to go into businesses, to pubs and restaurants, which of course has other government officials attacking him ruthlessly, calling him a quote, weak leader because he doesn't want to discriminate against the people not complying with his government. Oh yeah, also in Austria, I forgot to talk about this, they just swore in their first ever communist mayor. And uh, hey, you vote for the problems that you want to have, and Austrians are having a lot of problems. Africans, not so much, as well as a lot of other places with more decentralization and more bodily autonomy. While here in the United States, the Biden administration is doing its best to try to impose their will on the American people, as of course, the FDA just approved the third procedure for Americans. This after, of course, many important FDA figures resigned publicly had a resignation because they said the federal government, the Biden administration was forcing them to do this in unethical ways. The FDA also just ruled that big pharmaceuticals have until 2076 to release their data on their studies around the safety and efficacy of this procedure that many people are questioning the safety and efficacy of, including even Bill Gates and Dr. Fauci, who, of course, were caught lying, telling everyone not so long ago that everything was 100% safe and effective. And of course, as we know, according to them and their own comments, that wasn't true at all. Now, as the Democrats keep pushing absolutely insane mandates, doctrines, that they themselves don't follow. Most Republicans are just rolling over, showing their soft bellies and saying, take me establishment, take me ruling elite, have your way with me, just like Glenn Youngkin that just declared that he will not be stopping governments from discriminating against their citizens with local mandates, highlighting how most politics is just world wrestling entertainment for weak-minded individuals who, of course, all get conned and played the more that they invest in it. Now, there is some exceptions to the rules, especially when it comes to some of the, the, the absolutely bombastic comments made by the governor of Florida that, in my opinion, rightfully spoke out against these mandates. I tweeted this video. If you want to watch it, go to twitter.com forward slash Luke, we are changed. And it's definitely, in my opinion, worth a watch. But do you think Republicans are going to be your saviors? Personally, I don't. But if you have any kind of compelling arguments to prove me wrong, let me know why in the comment section below. It's always best to stand with the truth rather than a political cult. I don't care if your cult is blue or red. At the end of the day, what matters the most is the truth. And that's what I stand by and do my best to represent to the best of my ability every time I get in front of this microphone. And if you thought I did a good job, 
Share this video with your friends, with your family members, your neighbors, your community, because getting the word out, helping them see the world from a different perspective that is not from the corporate media is absolutely essential because information is power. Information is key. Information is the thing that will save us from being victims of the larger trap set in front of us by many of these billionaire ruling elites that are just creating the largest transfer of wealth in recorded human history right <laughs> Another fantastic summary from Luke Radowski of We Are Change.org. All right, so the next clip is uh, coming from this week's Media Malfeasance with Christy Lee. Let's go ahead and dig into that, and then we're going to cover a little bit of the Rittenhouse uh, situation and the verdict before our special guest here in about 20 minutes. So let's go to Christy Lee. It just might go down as the biggest media malfeasance to date, the way the mainstream media handled the Steele dossier nonsense. Unable to turn a blind eye or cover up for being complicit in the conspiracy any longer, some outlets are being forced to address the issue head on in the wake of more Durham indictments and arrests. Axios describes it as a reckoning hitting news organizations and admits it's one of the most egregious journalistic errors in modern history. The media spreading lies for years. It it was outsized coverage of an unvetted document. Many journalists resented the former president for turning more than half of the country against the media, frequently repeating fake news, fake news, fake news, a phrase Hillary Clinton actually coined fake news and false propaganda. But was it the media that created the monster fake news? It's fake. Was it the media that created the contention by pushing a thinly sourced story based on rumors? and lies? As more truth comes out, the Washington Post has corrected and removed large portions of two articles. But will CNN or MSNBC revisit or correct their coverage around the Steele dossier? Since the Axios article, other outlets are acknowledging the malfeasance. New York Times says many of the dossier's allegations have turned out to be fictitious or at best unprovable. It goes on to make some thinly veiled excuses for the coverage, but says the distinction between what journalists assume and what we verify is often the difference between fiction and reality. However, when you don't toe the line for the approved narrative, it seems you might just end up raided by the FBI. It's looking more like the DOJ has been weaponized against dissenters. And worse yet, did the New York Times collude with the FBI to target Project Veritas? While some journalists don't approve of James O'Keefe's style, he is following the tenet of journalism to hold those in power accountable. Kudos to the journalists speaking out against the FBI raids against him and the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press for filing a motion to unseal the search warrant application. As the ACLU statement says, the president sent in this case could have serious consequences for press freedom. And in Biden's own words, simply, simply wrong. So you won't let your Justice Department I will do not that. let that happen. He said that in May, and yet here we are. Despite the intrusion, Project Veritas is still exposing unethical conduct. As listed in the Society of Professional Journalists Code of Ethics, expose unethical conduct in journalism, including within their own organizations. And that's just what one CBS insider was doing in exposing Tegna. You know what's not listed in the SPJ Code of Ethics? 
this unethical advice. I challenge you to stop thinking in terms of objective journalism. In fact, the Code of Ethics advise ethical journalism should be accurate and fair. It also says support the open and civil exchange of views, even views they find repugnant. But is the current state of journalism even concerned with serving the public anymore? I don't really care if people trust us or not. You still got to do your job. So, I mean, that's the least of my concerns, whether they trust me or not. Is this who you want to receive your news from? Playing PR for the current administration, check out these headlines. Bloomberg, America needs higher, longer lasting inflation. Washington Examiner, White House thinks inflation and supply chain woes are high class problems. CNBC, inflation's silver lining, higher salaries. Wisconsin Examiner, inflation boogeyman scares only the extremely wealthy. Are you extremely wealthy? I know I'm not, and this scares me. Pain at the pump, god-awful grocery bills, we can all feel that. And what good are higher salaries if the cost of goods has risen by a much higher percentage than your paycheck? And another fact check fail after Bill Gates' own words were used against him. We got vaccines to help you with your health but they only slightly reduce the transmissions. Reuters stepped in for damage control and claims Gates was taken out of context. It also plays the game of saying, no, Bill Gates did not say the vaccine is ineffective, but that wasn't the claim being made. The claim was that the vaccine isn't working well because it doesn't block transmission. And that is true. That's exactly what Bill Gates said. You know what is missing context, Reuters? The conflict of interest here. The fact that the founder and former CEO of Reuters was elected to Pfizer's board of directors in 2014 until his retirement just last year. Bringing you what's ignored, sensationalized, unbalanced, misleading, or just plain false. For KLIM.news, that's your media malfeasance for the week. All right, now digging into uh, the main content of the show, we could spend the entire night tonight talking about the Rittenhouse verdict and what it means to average citizens and what are the, what are the precedents set and what did we just narrowly escape from as people who like to uh, you know, re- live freely and that we do that by having intellectual and physical self-defense and we have these rights given by God, not by some government or some piece of paper. And that came into public question just a little bit. And it could have gone another way such that uh, people would be intimidated and scared into self-defense in situations. Now, not everyone in the self-defense situation is going to be outside their house. So there's a lot less questions of legality, right? But what that young man was doing in that place and why he had to be there in the first place and what usually goes on to prevent people from looting and burning and what wasn't there, right? So there's an artificially created situation that that young man walked into. And then he has the scrutiny of the nation upon him. So uh, it's, a, it's a deep situation. And Tony, what do you think the best summary, summary clip from the past week of coverage? I mean, we've watched uh, tons of different producers and, and their teams bring together clips. What do you think the best summary we could share with the audience here for the time capsule would be? Yeah, I mean, I'll just quickly bring up the show card here. Um, the best summary is going to be, I think, Tucker, and then a quick reaction either from Alex Jones or Stephen Crowder, just to get a sense of the elation and also how half the other country is sort of feeling um, in response to the verdict. So, but I think Tucker this week did a full summation of like the entirety of what's been going on with the trial, uh, the evidence that's been laid out, the way in which it's been spun by the media. So that. In, a, in association with just 
uh, a couple reaction clips that uh, I think will sort of get the gist. Obviously, real quickly, the reason I brought this up for individuals, if you look at this section, I, I put this in the beginning, um, you can see how much stuff there is associated with it. You know, MSNBC, the the judge barred MSNBC from uh, the Yeah, because they got the caught trial. following the jury, <clears throat> yes, which is correct. illegal. Yeah, and, they were not um, only following them, they were taking pictures of them, which means they're eventually going to be doxxed and all that sort of information, you know, stuff now, that's going all on. these notes in the show card, whether we get them covered or not, they get passed on to you in the notes and episode, uh, you know, highlights, these sort of things we put on grandtheftworld.com. So for sake of brevity, let's yeah, go not, to yeah, we're not going to cover all of it. Man. Yeah, let's go to the Tucker Carlson clip. Then we'll bring in Corbett and then we can circle back after I see that's a Jen Sackyism right there. We'll circle back after we get done with like the serious adult work of uh, globalism and what is there a plan? Is that a conspiracy theory? Is that a reality? We'll, we'll dig into that tonight to put that to rest. Um, and uh, yeah, so let's go to Tucker Carlson's summary of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and the uh, eventual verdict and uh, some of the highlights of that situation, that saga. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight, people are totally absorbed in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. And you have to ask, why is that? Why is it so fascinating? Well, part of the reason it's just so interesting is because the facts are so different from what we've been told for more than a year, completely different. And it's shocking to compare reality against the version of reality we've been force fed. Here's one example. Just days after Rittenhouse was first arrested, that was back in August of 2020, a pro-censorship organization called PolitiFact published what it called a fact check of the case. In a posting on its website, PolitiFact claimed that Kyle Rittenhouse had committed a crime by carrying a firearm in the state of Wisconsin. Here's the quote. It is against the law in Wisconsin for someone younger than 18 to possess a dangerous weapon, period. Now you notice in that statement, complete unwavering certainty. And this is common for PolitiFact, which issues opinions like their edicts from God himself. They do this because the social media companies reward it. Social media companies use PolitiFact's edicts as a pretext to censor any speech online that contradicts the official line of the Democratic Party, the so-called narrative. So if PolitiFact disagrees with what you're posting, then you are by definition spreading misinformation and you must be silenced. That's how it works. So naturally, other media organizations echoed this position immediately. Kyle Rittenhouse, 17, declared the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, was not old enough to legally carry the assault-style rifle he had, end quote. Again, just stating it as fact. And then the entire national media followed suit and told us the same thing. The problem was, it was a lie. In fact, under Wisconsin law, which apparently no one in any newsroom in America had even bothered to check, 17-year-olds are allowed to carry rifles as long as their barrels meet a minimum length requirement, and Kyle Rittenhouse's rifle met that requirement. So no, Kyle Rittenhouse did not violate Wisconsin's gun laws. Today, even the prosecution at the trial was forced to admit that. And so immediately the judge dismissed the firearms charge. Isn't legal? It is not a short barreled shotgun or a short barreled rifle, yes. Either by barrel or by overall length? Correct. All right, and then count uh, six is dismissed. Well, that couldn't be clearer. The prosecution is admitting in open court that it was legal. He had not committed a gun crime. And that means that for more than a year, big tech and its lackeys throughout our media have spread misinformation about Kyle Rittenhouse. 
Well, that's embarrassing. What are they going to say? Well, they're not going to admit it, of course. They're going to make certain you don't learn about it. Just minutes after the judge in the case dismissed the gun charge, YouTube, which is owned by Google, censored the video streams of several independent legal experts who were commenting on the trial in real time. These were knowledgeable attorneys, many of whom were critical of the obvious weaknesses in the prosecution's case. Now, hundreds of people were watching those streams at the moment they were canceled. But concerned that Americans might conclude that Kyle Rittenhouse is innocent, YouTube shut them down, citing, quote, policy violations. In other words, God forbid people think for themselves. That's not not allowed anymore. If you want to know what's happening in your world, you've got MSNBC to tell you. Watch. Here we have a 17-year-old kid, underage, said he bought an AR-15 because he thought it was cool. He drove across state, had his mother drive him across state lines. He appointed himself a militia member. He goes around and he ends up unloading, what, 60 rounds? Amazing. He's blonde now. Of all the people you could find to comment on a killing, it's interesting who they chose. But just listen to the words. Consider how totally dishonest the summary you just heard is. Virtually every word is a lie. Kyle Rittenhouse wasn't a militia member. He was a lifeguard. Kyle Rittenhouse did not fire 60 rounds, not even close to that. He was not underage. As we just told you, he was in legal possession of his gun. But most amazing is the claim, which you're hearing everywhere right now, that Kyle Rittenhouse is bad because he, quote, drove across state lines. Think about that for just a second. So the very same people who have told you for years that borders are by definition white supremacy now claim it's some kind of moral offense for an American citizen to enter a contiguous state. They're making it sound like Kyle Rittenhouse snuck into a foreign land under cover of darkness to murder people. That's not quite what happened. Take a look at this map. This is Kyle Rittenhouse's drive from his mother's home in Antioch, Illinois to Kenosha, Wisconsin. It is, by the map says 21, Our map program says 17 miles. Either way, probably shorter than your commute to work every morning. As Kyle Rittenhouse explained on the stand last week, when mobs set fire to Kenosha, he had every reason to want to defend the city because his father lives there. But you decided you needed to run because of the fire in the Duramax? Yes. Why? What was so urgent? It was a fire. Why did you feel that you... Uh, should go around off the 59th Street car source property and put out fires. To make sure my community didn't get burnt down and help. And when you say your community, you mean Kenosha? Yes. Again, you're from Antioch. You're not living in Kenosha at this time when this all happens, right? My dad lives in Kenosha. How dare you put out fires! Well, my dad lives in Kenosha. Bet you didn't know that, bet you hadn't heard it on CNN, nor have any of the people hyperventilating about crossing state lines explained why it's okay for the BLM rioters and the Antifa creeps to come from around the country to burn Kenosha down, as many of them did. I haven't even addressed that. It's kind of weird. It wasn't a crime for them to cross state lines. We could go on, but if there's one thing this trial has taught us, it's how completely dishonest and totally misleading so many of the news accounts of what Kyle Rittenhouse did have been. We've known for more than a year, for example, how Rittenhouse first encountered convicted child rapist Joseph Rosenbaum, the first man he shot. There are multiple witnesses to that. Most of it's on video, actually. Joseph Rosenbaum had just been released from a mental hospital and for some reason decided to join the riot. So first he lit a fire Then he began to swing a chain like a weapon. 
When he saw Kyle Rittenhouse, he threatened to kill Kyle Rittenhouse. Then he chased Rittenhouse in a full sprint, cornered him, and then tried to snatch his gun from his hands. It was at that point that Rittenhouse fired. Who wouldn't fire at that point? After shooting Rosenbaum, Rittenhouse tried to turn himself into police, but he couldn't because a mob howling for his death chased him down a city street. One rioter then knocked Kyle Rittenhouse to the ground, another smashed him in the head with a skateboard, and a third rioter drew a loaded pistol, which he was not allowed to have, unlike Kyle Rittenhouse, and pointed it in Kyle Rittenhouse's face. So at no point was Kyle Rittenhouse the aggressor in this sequence of events. Every move he made was defensive. That's not our interpretation of it. That's what came out from prosecutors and witnesses in court. None of these facts are disputed. They all happened. So that's a very tough problem for the prosecution. With facts like those, what exactly do you say? What they said is really interesting. So today, the prosecutor was left trying to argue that convicted child rapist mental patient Joseph Rosenbaum, whose criminal record you can read online and you should just to get a sense of who they're defending here, that this guy had threatened to murder Kyle Rittenhouse in front of witnesses, and yet, actually, he was not a threat to Kyle Rittenhouse. And to prove it, the prosecutor showed this video. Watch. Here's the defendant running in between those parked cars, slowing down, and you can see just how close, or rather how far away, Mr. Rosenbaum was when the defendant shot him. <laughs> I mean, seriously. You can see just how close, I mean, sorry, just how far away he was. Right, yeah. So everyone whose eyes were open could actually see it because you just played the tape, Dumbo. Apparently the prosecution is hoping the jury had his eyes closed for that part of the proceedings. The whole thing is ridiculous. And it got more absurd as the day progressed. Watch that prosecutor, Thomas Binger, who's writing these names anyway, explain that if you take steps to defend yourself, you have by definition given up your right to self-defense. They have to convince you that Joseph Rosenbaum was going to take that gun and use it on the defendant because they know you can't claim self-defense against an unarmed man like this. You lose the right self-defense when you're the one who brought the gun. <laughs> Who's writing the rules here? <laughs> Let's just pause for a second and go through what he said. There's no such thing as self-defense against a man who has no gun. Really? Well, according to the federal government's own statistics, far more people in this country are beaten to death every year than are killed by AR-15s. So that is a, by definition, ridiculous claim. If an ex-con with a history of violent crime informs you that he is going to murder you and then tries to grab your gun from your hands, you are allowed to respond. In fact, you have to respond because it would be suicidal not to, obviously. But as a legal matter, all that matters here is whether Kyle Rittenhouse reasonably believed that his life was in danger. And of course he believed that. Why wouldn't he? You would believe that too if you were him. But it's the second part of the prosecutor's lie that tells you the most about how these people think. Here's the quote. You lose the right to self-defense when you're the one that brought the gun. Really, Mr. Binger? So no one with a concealed carry permit is allowed to defend himself? What's the point of having a gun if you can't save your own life with it? Well, that's exactly what they're telling you. They're telling you you don't have that right. You have no right to resist. That's the whole point of this whole proceeding. So the next time BLM sweeps into your town, your neighborhood, your house to burn and loot and brandish weapons, you had better not try to protect yourself or your family. Try to protect yourself or your family and we will charge you with murder. And while we're at it, we'll have the national media call you racist. In the court of 
public opinion, they're really arguing that white men, especially white men with a gun, are allowed and have the space to defend and protect a country and a social order that keeps them at the top and a country that they stole from indigenous folks and built with black people's labor. The media is participating and perpetuating this charade because as far as I can tell, the only reason why any of this is allowed is because of the whiteness of it all. So who emptied the gender studies department and put them all on television all at once? How destructive is this to the country? Seriously, putting crap like that on television. If you're wondering, can they racialize anything? The answer is yes, they can. In this case, there is, to restate the obvious, no racial angle to the story. And if you're looking for proof, consider the fact that everybody involved in the story is the same color. And in fact, in point of fact, the only bigot on the scene appears to have been Joseph Rosenbaum, the child rapist. For some reason, and it's on video, don't take our word for it, Rosenbaum kept screaming the N-word. Huh? And yet it's Kyle Rittenhouse who Joe Biden accused of being a white supremacist on the basis of no evidence whatsoever. And let's hope at some point he gets sued for that. Now they're calling the judge the same thing, too. Watch. Let's hope for one o'clock. I don't know. The uh, hope the Asian food isn't coming. It's on. Isn't on one of those boats in Long uh, Long Beach Harbor. Yes, that was the judge making an off-color joke about Asian food during a murder trial. I want to ask you, how unusual is the judge's conduct currently? Well, I think some of the things were way out of lines. You know, the comment about the Asian food, for example. Oh, yeah, that's that's racist. But really, it's only racist if you're exercising your right to self-defense or if you're trying to conduct a fair trial. If you don't inject equity into the trial and judge people on the basis of their skin color rather than what they actually did. If you dare to do that in this post-equity country, this post-BLM nation, you are by definition a racist. So they won't admit to the public that they lied to all of us for more than a year. So this is all they have left. You're a racist. MSNBC is by far the worst offender. It's shocking, actually, when you look at it carefully. But it's not the only offender. They're all doing this. CNN's so-called race and equity team. Can you even imagine what those people are like? In any case, they just published a piece entitled, and we're not making this up, quote, Judge in Kyle Rittenhouse trial makes inappropriate Asian food joke. Inappropriate being the favored word of people who want to slur someone, who want to attack someone's reputation without explaining exactly why. Inappropriate, what does that mean? It's entirely subjective. But according to the piece, as it gets more specific, the judge's joke about supply chains and food puts Asians, quote, in the crosshairs of microaggression as well as actual physical violence. <laughs> so when you make a joke about Chinese takeout, which, by the way, if you were a bigot, you probably wouldn't be eating in the first place. But if you dare to make that joke, you're dangerous. If you're the judge and you haven't already unilaterally given Kyle Rittenhouse the death penalty for offending MSNBC and Joe Scarborough, then you're a physical threat to Asian people. These people are demented and they're dangerous. And that kind of talk degrades the social fabric faster than everything. Anything you can imagine. But if you're looking for true crazy, no one beats the race lady over at MSNBC. Earlier today, the teenager accused of murdering two men and wounding a third in Kenosha, Wisconsin last year, took to the stand in his own defense. And the circumstances are almost built for an actual CRT course. The white, now 18-year-old, faces an almost entirely white jury of his peers, with the exception of one black man. Dream with me, Paul. Could any child of color, young person of color, 
ever, 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 ever do that on a stand and get away with it. Uh, you already know, Joy. <laughs> of course not. This is white privilege on steroids. Again, there's no racial angle here. Everybody's the same color. So if a white guy shooting another white guy is an example of racism, maybe you should tell us how. This is insane, just, just so you know. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click here to subscribe to Fox News YouTube. Thanks for your offer, Sean. We're not gonna take you up on that, but that was a good illustration of the Rittenhouse summary because Tucker does have uh, the time to do that. He's got the research crew and the other analyses that we saw this week in the show card. Uh, they're more lengthy. Uh, they're more uh, spicy, some of them. And uh, we had to choose one in order to keep our date with Mr. James Corbett. Now, we have a lot of people in the, uh, in the studio gallery. There's James Mello. There's James Ford. Uh, there's James Jordan. But I saw one in there that was just James and I didn't know if that was James Corbett or if we're going to continue to prepare for his presence. So let's see. Oh, it's it like Madonna. It's just James. <laughs> How, you How you doing, doing Mr. Corbett? <laughs> I'm doing wonderfully well. Thank you, James. How are you doing? I am doing as well as can be expected, given the end of the world as we've known it. Oh, well, I have a piece of trivia to open this up because I recalled last time you were on the show, you compared uh, my attire to that of C.S. Lewis. <laughs> and my question is, since you live in Tomorrowland, where it is November 22nd, ah. back in 1963, there were three famous deaths that day. And I, mm. just gave you, I gave you a clue to one. Who were the other two? I did not know C.S. Lewis. I did know JFK and Aldous Huxley, but yes. I did not know C.S. Lewis. There you go. I built the answer into the question. Make it nice. easy. Uh, I, I specifically, uh, I invited you there tonight because I was watching a piece of the Tim cast and Tim got into it with Luke. And I thought, what a great opportunity. Because oftentimes when I watched, I've watched Tim cast probably since like 2016. And when he had his co-host, Adam, I always wished somebody who knew something like, you know, or maybe Luke Rudowski knows would get on the show and then Luke's a co-host. And then now you get to see them kind of air these these philosophical battles and they're coming from differing perspectives. And I thought that having you on it and playing that clip and us talking about it could really help the Grand Theft World audience and anyone else who sees this uh, to understand maybe some of the articles and elements and group theories and these sort of things that are in play. So it's not just a random bunch of billionaires doing bad things. There's more of a, conf a concert or symphony going on. Is that something? That's a very good analogy. I'm all on board with that. Are we going to show the clip first? Yeah, LD, uh, do we have the clip? Because we excised it from the show, and then they also published. We can pull that up. Give me just today. one moment. Just yeah, like we have it in there. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah. Yeah, in the meanwhile, check out CorbettReport.com. Um, yeah, so uh, do you want to play the clip in its entirety and then comment on it afterwards, or do you want to play the clip and stop it as you have a comment? Let's play it in its entirety first. All right, cool. So I will take some notes and you will keep on your end uh, yep. score and then yes. we can come together for a nice conversation. And that way everyone has a clip in its entirety uninterrupted so they can also formulate their own thoughts. Yeah. And did that buy you enough time, Lawrence, to find it? <laughs> Indeed it did. Here we go. I told you we were going to have Corbett on. I didn't tell you what we were doing. So that was a good audible. Thank you. 
there was a lot of setup here, especially by individuals like Bill Gates that no, wasn't just no, funneling dude. money into the mainstream media because he gave he gave hundreds of billions of dollars to the mainstream That's media. Correct. That buys a lot of influence. He there's smart people who know what's going on. I just I'm so, I mean if if we could, it's, if, it's so if annoying are, to do the cliche Bill Gates. No no no. It's important to mention here because this is a man that has far more influence than we even know about, and we already know hundreds of millions of dollars to the mainstream media. A new report just give came me out. some evidence other than the guy says stupid things to the press. He, uh, he doesn't say stupid things to the press. He buys off the press. NPR, he gave them $319 million to media outlets like CNN, NBC, NPR, The Atlantic, The BBC, The Guardian. All are on his payroll. All are on his paycheck. But what does it and mean? And we talk about the way that he positions Dude. himself in society, especially what does with, it mean? What does it with mean? the things like the what vaccine industry. To expl ex explain to me beyond, I saw a guy do a bunch of things that make me question him. Look, I don't like the guy. I think he's got weird, weird views on the world. I don't trust him. I think he's a bad person. I look at his history and how he started my, uh, Microsoft and how he, he he moved through Silicon Valley, much like Steve Jobs, also not a good guy. But the problem I have with this, like, here's a guy who did a thing. It's like, yo, what's happening in the world right now involves thousands of people. We can talk about Donald Trump's role in 15 days to slow the spread, but I, I don't think Trump was a big player in exactly what was going on. I think he got swept up in it. We could talk about Joe Biden's attempted a vaccine mandate we could struck down, and then Everyone's like, but 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 you know, Bill Gates. But Biden's but, not but, but, there. But, Biden is not a human being who's pay, who's not even consciously there. There's other people behind him. There's special interests behind him. There's major corporations I know. behind him. There's global. And we can talk him. about how it, Pfizer ha has been dumping money into these in these companies. Uh, into the media outlets sponsored by sponsored by Pfizer. getting right. getting and no why liability not? contracts then why shouldn't we talk about them they're huge influence well, players well, there's the big issue, players the issue there's I puppets take and there's players is that I want to talk about the players not the puppets they've always done this the Koch brothers are doing this and yeah. George Soros is doing that they are. Bill Gates is doing yeah, this not and but they like, are. you want me to give you a list of the 2,000 billionaires who are all doing this look I get it it's frustrating for me because people talk about Bill Gates in some superficial manner. Like, did you know that he gave money to the media? What does that mean? Tell me what that means. I know he owns influence. The dude has had influence for decades. They all do. This one story does not say anything about the fact that it's we have one story corruption. after another story after another story. No, the man is literally trying to control the weather. It's his obsession. <laughs> he, I'm not. He's he's making GMO mosquitoes. If you think this You're person, no, I'm not. Yes, you no, are. No, I'm not. Absolutely not. You can I, name I'm George concerned. Soros. You can name George Soros but, and the DAs he's been funding. This is why what, what frustrates exactly. me. And why about, shouldn't you? What, what, what frustrates frustrates me here is you get a story from June 2021 where uh, Barda, which is a bio research lab in the U.S., I believe through HHS, gets a, a weaponized smallpox a drug uh, approved. I believe it was approved, but I could be wrong about this. Bill Gates comes out and says, I'm worried about weaponized smallpox. And all of a sudden, the conspiracy realm lights up saying Bill Gates is doing whatever. And it's like, dude, he read the news. That's not what we said. I never said I anything about that. I didn't say you did. I'm yeah. saying the issue I take is. Yeah, there's I'm, other I'm, people that I take it too story. far. Of course. I, but, and, and so the issue I take is like, I've just had so many conversations about the obsession over Bill Gates. Yeah, I think it's a it's a red herring to go after the individuals, because like if you have a corrupt king that's terrorizing his subjects, you want to remove that king. You're going to get another king. And he may or may not terrorize. What you want to do is disrupt the monarchy and change the system so that there is no possibility for I, You mean I'm replace the puppets? So the puppets look all nice and so different that, and it's a red so puppet that, and a blue puppet? Uh, yeah, like, avoid no, that. And no, no, no. I want to get the puppeteer. Such, you want to fix the a, system a so that one guy can't become yeah, a multi-trillionaire. Right, right. Listen, listen, maybe. I, here's the problem. Right now, we have a culture and culture is more powerful than politics and law. 
As I've mentioned numerous times, the easiest way to explain it is there's wacky laws in Massachusetts. You know, they have a law from the 1600s. You can't put a pie in your windowsill on Sunday afternoon because it attracts bears. And now no cop will enforce that. So when you get a hundred million people and you're standing before them and they say, tell us what's happening. You say, this Bill Gates guy spent money in the press. They go, what am I supposed to do with that? No, I wouldn't or, say that. I would, no, stop. Yeah. Or you say, do not let the government put their boot on your neck. Do not let them mandate medical procedures. Influence the culture. I have never, never I, I don't like I don't like doing these bits where it's like, did you know person X did X there, or did Y? You have all of these YouTubers who make videos about people, 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 and then regular people who are standing at ready saying, I want the world to be a better place for my kids. I want to make sure I have my freedoms and my liberties. What should I do? You should be mad at Bill Gates. And they go, OK, I won't fight in any meaningful way for principles. I won't focus on, the, on, on what's happening in my community. I won't vote locally. I'll complain about Bill Gates. Then those people go out to rallies and they hold up big sign saying bill gates and then when regular people show up they go look at the crazy people mm. look at the crazy people no. so this is what frustrates me whenever it comes to the vaccine stuff everyone's like let's have a debate over science and we're not scientists and i'm like why why when we can just say we are advocates for freedom we are american citizens who know the history of this country and the founding fathers who said we demand freedom and respect and tell the people instead of trying to pretend to be a scientist who's going to argue about medical efficacy we can just say i reject your attempts to mandate a medical procedure on me the two are not exclusive you could have both and I don't just obsessively talk about Bill Gates. I talk about him. I talk about all the other very influential people who are doing that. But I also talk about solutions. I also talk about personal responsibility. I also talk about the need for you to wake up from this trauma-based mind control and psychosis that people are going through by watching the mainstream media, by watching what Bill Gates funds, by watching what all these other individuals finance Nobody in order to trick you and lie. I Nobody think they do. I disagree with you. I absolutely you disagree with you. World. No. I don't think I do, because if people actually do find out the reality of the true existence of this world, which many of them are right now, many people are waking up when people see the true reality of it, they start understanding the players behind the scenes here. Then they could start implementing policies where they're not victimized by these players and their games that they play on we the rest of the population. Win. We don't get towards a we, convention of states, assuming that's what we want. We don't get towards a populist uprising because a bunch of people went outside complaining about Bill Gates. I'm not saying complaining about Bill Gates. I'm saying understand the problem and be able to diagnose it correctly without playing their games of here's right. a puppet you vote and for the, this puppet the, this puppet's going to make things better no 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 the there's issue bigger is, players behind the, the scenes issue and if you understand hold on i'm not done yet you're billionaire changes every week i let you talk i let you talk right your billionaire changes every week no it's I, pointless and you're i disagree like, Oh, it's, I, 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 we, we go through the months and months of George Soros is the guy funding the DAs. Yeah, we that's do. We, we are not seeing parents rise up and revolt because they found out about Bill Gates. Mm. We're seeing we're seeing their children and their families being affected. They're seeing their culture be destroyed. And it's it's and it's, who's it's doing so that? common. Who's doing that? Who's responsible for for all this? Who's, stuff who's doing all this bad stuff, Tim? It doesn't matter. It does. I think it's a result of the system. If you have a technocracy removing one technocrat, another one will fill the void. So we want to figure out a system. That's, that's a politician, Ian. Same with not politics. Same with their <laughs> politics. You remove not, one not president the, uh, and another upper one. Because there is an inner circle. That inner circle deserves to be addressed. We have different approaches. I think it's important, along with going after the solutions, along with understanding the full problem that we're seeing in front of us to be able to fully just, to be able to fully deal with the problem the, you got to fully understand it and the, you can't and, just and be looking at the consequences have, you can't just be going after the side effects okay and the challenge we have is that none of this is relevant because what matters is culture 
culture building. Politics is down, downstream from culture. And a bunch of people who have said, I've identified a source of the problem, and I, I believe it's Bill Gates, are, gonna, are going to convince no one and change nothing. The truth But matters. you know what? But you know what? People want a symbol for their oppression. So they isolate the, uh, an individual. For a long time, it was George Soros, and it still is. Now Bill Gates is filling that role. Every single story, every quote, every comment has brought up. And I'm just wondering, like, are we having a debate about this one guy we don't like? Are we going to talk about how we're going to influence the culture so that these, law these laws can't Well, the exist? culture is downstream from the technology that's basically functioning as a gatekeeping system, allowing what culture is seen where. And then you got to say, who built that centralized technology? And Bill did build some of it. But a lot of people have built a lot of central and are in the process of building centralized uh, technology technology system i think allison mcdowell is really a fascinating human being i was uh, well i would love to know so like some of these solutions like I, I agree with what you're saying when we especially when we point at certain people i want to know like what is the actionable step so when you're talking about solutions I, I would love to hear some of what you think would actually be solutions for people in mass families or, or whatever like at home in the home solutions and do any of them have to do with dmt <laughs> DMT is a personal decision that individuals should do their own research, their own homework on. We're all and on DMT, a, it, by and it's the way. A, yes, of course. So we all we all go through it when we dream every single night. That's something that should be up to the individual to, to, to lock up to. But but again, I think understanding exactly what's going on is the first step towards dealing with the problem. Obviously, we have a very sick society. Obviously, we have a very corrupted society. Understanding how it's corrupted, who it's corrupted by, and how we cannot be corrupted by it, I think is the first step whether it's uh you know sc the school the indoctrination centers whether it's the medical centers that keep uh, charging people $30 for an aspirin that rob people of their wealth and health whether it's the banking system whether it's all the systems that are thrown and shoved down our throats every single day that are scams ponzi schemes against the american people we when we are victims to it when we are blind to it we give all of our power to these individuals and i'm saying these individuals are doing all this i think that's an essential part to break it all down and to say hey you know what Maybe I won't vote with my dollar at this particular business. Maybe I won't put my child in an indoctrination center. Maybe I will look into homeschooling. Maybe I won't depend on all my food from, you know, the, the, the Amazon or a Walmart. Maybe I'll start looking into farming. Maybe I'll start building a community of people that I could actually have a support system around me. And I think just acknowledging like, hey, there's some big bad people out there. Some of them are sociopaths. Understanding that reality and not blaming everything on on generalized topics like, like culture. Culture is absolutely important, but you build that culture from a sense of reality, not from a sense of, I just want this, let me go get this. This is why, you know, the freedom minded, uh, look, this, this, I used to work for a bunch of nonprofits. I used to uh, fundraise for Greenpeace. This was about for a month and a half. I worked for a couple, a, a couple really big national nonprofits, and I was a nation's best fundraiser. I was able to walk up to a random person on the street, make them hand over their credit card to me in 30 seconds. This is what the job is. You've seen them on the street. They say, hey, come over here and talk to me. And I will tell you the one thing that never convinces anybody is blaming a person they don't know. They're confused by it. How does that affect me? Who is this guy? What does he do? What does this mean? Bill Gates has 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 bought me in influence in the media. He's manipulative. He has these weird ideas and he's not a doctor. And they say, that's weird. What is it? How does how does what, what does he do? I don't understand. In order to give someone enough information to understand why Bill Gates is a bad person and why George Soros is a bad person 
and why these other billionaires, because there are many and many, many of them, is a bad person. You'd have to put them in a school for years to really break down all this stuff. I disagree. And so what you end up having is you have a bunch of people who've been in this world for a really, really long time. They know uh, and they can easily recall the history of the, you know, how Microsoft came to be, how they got their first deals. They went and they bought it. The arguments between Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, the things he did, they were very, very just dirty individuals. And I mean, like, like just willing to exploit and rip off and, 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 and corrupt. And we know these things. But then there's a guy who's a truck driver and you go to him and you say all of your problems stem from Bill Gates is a billionaire who does these things. And he's going to be like, look, guy, I have no idea how that's going to give me any information I need to get my kids food. But then we can bring it back to their world. We can speak to them on their terms and things they understand and say, hey, should you be forced to do X, Y, or Z by your government? And they'll say no. And it's like, this is the opening of the door. You say the things that directly affect you that are causing you problems can be solved if you wake up and start paying attention. But what we get a lot of is George Soros, the left has their Koch brothers, the left has their Mercers. And I've been in these activist groups and I've seen just how ineffective it is to to say a word that means nothing to somebody, a name that means nothing to somebody, but think you're, you're giving some great revelation. Joe Rogan just pointed out to Alex Jones when he was on the show on Tuesday that Alex has the problem of knowing. And so when he tries explaining to people and he says really like things that are so out there they don't understand, it actually makes them push away from you. You cannot walk up to a person who's never experienced and uh, who doesn't understand the nitty gritty of what's going on, immediately jump, crank up the dial to 11 and think they'll listen to you. We're not they doing won't. that. We're not jumping up to random people. We're having a talk show where we uh, delve deep into uh, complicated topics. The, the reason people listen to us is because it's an honest, real conversation that isn't afraid just to be on the surface level. We go deep down. And I think this is why this podcast is so special, because we could do that. And uh, I disagree with your characterization. We're, we're not talking to random people on the street here. We're talking to an informed public that is paying attention. And I don't think everything that happens in this world is a coincidence. I do think there's bad people out there. I do believe there is going to, to be really bad things that are going to continue continue to happen unless people realize that these people are actually doing it and i think that's also LD, a part of the deposit. solution as well as taking per all right so the clip that uh we had excised from the live show started a, a couple minutes earlier it essentially started with uh tim saying that he didn't believe in conspiracies and he's like i'm more a fan of Rahm Emanuel's never let a crisis go to waste and the first thing that occurred to me was Rahm Emanuel's brother, Ezekiel, is this Rhodes Scholar and part of this well-organized, orchestrated plan uh, to take America and make globalism uh, using America as the raw materials for it. Are they University of Chicago? Uh, I, I actually, uh, I think Rahm Emanuel, he was mayor of Chicago. I know he's mayor of Chicago, right. but I thought yeah. they might, maybe had some sort of Straussian connect. Sorry to cut you up there. But. Yeah, yeah, Strauss. We'll talk about neocons yeah. later. All right, so uh, James, uh, you have the floor. What are your thoughts on that, that that would help the audience understand the the evidence which exists and is easily available, and maybe even through some of your documentaries and such, there might be? Well, it, it's so funny that you've actually invited me on to talk about this, because I am either, depending on your perspective, the best situated person to comment on this or the least informed, because I will confess right up front that I am aware 
that there is a human being named Tim Pool, <laughs> but I know nothing about him. I have seen clips. People have sent me clips of his work before, but I do not follow it. And I have, I've just never gotten into Tim Pool's podcast. So I don't know anything about this guy or where he's coming from or his worldview in general. But I, and so I, I like to think that makes me objective about what we're looking at in this particular clip. And I'm going to go perhaps in a different direction than you might expect. I'm going to largely defend what Tim Pool is saying here. I, I Here's the thing. I don't even think of this necessarily as a debate, at least not in the sense of arguing about reality. This is arguing about strategies. Uh, fundamentally, that's what I see taking place here, is an argument about strategies for getting people activated on certain issues. And in that strategy debate, yeah, of course, there are going to be differing opinions and you should do this, you should do that. I, 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 it's just who I am. I don't sit here generally trying to strategize or at least telling people what they should or shouldn't be doing in terms of strategies, because it is my genuinely held belief that everyone has their own approach to understanding information, internalizing information, processing information, and giving that information out to others. And I, 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 it's kind of this utopian idea of humanity that there's one way to do it and only one way to talk to other people. And that's the way that will magically make everything better and everyone will unlock their minds and it'll be perfect. Of course not. No. Some people will listen to someone like Luke Krakowski talking about and documenting, yeah, $319 million in over 30,000 grants in the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation database, $319 million documentably going to buy media publicity for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and its projects and its overall goals, shaping the entire coverage of the entire global health space seems like a pretty important point if you're looking at, okay, well, where did all of this information and messaging on global health come from? You might want to know about something like that so you can at least be switched on to how this works and operates. That's, that's the way my mind works. But I know there are people out there who will, as Tim Pool say, says, uh, you know, this is not going to resonate with them. They're going to say, so what? Bill Gates is buying publicity. Everyone buys publicity if they can. Whatever. Who cares? How does this affect me? Okay, there are people like that who won't care about Bill Gates or his machinations. So the point uh, I think is this is this is a strategic thing, and the Tim Pools of the world might be put off by people talking about that level of detail, and the Luke Krakowskis of the world might be interested and activated precisely because of those self same details. So who am I to come here and say? You should talk about this or you shouldn't talk about this or you should talk about it in this way. I, I honestly I keep going back to this point. You have to honestly uh, reflect who you are and, and what you believe about the world, the way you see it. You have to express that and know that it will turn off some people and it will turn on other people. And you have no control over that and you never will. But if you're just authentically expressing your viewpoint, you will uh, naturally reach out to the people who resonate with that viewpoint. So that's my that's my big picture look at what they're talking about here. But if we want to get into the specifics of Bill Gates in particular, I will go back to what I said towards the very end of my two hour who is four part who is Bill Gates documentary that I made last year. If people haven't checked it out, CorbettReport.com slash Gates, the entire two hour documentary transcript, hyperlink transcript, all of it there, audio video. 
if you are the type of person like a Luke Rakowski who finds this information important and valuable, and it's good to get this information so that you can better understand the world that we're living in, so that you can better understand how to achieve your goals, then look towards the very end of that documentary where I I lay out the evidence. I Obviously, I can't see into the hearts and minds of men. I can't prove anything, but I lay out the abundant amount of evidence that Bill Gates is a eugenicist. And then I conclude by saying, but if the answer to the question, who is Bill Gates, is Bill Gates is a eugenicist, that tells us some important things about the world that we're living in. It tells us that Gates is deceiving the public into supporting his takeover of the world with a false front of philanthropy. It tells us that the goal of the Gates, like the goal of the Rockefellers before them, is not to improve the world for humankind, but to improve the world for their kind. And most importantly, it tells us that Bill Gates is no comic book supervillain single-handedly directing all the chaos that is unfolding in the world or single-handedly bringing his own order to that chaos. No, if Bill Gates is a eugenicist driven by a belief in the superiority of himself and his fellow wealthy elitists, then what we are facing is not one man or even one family, but an ideology. And I think that gets us to the exact point that I think Tim Pool is starting from. He's saying, ah, whatever, Bill Gates, Schmates, whatever, all that machinations and all of the two hours of documented detail you've got in that documentary, who cares? The point is, we want this ideology instead of that ideology. So if you're starting at that point, all right, congratulations, great, we're together. I have no, I have no qualm with you. I'm not going to argue with uh, Tim Pools of the world about that point. Great, we agree. So now, what kind of world do we want to bring about? And how do we bring that about? And since that is a point that I've tried to stress in my work over the years, but I've always noted that it, it keeps coming up and people keep saying, but yeah, you only talk about problems, James, where are the solutions? So that's why I explicitly created Solutions Watch this year. So every single week, week in and week out, looking specifically, not at the problem, but at the solution, directing our energy and attentions that way so that, yes, okay, great. Uh, my audience who's been following me for 14 years is largely informed on a lot of the conspiracy sort of stuff. But how do we apply that? What do we do with that knowledge? And anyone who's there to join me in that, whether they agree or disagree with my crazy conspiracy nonsense on any other subject, I don't care. I just want to have community with people who have a similar idea for building a world that we want to see. And however you get there is how you get there. Well, your Solutions Watch has been very uh, important and it's been potent and it's a variety. And some of the stuff really caught me like, oh yeah, that. And I've seen friends of mine, I've been introduced to new new people I want to be friends with because they have cool ideas. Luke also fo uh, focuses on solutions too. So it's not just telling people about the problems. It's at the same time, we have to enact the solutions. Right, but we also need to understand the historical context that drives the daily current events. And without that, we're left to believe that, oh, it's just incompetency or it's just accidental or it's yes. just coincidental. Right. And without the overarching meta history and the patterns of participation, working groups, documents, evidence, artifacts that point toward a well-coordinated plan for globalism, David Rockefeller's admission to it in his memoirs, all these driving pieces of evidence those also need to be on the radar because they exist. They're real. Yes. That to me was the most compelling argument that, that Luke Rakowski was making in that clip was that we cannot really truly confront the question of how to 
how to uh, actually confront this problem unless we have a real understanding of the problem. Because the yes, as I say, if you're on board and you want this to move forward and create a better world, then yes, let's join forces and do that. But if your vision of that is it doesn't matter about the details, details, schmetails, you know, it's just freedom and that's what I want. Okay, great. But then you are more likely, I would think, to fall for the first person to promise you that vision. Oh, yeah, freedom. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's what I want to vote for me, guys. It'll all turn out well. If you do not understand the problem in its depth, and start to really understand the power structure that exists so that you understand, for example, that the politicians are the shadows on Plato's cave wall that are not affecting anything of substance, that they, those shadows are being cast by people that you don't even necessarily see who are sitting behind you. And unless you start to understand that structure, you might fall for the next shadow cave play, cave shadow play. You know what I mean? Um, so, so we, yes, it is important to have that level of understanding so that we can actually build something meaningful rather than simply um, taking part in, in a preordained uh, script that has been written for us that gives us the illusion, the simulacrum, if you will, of real attainment. Oh, we've done something. We, you know, we voted out Biden. And now the next puppet can take over the, this, the stage play. No, no, no. We have to understand the problem so that we can get to the solution. And I'm glad that Luke uh, stressed that. Well, yeah. And then go ahead, Tony. I was going to say, you know, Tim Pool actually exposed that about the human condition, right? He said in 30 seconds or a minute, I had people giving me my credit card. Well, that says something about the way people can be very easily influenced with XYZ ideology. And I think that's important to sort of point out, you know, I have this big question mark here on my... Uh, no card I took here. Who influences the culture? In other words, how do these mega elite billionaires do it? We have to understand the methodology to sort of backwards engineer how best to then influence certain people. And I, I teach the trivium and logic a lot of times. And when, when we get to classical rhetoric, you said something very potent, uh, James, about you have to know your audience. Who are you speaking to? If we come in, if Rich and I or yourself come in and we, we names, dates, facts, uh, that are so outside the context of the average person. I, I used to get in debates with a, a colleague of ours, Brett Vinod, about this. And it's like, you guys need to go talk about the av talk to the average man on the street, he'd oftentimes say to us, because they're so far removed from the context you guys are bringing forward. And it's an important element within uh, rhetoric and just you know understanding, like you have to approach people where they're at first and foremost and, and know the most effective strategy to your point that needs to be employed in those moments. But employing that strategy oftentimes requires us to actually do that deep dive research and to understand, well, how are they affecting people in mass like this to create these false ideologies, these false beliefs that are influencing the culture? Tim Pool kept saying culture, culture, culture. How are they influencing the culture so effectively? You know, mm -hmm. and, that, and yeah, that's, yeah. that's just something we have. Tavistock to and uh, Yale Institute of Human Relations and uh, frustration, aggression theory. Oh, yeah. And right. uh, Milgram experiment, Stanford prison experiment. These are kind of their guidelines and their tests for what they can put us through and, and, and keep people up with. Um, Absolutely. Such an yeah. important point. And uh, in fact, uh, that was to me, per perhaps the most uh, impressive point in the whole conversation was. And uh, sorry, my ignorance here again. The dude in the glasses with the long hair, I don't know who that That's was, Ian. but I always forget his he, name too. Don't worry. He blew my mind shortly before in that conversation when he said, What's a smart grid? I was like, Oh my God, dude, this guy doesn't, yeah, not yet, know. but he will. But he said technocracy and he's almost there to understand yes, what's going exactly. on. And then globalism and he proves said, itself. He said, because Tim was 
saying the oft quoted thing that culture, uh, that politics is downstream from culture, that we have to influence the culture. Okay, great. But then that guy said, but culture is downstream from technology. Right. Such an important point. That's yes. uh, ding, 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 ding. Yes. How do they influence the culture? Well, one way would be to get us to all live in this mediated reality where 95% or 99% of whatever it is we know about the world is coming through screens like a on a daily reality. basis. And then you control what's on the screens. Bing! You've just controlled society. And how are you going to fight against that? And if I'm being cynical, and again, I do not see into the hearts and minds of men, and I'm not making any aspersions here, but if I was being cynical, I could say Tim Pool is saying stop with that Bill Gates stuff because he wants to protect his YouTube channel. Right. You know, if you square, if you go too far towards that and you start saying the V word and other such things, you're going to get struck from YouTube. So in order to protect his channel, he might seem a little defensive on issues like that. It might not even be a conscious thing, but just a sort of subconscious thing. Right. How do you influence culture if you cannot say vaccines, the vaccines that are being thrust on us Ivermectin, are having adverse right. effects? If we can't say that then they have already won the game. Yeah. And then at one point later in that clip, Lydia had mentioned, it's not about the people. It's about the, the groups uh, or the, it's not about the people. It's about the ide ideologies and philosophies. But what happens when those people who hold the philosophies have groups and then make plans for other people's lives? Well, where do ideologies come from, from people, ideologies or ideas that they, they hold up as being the, the first principle from which they did then deduce all the subsequent outcomes of the way in which they believe the world should operate. Right. So, I mean, that's sort of, there, there's a lot of just misunderstanding. There's a lot of loss in communication and misunderstanding between both Ian and no, Ian, well, Luke and Tim when it comes to, but ironically to your yeah, point, there's entropy I think, there. Ian, I, Ian I said actually, I think a, the most, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I found it to be such a, like a inspiring and invigorating exchange of parhesia that I can agree with almost everything Tim's saying. And I agree with everything that Luke was saying. And I also see that there's a gap to, to be bridged yet to really get that coherent understanding. And that several of them on that crew are pretty close to seeing like that, which exists. Luke knows this because he went and stuck a camera in Rothschild's face and Rockefeller's face and all these people's faces back in the day. So like he's coming from guerrilla journalism and he taught guerrilla journalism. He still his course is free if you join his membership. So those are solutions, teaching other people how to do likewise. So th these things are real. And to, to bring out the artifacts and evidence is an educational process. Tim's right. He said something to the effect of it would take, you know, you have to take a class to learn all that. Yeah, you kind of do. Kind of do need to level up through reading books. Like James has books behind him. And from those books and what he learns, he makes media that educates other people in future generations. What's the latest yeah. project, James? And my mind keeps going back to the question of media because maybe I'm biased because I just taught my course at Renegade University. And it's one of those things where I have all the information, but once I actually put it together into a course and then teach it a six, seven hours of lectures that I did over the course of three weeks on the subject of media, I start to even appreciate it even more myself just how fundamentally important it is that we have come from a universe where. 500 years ago, before the uh, invention of the, uh, the movable type printing press, 550 years ago, um, the, the average person's experience of the world was almost entirely actually experiential. 
You were having real conversations with real people who were around you and who were relating information that directly affected you or your life or the, the very least you could directly relate to and apply to your own situation. We are now in almost the exact opposite situation where almost none of our uh, understanding of the wider world comes from actual ex experience. It comes from screens and books and whatever, which is the mediation between ourselves and reality. And that lends itself to a system where the people who can control that media can thereby control our lives and society in general. And it's even worse than that when you really start to get into it, because there is something to the McLuhan's and the Baudrillard's and other people who warned that the media, it's not like it's some sort of neutral tool that we use and we can use to say this or we can use to get, get, get this information out there. It is a thing that is using us and it is shaping our view of reality into itself. We can only think in terms that the media provides to us. So if we are watching TV, we can only understand things in an audiovisual sense, things that are presented and understandable in that form. And as, for example, Neil Postman, of course, points out in uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death, when we are sitting there and educating ourselves through a medium like television, we are only able to understand information that is presented in that form. So the idea of stopping, deliberating, arguing with yourself, uh, trying to wrap your head around non-visualizable concepts and uh, morality and things like this, that doesn't play on TV. You can't teach that through the medium of TV. So those sorts of aspects of our understanding and education get eliminated from the curriculum, essentially, the curriculum as presented through that medium. And now we're about to step into the metaverse brought to you by such loving billionaires as Mark Zuckerberg. And I guess we could get into the sort of the biographical details of Zuckerberg and blah, 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 and his history and the Tim Pools of the world would go, shut up, conspiracy theorist. Okay, well, at any rate, the, the, the metaverse and what that represents in terms of uh, the, the mediation of our reality to the point where real and media and it just blends to the point where we cannot differentiate the two, that is coming and they are trying to bring that about. And what that means, what that spells for the end of human experience as we have known it is, I, I struggle to find a way to articulate this, but this is where my mind is at right now. And that's why without understanding the problem, yeah, I think we cannot understand the solution. And uh, Tony, you made an excellent point there about, yeah, you've got to know your audience and the people who are best at selling to a certain crowd can convince you to go along with certain things that can apply against us. You might think, oh, I'm the best salesman and I can manipulate people, but we're all vulnerable to that. Well, and if we don't understand the problem, we're going to be manipulated by that. Well, it shows us something about ourselves, right? The way in which we take in information, the way in which we experience information and dialogue between individuals, like that interaction, that 30 second or minute or two minute long interaction that Tim Pool is having with people shows how quickly people want to be sold to mm. certain ideas or other things like that. It's, 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 and this is the interesting aspect when you bring technology into the equation, because then you have to, you have to talk about these sort of ideas of cybernetics and closed system feedback loops, because that's, you're talking about the medium is the message. That's exactly right. And you also brought up an incredibly important and poignant point. I think that was sort of, sort of got 
uh, not downplayed, but might've gotten mixed up a little bit with ethical exposure. Like we, I think I was listening to a Peterson argument where he was saying something to the effect that we develop an ethical understanding of our society by interacting with other people. I think this comes from John Piaget, I believe. And so it, we, we, it's sort of an intrinsic argument for the development of natural morals that are just built into the human structure. But we do it by play, by interacting with other people, especially early on. What happens when you remove that and you put everything between us, like I put a sort of intermediary between that, which is the screen and now soon to be the Zuckerberg sponsored metaverse, uh, both really funded and sponsored by DARPA, but we'll get into that later. You know, so it's just, we look at all the connections, but still that's incredibly poignant because what sort of effect is that going to have on the human condition? Because we have these incredible philosophies, moral philosophies, ethical philosophies, these metaphysical and epistemological, like the, there's a long history you know, multi multi-millennial long history of developing philosophies that have to deal with how men should act in the world. And now we're putting something that's going to like a, what the post-human sort of perspective on how people interact that's, with other individuals. That's, that's it. That's, yes, exactly. Post-human. Because in a sense, what we think of as morality comes from that sense that, yes, this is about navigating our relationships with other human beings. And now we're increasingly in a world where we're not navigating relationships with other human beings. We are navigating relationships with avatars online. And that gives rise to a very different sense of morality, as pointed out by uh, Jerron Lanier in uh, 10 Reasons You Should Quit Social Media Right Now, whatever that book is called, um, where I have my disagreements with uh, uh, Lanier on a number of things. But he, he gets it right when he says social media is turning you into an asshole. Or perhaps it's better to say it's bringing out your inner asshole because it enables a certain type of dialogue that would not really happen in real life, but almost inevitably happens online. And it is one thing, I guess, to say to the youth of today, you know, that's not real morality. The, the way you see people interacting online isn't real morality. You, you know, you should be more like this. It's one thing, I guess, to say that to them. But if they spend most of their lives online in that space, that is the way you interact in that space. And you can try to argue against it. But I think that's the medium is the message. I think you, you can't argue against the medium. It is dictating that version of morality i see it real time i I participate in gaming groups online just as a hobby and it's a completely different ethic that emerges i mean it's 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 a very different type of way in which you would interact in the world with other human beings they would never do this possible because of uh, marshall mcclellan macy conferences cybernetics game theory von neumann all these other people that went into gamifying culture and our our advantage is they can't figure out freedom because they're not freedom oriented. And yet they keep trying to make ways to control freedom. And I would argue that's hard to do. If you don't understand freedom, if you understood freedom, you wouldn't be trying to capture and control and erode it. So that's our like built-in advantage. And to the point of uh, the the salesperson being able to approach somebody and do that thing. I just taught the students today about uh, Darren Brown and the Russian scam and these types of uh, pattern interrupts that people can do because I wanted to warn the students. So they had intellectual self-defense and it's antithetical to how I teach them to do sales. So when Tim said that, that's like something he, that's not sales. Mm. That's not, that's not sales. Sales is the art of problem solving for people that he wasn't solving people's problems that he was. That's ethics right. applied to sales. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, what's the Russian scam? Uh, the Russian scam is uh, you can find it on YouTube, but he walks up to a guy, he asked uh, for directions, does a handshake, asks him to hold the uh, water bottle and says, uh, watch, wallet the guy gives it over willingly because he's he had the pattern interrupt of the water of the handshake interrupted 
And so when Darren asks him, will you hold my water bottle? That guy is in a yes mode. So anything else he's overwhelmed. So his brain is just saying yes to whatever Darren says. He walks away, discovers, Oh, I lost my watch and wallet goes back to Darren. Darren gives him back, does the same thing to him. So he did it twice in like a minute. So mm. it just shows unless you have intellectual self-defense yep. up and you put the guard up and start asking questions, you can be kind of rapidly programmed. And that's the opposite. Well, the, I didn't realize that was about. called the Russian scheme. I think that's how it's listed on there. Right. That's the name of the okay. video. Back in yeah. The I'm definitely familiar with Darren Brown and his, his work. Yeah, extremely important stuff. Yeah. Total side note. But by the way, you remember Darren Brown uh, did that special on assassinations or I can't remember what it was called, but he uh, programmed someone to yes. kill. Yes, uh, I do remember. What's his yeah. name? That famous uh, British guy. <laughs> uh, anyway, in a, in a Sirhan Sirhan like thing where he sees the polka dot dress and he goes, anyway, Sirhan Sirhan is at the moment maybe going to be out on parole in the next coming days. So anyway, just side yeah. note, <laughs> sorry. And anyone who has questions about Sirhan Sirhan, uh, check out Benny Wills's. He did a reading of Sirhan Sirhan's uh, letters or something like that. It's a really interesting perspective that he laid out. And I was glad that Benny took the time to read that. All right. So the other note I had here is um, their plans for humanity is uh, transhumanism, cybernetics applied to control people to make them slaves. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's like, you can go read their books on it. Uh, I would cite a 1996 book called Beyond Humanity, Cyber Evolution and Future Minds by Earl Cox and Paul Davids, maybe. Was it? So there are books out there that have pointed toward, they want to merge human beings with silicon, biological computing. It's the evolution in, in culmination of eugenics to have command and control over human beings and play God. I will point people to the Policy Horizons Canada document from last year exploring biodigital convergence, which um, I, I think they intended to just be a sort of, hey, this is what the future can be like, guys. And there may be some bad parts to it, but look, there's some cool stuff, too. Um, but it, I defy you to read that without being utterly creeped out by it. I don't know. Personally, I find it to be absolutely horrific where they're it's talking terrifying. about the surveillance bug bots that will be flying around your apartment. That's DARPA. They have. Yeah. Nano insects. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Uh, when your children's teeth fall out, you don't take them for the tooth fairy. No, the, the drone surveillance bot will come and pick it up and examine it for epigenetic markers of disease. And if you participate in such a system, you'll get a little health rebate. So you, you, you know, you can win money by in, engaging carbon in, this stuff, credits sort of stuff. in the future. Or something They'll like bring that you nature. a food pack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had one document here I wanted to show you, James, because I haven't shown anyone this because I just printed it and read it. Let's see if it does it here. This is the Club of Rome, Predicament of Mankind, <laughs> Quest for Structured Responses to glow, a Growing Worldwide Complexities and Uncertainties from 1970. This is a proposal from the Club of Rome. Have you ever seen this piece of evidence? I have not, no. All right, this is cool. Let me put my spectacles on. We go to the table of contents. I got a couple selected readings here we can do. Uh, the problematique, an overview of the situation. Then they make a proposal. And then they have an idea for a world forum, which I showed you last time. The Club of Rome was instrumental in the Davos Manifesto to kick off the World Economic Forum. So this is the planning document, which brought forward the WEC, which now is the COVID-19 Great Reset crew that's running the whole show. So understanding Club of Rome, and uh, Aurelio Pache and these sort of guys in history might be uh, hi history that is uh, uh, substantial. Now, I, I like this one part in the document when they described who they are. So here, the Club of Rome, 
It starts here. I don't want to read from the top, but it's an informal, non-political, multinational group of scientists, intellectuals, educators, and business leaders deeply concerned with the situation just sketched, among whom have decided to face issues that confront mankind in a way which offers the hope of reaching a new level of understanding and therefore successful action. Uh, they are further convinced that a group of private persons who, while concerned, are nevertheless free from the responsibility of day-to-day -day political decision and who, as individuals, have no political ambition except the good of mankind and its survival, can contribute in this way to the work of those who are responsible for leadership and action. Now, the main essences of the problematique, as uh, personified here by the Club of Rome, is that the problem is systemic and it involves the whole planet, overpopulation, poverty, pollution, etc., uh, arise from confused and obscure consequences. And they're trying to say, this is so complex, only they can solve it. And if they don't make a plan for the future, we will be left to react to the future. And then there was something else here. Was that, that was page 10. So I'd be happy to get a copy well, something of at the this. bottom there. Fundamental changes. Uh, sorry. Interesting. Oh, I just, uh, I, this was the part. Okay. This is from page 10. Uh, number five, to persuade governments to convene a world forum there's a hashtag there. For further information regarding this point, please see Annex 2. Oh, I will. I will. Uh, World Forum, with whose consent, support, and encouragement, an intensive dialogue concerning the findings of the project will be initiated to, end, uh, to the end that a much larger and deeper effort could be undertaken. Such an effort would aim at developing the needed operational macro models conducive to endeavors at integrated policy planning and to the development of new institutions like the World Economic Forum within whose frame of competence such work could be carried out. Thus, on the international levels, uh, such bodies as NATO or the OECD are now undertaking detailed work on many individual issues, while the United Nations is planning a world conference on the environment problems in 1972. This is the beginning of the green agenda. This is the beginning of Agenda 21. This is the United Nations working alongside this other working group. I mean, it's like these working groups are working on something almost as if there's an agenda or some sort of thing being carried out, but you can't see it directly from this document, but it is an interesting. Well, they, they just stated right there, they need a new body to emerge. It's sort of the working branch. And all of a sudden, then what you have the world economic forum a couple of decades later to sort of be the front men for this new uh, visionary world of the future. And interestingly enough, I just want to get this on the record while, while we have James, you have this whole new, new talking point of the great narrative. Yep. I don't know if you've seen yep. that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I have. Yep. And I hope I will be talking to Derek about that in the future. Um, I'm definitely going to be doing some work on that, specifically with regards to Solutions Watch, because this is a point that I've tried to make before, but I, I haven't stressed it enough. The key to this, I think in a sense, maybe I'm echoing what Tim Pool was gesturing towards there. The key to this is to stop following the narratives that are being set for us and start right. creating our narrative. And people don't understand. And, and that was actually the best right. piece of feedback. I got a lot of good feedback from that course I just taught on, on media history. Um, but the best piece of feedback I got was, you know, I've thought about this before and I've read some of these sources, but I've never really, it's never really struck me just how important the story, the stories that we're being fed is to our understanding of the world and to everything that that makes us who we are and what we're going to do in the world. When we start creating our own narratives rather than simply accepting the ones that are given to us. I think that's when we start to build real autonomy.
And and I think I, that makes Tim's point at the end when he's talking about like, how do you get the average truck driver to understand this? It's it's because we, be, we gave them a, a clearer, simpler, more truthful narrative than that, which they had to be indoctrinated into believing over a long period of time. Little productions like yours, James can set minds free world war one conspiracy, uh, who, you know, a uh, big oil who created it. Like oh, the whole thing is right there. And when you watch all of your documentaries, you start to see repeating tones of it's a finite planet. There's only so many families invested up to their eyeballs in globalism and anti-Americanism, because that's really what it is. I'm not saying it's against the law. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy because that's the definition, uh, definition of conspiracy. These people breathing together to break the law. I am saying it's anti-American. I am saying it's anti-freedom. It's anti-liberty. It's anti-human. And we should keep it. We should keep track of these people by reading the artifacts that they leave behind and continuing to see that they're shaping a problem in which we are the enemy. We as humanity, they say, yeah, speaking of Club of Rome, right. yeah, that's yeah. exactly what yeah. they said, right? First right. global revolution. Well, it makes your his uh, do- James, your documentary so powerful as you do. You you build out a narrative. What was the one you recently did about Trump? Um, we showed it on the intermission. It was uh, a brief history of opium. Yes, yes, a brief opium. That's the word. That's the word I'm looking for. Because again, then you build out these various narratives. I think it's important when I taught when I teach trivia and philosophy. One of the the beginning mode of cognition for mankind was storytelling. Everything was analogical. We, we described everything to a likeness, whether it's the, the natural phenomenon we witness, and then we anthropomorphize or personify. That is still the most fundamental way we take in information. So being able to tell our own stories about the future that we want to have or the future we want to build with other individuals that share a sort of common vision is extremely important because otherwise they're telling us a very different story and they're enacting that and they're, bringing, they're manifesting that reality if we're not aware of it. So... 100% yes. And that's why I don't take it lightly. People who are out there putting this in some sort of creative format, artists, uh, musicians, painters, writers, whatever it is that are putting this information, embedding it in story is so incredibly important and powerful. And I yes. think underrated in terms of its power. I mean, some core concepts, I find myself continually going back to certain stories that essentially were seeded into me as a youngster, whether that be Lord me of the too. Rings or whatever. If yes. that's the way you conceptualize and understand the danger of, of power and political power over other people, it's the ring. And if you touch it, it will corrupt you. You have to cast it into the fires of Mordor and get rid of it once and for all. Hey, that's a that's a great way of understanding that on a more visceral level than any simple sober explanation can do. I do the sort of documentary explorations, but I do not discount the people who do, you know, narrative forms of putting this information in other ways. The that's way you why, do documentaries is like very Tolkien narrative for this interview. <laughs> no, I was just being facetious. Go ahead, please, with your serious comment, Tony. No, no, go, go for it. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, James, you got you got your setup over there with Thaddeus Russell at Renegade University. I, this is the first I've heard about it, so pitch me your course. Oh, oh okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I just did a three-part course for Renegade University on mass media history, which ran from the Gutenberg Revolution, which uh, I point out is the Gutenberg Conspiracy. If you're interested in that, you can find out more in that course and it runs uh, all the way up to the metaverse and what's coming next and so it was the first three mondays in november but it is up there on renegade university you can now uh stream it um can't participate live anymore but it's uh, it's up there and uh i hope people will check it out i know it sounds like it could be could be boring or you know whatever mass media history but as i say it's the kind of thing where until you sit down and really 
really start to examine it, you cannot appreciate just how important mediated reality has become for us and how much more important it will be in the future. And in that third class, I, I show a little clip about hyper reality um, that really demonstrates what this what this metaverse will look and feel like, where the normal real world, as we are used to seeing it, will not be there anymore. It will be all of the Google ads and gadgets and advertisements and search bars and people trying to tell you things and you can, you know, whatever, you can do everything in your, whatever that will be, probably some sort of goggle type device at first, but eventually, hey, just get the brain chip. You know, it'll be a lot easier to interface with re reality. That's a spoiler. That's in uh, shaping of the, no, the fourth industrial revolution by Klaus Schwab. That's in the appendix. Cut to the end. It's brain chip. Implantable technologies. Yeah. That's yep. it. Again, yeah, exactly. This is not for the Tim pools of the world. This is not conspiracy theorizing. No, we're just I'm reading, just reading their, their books. Yeah, that's we are it. just reading what they're saying. <laughs> All right. That's fantastic. We're going to put a link to your course in there. It's not going to be boring. Even if it was, the information is nutritious and, uh, and healthy, and I've learned to take in dry information. And it's half as long as Aaron and Melissa Dykes' new documentary from <laughs> the Federal Reserve. So it's like yeah. easy peasy. Let's let's get that in there. So uh, I'm going to go through that course. I'm excited to check it out, and I'm proud of you for getting that out there so more people can learn how to be like James Corbett. Yes, yeah. and uh, that uh, sorry that just sparked something that I wanted to say for a second, but I am totally going to forget what that was. Let me, wow. let me well, that in the interim, real quick, I'll just, you talked about mediated reality. You know, I'm trying to build out an intermission for next week. It'll be, we'll call it like a Thanksgiving special or something like that, where I'm going to take elements of like the net, that German documentary came out uh, years das ago. DasNet, yeah. Yeah, of course, and all watched over by machines, loving grace, the use and abuse of vegetational concepts, part two, um, elements of Jay Forrester, um, you know, and try to combine it Pete together. Now, our, did, did a five part reading of Ted K. A couple in the last couple weeks, live readings. Oh, interesting. Of, I'll yeah, check so that, that out. So that might go too. in there too. And then elements of you know limits to growth because it all ties into the Club of Rome and all. They're all singing on the same song sheet. That's right. Point. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but it's interesting. You know, if it, trying to build it out in a sort of narrative structure, insofar as like for an audience that's already pretty aware. Right. Yeah, but it's interesting because you have good. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, I remembered that point that I was going to make was that earlier I alluded to the fact that, uh, you know, I know all this media stuff and I've read all these books, but it wasn't until I sat down and made the course and shaped it out. And here's the story. And this happens and this happens and this happens, and really laid it out that I could see for myself just the sort of the, the bigger picture of this and how important it all was. And I think there's an important clue in there for anyone who's interested that when we start to take what we know in some abstract sense and actually start to put it into some sort of narrative so that you could teach it to others, for example, or teach it to yourself. Um, that's when we start to really understand. And of course, I, I know as, as a logic professor, someone who works at the Trivium Quadrivium, I'm sure you know all of this, but it is important for people to really understand that, that you probably know more than you think you know. It's just that you have to find a way to encapsulate that in a narrative that you could then explain to others and thereby explain to yourself that you really understand what you know. What's that old cliche? Um, uh, to, in order to know, teach or something to that effect. Yeah. yeah so because it forces you to right. find out what you don't know during Make that process of making yeah. the presentation. And the patterns yeah. become more conspicuous, but go ahead. And the other thing is, James, you just helped me with my homework. I'm working on an article for Ernie Hancock for the Freedoms Phoenix mm. uh, newspaper. And I got 13 solutions I'm pitching as like the autonomy or Agora, which is like a Christmas catalog for freedom. Mm. You were in position one and I didn't have like a thing for you that I could help you promote. 
And now I have that Renegade University link. I'll plug that in. I got Benny's course in there, Howard's course. There's a whole bunch of people. So I'm glad. Welcome to the party. And awesome. <laughs> uh, I've got emails from Thaddeus from back in September. I never wrote back to him. So uh, good for you for getting started. And I'm happy to help uh, promote it. And I'm looking forward to taking it. And I can just be a fanboy real quick. I still think I have your 2009 video archives. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I've, if I oh, yeah. reached at the last second, it's like, oh, we're having corporate on. I'm like, oh, are you serious? Because I would have ran to my library. <laughs> he wants an autograph. Can you give him digital so, autograph? Yeah, I was give like, a... yeah, this is a uh, monument. Let me just sign it on the so. screen here. But uh, no, that is and old it, school. That's a collector's yeah. item at this point. So I still you don't have want it. 10 NFTs from Corbett. So. <laughs> I just appreciate your work um, uh, for the past well, well over a decade now. Uh, we've been following you, and I've you know been uh, supporting your work, and just incredible. So this, they get that you know, one second, ten seconds of fanboy out of me. So good hey, I appreciate all it. you're done. And the, you know, I I do this for many reasons. One of which is just to teach myself what I I suppose I know. <laughs> but another reason is to reach out there and hopefully put stuff that is usable. And that's what I want the corporate report to be. I wanted to be a resource for people who want to know more about these subjects, the Luke Krakowskis of the world, and others who are on that side of the, the spectrum, who want to know more details. That's what the corporate report is. It's even handy sometimes when I'm doing research and I'm like, uh, I think I know there's a document on that. What is it? And I'll search it on my own website because that's, you know, that's what it's for. Well, before that, Whitney Webb existed, it was Corbett. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was free. I would go to, you were the key investigative journalist I would go to that objectively where it was able to lay out all the information in a very consumable fashion that wasn't the Alex Jones hyperbolic, you know, very emotional tirades, you know, that sort of thing. It was just, it was perfect. And I greatly appreciate, um, cause that really helped me internalize awesome. that information, especially when I was younger and a little bit more all over the place. We'll just mm, say, yeah. or it's trying to yeah, Corbett provides a good rudder. Keeps <laughs> people going in the light direction. James, thank you for, uh, this hour invested in time. Uh, happy holidays to you and your family please it's not thanksgiving website. in japan but i'll take it i You'll appreciate take it, it right i figured you would and uh corbettreport.com as always is the best place for the open source intelligence news that you offer we got it up there on the screen we'll put it in the show notes you are free to do the rest of your day's work sir thank you so much for taking time thank you rich always appreciate it thank you nice to meet you tony take care Yeah, nice to meet you too james thank you all right, now we continue with tonight's show. You guys got to look at that. I want one more thing. I got to show you from that limits to growth because, you know, I showed you in the 1970 document. That's pretty invigorating that they wanted to have a plan. Well, then they came out with uh, Agenda 21. This is the United Nations Earth Summit strategy from the early 90s. There's limits to growth, and I believe it's in this limits to growth book. If I find the page marked properly or not. There was a section called, well, I'll find it during the next clip. I'll leave you in suspense <clears throat> because it's where they talk about humanity being the problem for humanity is humanity. They, they just basically state it out loud. Oh, I can, I um, mean, I have a clip. Well, let's be more effective. We actually do from the book. I have a picture of someone who sent me that section from the book. I could bring up real quick, but yeah, um, I actually, I, I think we mentioned that last time we talked to Corbett last year. That, I mean, that here, I'll just, topic, I'll bring it up real quick. I'm, and, I'm embarrassed that I've lost my page marker. Oh, you're good. Uh, luckily, we had, I believe it was Chris McMillan. Yes, like, he preserved it here. So let me oh, just I was bring it up. Book. I got it. I got it. Okay. It's the first to limits to growth. Revisited limits to growth was the original. The first global revolution, a report uh, by the Club of Rome. This is from 1991, 1991. 
right around the time they create agenda 21 global food security information security uh right here here it is if we were playing poker i'd be like read it and weep the common enemy of humanity's man let me just make sure I'm focused on that because I got a stack of books there. Good. there go. yeah, very good. The common enemy of humanity is man. In searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. In their totality and in their interactions, these phenomena do constitute a common threat which demands the solidarity of all peoples. But in designating them as the enemy, we fall into the trap about which we have already warned, namely mistaking the symptoms for the causes. All these dangers are caused by human intervention, and it is only through changed attitudes and behavior that they can be overcome. The real enemy, then, is humanity itself. So, And if I may... From um, the people who brought you the World Economic Forum, which now brings you to COVID-19, the Great Reset, this is in between in that line of history. So uh, just if I may, Rich, Chris McMillan pointed this out just to provide even more context about the importance of having a common enemy. Uh, this is, uh, I think, from the chapter, The Probla Problematique. Oh, Problematique, so, yeah. Problematique. Okay, so this is what Chris sent us this week when we were going over this. The need for enemies, I hopefully everyone can see that, the need for enemies seems to be a common historical factor. States have striven to overcome domestic failure and internal contradictions by designating external enemies. The scapegoat practice is as old as mankind itself. When things become too difficult at home, divert attention by adventure abroad. Bring the uh, divided nation together to face an outside enemy, either a real one or else one invented for the purpose. With the disappearance of the traditional enemy, the temptation is to designate as scapegoat religious or ethnic minorities whose differences are disturbing. Can we live without enemies? Every state has been so used to classifying its neighbors as friend or foe that the sudden absence of traditional adversaries has left government and public opinion with a great void. New enemies, therefore, have to be identified. New strategies imagined, new weapons devised. The new enemies may have changed in nature and location, but they are no less real. They threaten the whole human race, and their names are pollution, water shortage, famine, malnutrition, illiteracy, unemployment. However, it appears that awareness of new enemies is as yet insufficient to elicit world cohesion and solidarity for the fight. Yeah, they need like Osama bin Laden and some 9-11 happening. They need a new Pearl Harbor. You got it. Also, the collapse of the ideologies has removed some of the necessary points of reference. So, you know, this again, there's a little bit more context about needing a common enemy to galvanize solidarity. Yeah, or or a supranational problem, something that transcends nation states, like global warming, or you know viruses, or you know a whole host of different situations, terror, you know global terrorism, whatever that can, or maybe a, a fake alien invasion someday. Who knows what they'll come up with next? But in order to be able to usher us in in lockstep, in agreement um, culturally, with allowing this sort of one world transhumanist government technocracy government to emerge. So, if I had to play one piece of evidence. In mm -hmm. that game, I would play the November 1998 foreign affairs mm -hmm. issue where Philip Zelikow, Ashton yeah. Carter, John Deutsch wrote about New Pearl Harbor. It's the PNAC document before they wrote the Wait, PNAC Zelikow document. Wait, Zelikow was a part of that too? Yes. And Holy Zelikow also shit. published it at Harvard 
before he became in charge of the investigation that he had the outline for the investigation results before they did the investigation. So go back before 9-11. Where were these guys? Ashton Carter becomes director of the Pentagon, uh, secretary of defense. John Deutsch was in the CIA and and Philip Mm -hmm. Zelikow was a little known University of Virginia guy who studied urban, how to create urban myths. That's one of his things. How to create urban myths. Now we're back to narrative. So it goes back to the grammar of the situation. Here's, Here's this article. Who are the authors? What are they all about? There's another article in that same issue. I don't burn uh, Bernard Lewis, L-E-W-I-S, and it's about Osama bin Laden, public enemy number one. So between these two articles, there's the CFR painting out like this is our strategy of preemption and certainty, and then they just start to scale up from there. So they float policy articles, they get opinions, they get resources, they have a new boogeyman, new enemy, and that's the first place in American literary culture it's it, there's no place in the literature where it's presented, you know, uh, New Pearl Harbor, World Trade Center, uh, Osama bin Laden, Osama, all of it together, all of it for the new yes. boogeyman age right. of the 21st century. Right. That's a real artifact. Those people exist. X, Those people yes, gained yeah, from yeah. power. Kibono, it's them. It's yeah. other people that they worked with, and it's not a United States specific thing. It's a NATO OTAN type of operation that just like Oklahoma City was. Right. And notice how they're beginning to craft the narrative. Like that's sort of the grammar of the narrative that then they then later in 2001 provide to the public, the mainstream media in lockstep within what every mainstream news outlet within an hour of the World Trade Center uh, situation, the hijackings and, and what happened at 9-11. What about the anthrax attacks that came from Portland down and, right. and Dietrich? I mean, right. it's the AIM strain of, of anthrax. It's only available in two places on the planet, both of which NATO had access to, by the way. Just saying, in case that matters for anyone playing at home yep. in the future. Right. So, hashtag know you know your opposition. All right, so uh, we covered that uh, initial clip with Tucker reporting about Rittenhouse mm-hmm. before we had the uh, the interview with James there, uh, and the the breakout of that excellent example of Parhesia in that clip. Um, <clears throat> I also wanted to point toward well, we can play Crowder's like reaction, but there Crowder was a whole Jones. bunch. Between the time that the jury went to deliberation on Friday, there was a whole bunch of funny, Mm -hmm. funky evidence, fake evidence. Prosecution got caught with uh, their nether regions stuck in the roller, and they're trying to read, ah, what's going on? And the judge is like, mistrial, and defense is like, hey, can we get a mistrial? So even if they didn't find him not guilty, there was strategy. And mistrial is not great. But it means they go back in there knowing exactly what the defense has and ha- doesn't have to use against them, which would give him a severe advantage in his self-defense case. So uh, let's go ahead and roll the the Crowder reaction because I watched it live as they were watching it live. So that's where I actually heard about it. Uh, I think we were on the autonomy work party call on Friday mm. when we were all watching that clip together. See, we'll always remember where we were. And uh, let's go ahead and check that out for anyone who missed it. The jury's going to go. All right. Verdicts. Let's go. Everyone say a prayer. Jada Wisconsin versus Kyle Rittenhouse. As the first count of the information, Joseph Rosenbaum, we, the jury, find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. Yeah! 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 Yes! 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 We, the jury, find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. Yeah! Yeah! As to the third count of the information, unknown male, we the jury find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. Oh, As to the fourth count of the information, Anthony Huber, 
We, the jury, find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. As to the fifth count of the information, Gage Grosskreutz, we, the jury, find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. There we go. Members of the jury, are these your unanimous verdicts? Look at that him. Is there anyone who does not agree with the verdict says Oh, my God. Oh, that's fantastic. Man. We still live, at least today, in the United States of America, and Kyle Rittenhouse was not guilty. Watch Louder with Crowder live Monday through Thursday. It's a funny reaction, but you know, I see some people in the chat saying it, this is all a spectacle. It's a big red herring or misdirection. I understand that sentiment. And I just want to point out that although that there is absolute truth to that, and we, we're going to spend an enormous amount of the rest of the evening on the vaccines, the lockdowns, the therapeutics, Bill Gates, this new smallpox men, the, the mentioning that's been going on, uh, and some strange sort of artifacts surrounding that and the continual lockdowns that's going on in Austria. All of that is certainly more important, more pernicious, and has a bigger, I think, more uh, direct effect on us more immediately right now. But you own your own person. This is like the crux or maybe the foundation of our inalienable rights is the ability to defend that person for whatever it means, at least that was upheld by the courts. I think that's an extremely important point that uh, no matter what, to some, they, we still live in a culture or society that's willing to point out based on evidence that you have the right to defend yourself against other people that are going to, that are costing you in so whatever way. And that, to me, is why this is so important. Also, Kyle's reaction, I think, is really interesting here. Um, seeing One, it reminds us just how young this individual is, how, how much he's gone through, his, the PTSD I'm sure he's going to continue to suffer from for the rest of his life, and he'll have to work through. Um, and also just, you know, just that, that sort of got me emotionally witnessing just, you know, as Crowder says, look at, look at this kid. I mean, that's really, in the absence, we got to remember what happened in Kenosha. Right. So Jacob Blake, I believe, was shot by a police officer when Jacob Blake, I think, tried to violently accost the police officer with a, a knife. I might get some details mixed up there. It's been a long time. The media spun it alongside what happened with George Floyd. So the media was absolutely creating a narrative. Now we're back to the idea of narrative that uh, America is systemically racist. And so his dad owns property in Kenosha. And is beside himself believing that, you know, that this is going to be the end of his, I believe it was his business or something to that effect. And Kyle felt in the absence of no real law enforcement, this is it. There's nothing left. And I don't agree with vigilantism. And, you know, a wise man would do what it, he can in order to try to avoid violence in all situations. But I think in this capacity, he I can't fault this individual. He right, was scrubbing graffiti. He was giving first, first aid. aid. And his, his, like, notice. What were the protesters or rioters or people setting things on fire there for? There were, right. there were people creating chaos, mischief, destruction anonymously, 
And he was just seeking to keep a a private business and a gas station and people from, you know, uh, being hurt and worse. hundred percent. Right. And And in in that way, he's a real hero. He's a real hero. Some of you might've been chased, but you got away. You're still here. He got chased for his life and then he fell down and he was about to die. And he luckily had the self-composition to actually hit the targets that were attacking him and nobody else. Which is incredible. Unheard of. Even police can't do that in New York with a rifle. Rifles are not easy to handle. It's not a handgun. Amadou Diallo. uh, Diallo, uh, That was uh, there was a police shooting where they 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 shot off like eighty five rounds trying to get somebody. Yes, they hit all sorts of people. That's like you know just something that goes on in New York or Chicago. So for a civilian, a kid who's, uh, you know, it wasn't even his own firearm. It was given to him. I think if I remember correctly from the trial, the owner of the store, that son was with Kyle and they're the ones who gave him that rifle specifically for that task of defending that area of the neighborhood. And yeah, I watched some of that trial, but I'm also going to watch Ghislaine Maxwell and Epstein and that whole, you know, whatever's shown, because that's the thing that really needs to be shined a light on and means more to society. There's also Bill Gates connections there. What was Bill Gates doing with eugenics? and Jeffrey Epstein. And we get to that all the time. I just thought this was an important artifact that at least I have to get it was Lysander Spooner or Bastia. One of them had, I believe was a, had, was a lawyer or a trial lawyer or something that effect. But I remember reading it at your house 10 years ago, uh, one of those two individuals stating that he thought that uh, a trial by jury of your peers was one of the greatest pathways to freedom. Um, and I forget his argument and I want to reread that maybe for the Tuesday night town hall, I'll try to look up that resource. You know, it was an interesting fact because it's an imperfect system, but human beings are forever going to be imperfect. But the fact that, um, and you know, the trial, uh, with Derek Chauvin, I believe was very imperfect. Not that I agree at all with what he did, but it's, it was a much more complex situation. Um, nonetheless, you know, it's, it's good to see that however imperfect it still is and however much the culture is being affected, that the rule of evidence, logic, and you know, law essentially went through and was upheld and maintained in this in this situation. Well, we live and in that, a country where that situation was artificially created by politics. That's right. And the standing down of regular government authorities. That situation was aggravated by the mainstream media lying about that kid's case. It was also exaggerated and aggravated by the president of the United States coming out and announcing guilty before even seeing any of the facts relating him to white supremacy, white supremacy and racism and all these other things. When in fact, the, the pedophile that he killed that raped five children under the, between the, the ages of nine and 11, that was just released that day who went there for it was in trouble, mental war he wasn't even over in, and over. Yeah. He's like, kill me, kill me, shoot me. Shoot. You know, he, he was the guy that was looking for it. Right. Exactly. He went out, he was swinging. He's chains. being defended now by Hollywood, uh, who was, uh, the, the, the Mark Ruffalo, the guy who plays the well, Hollywood's filled with Hulk? pedophiles. So of course they're going to defend their go. own, right? Yeah, so. that was. Uh, I think that was Luke's comment in the tweet that I retweeted. Was, <laughs> there you go. There you, you know, the, these people were yeah. supporting the pedophiles. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, exactly. Right. But they so, ran with a narrative. They they built up a narrative that was false and got people to go out and riot. And you know, next thing you know, in the absence of law enforcement you have your own property that you own and then you have your body as your property and he's just trying to defend that you have a right to defend that and it's being upheld based on someone sent me a message when we discussed it during the town hall briefly last town hall and i said is this about the second amendment i said that's a tertiary or a second yeah, secondary a, tertiary it's it's actually about you your right your to self-defense body. right yeah, do you own your body or someone else look here's right. what i know <clears throat> if i get pulled over by a cop 
I pull over so I'm safely off the road. I turn on the inside light. I put my hands where they can see them. Yes, they're not they're not there to entertain arguments. They're looking for threats and they're they're coming keyed up. So I'm gonna not key them up. I'm gonna let you know be cool, right? That's the rule from Pulp Fiction. Be cool, right? Yeah. And then uh, the other aspect is oh, I had it there. Uh, oh, the other thing I know is <clears throat> if I try to take somebody's weapon that is strapped to them. And I try to take that away. I'm probably going to get shot. I know that as an adult male human being, regardless of my skin color, regardless of my skin color, right. I know if I try to take this dude's weapon, he's going to shoot me. That's why sane people don't go grabbing after random people's guns in the street like that. Right. Right. 100%. right? And as far as the other guy, Grosskreutz, his gun was out many times before that he time. Pointed he pointed it at around. him before he, he, he shot him. He, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, it was out during the running down the street and stuff. So he wasn't like, oh, I pulled it out after Kyle accidentally, you know, flagged me with his barrel and he did go around the side and he was about to execute that kid. That's right. And That's he right. lost his bicep. He got off lucky, but then yeah, he went exactly. on good morning America and lied about, he said the exact opposite thing than his testimony under oath, but it was mostly peaceful. Also. It was mostly peaceful. And they're out there supporting systemic racism. You know, yeah. they weren't out there to commit violence. It's not like uh, Rosenbaum or whatever is swinging a chain and gross that you know, he didn't have a gun or if he did have a gun, it was for Lots his own self-defense. You know, that's, that's, <laughs> it's just, it's so absurd how inverted the whole narrative and the whole situation was. Um, and it's even more disturbing. You know, I, I went, I went on some liberal media outlets like Yahoo and MSNBC, CNN, you should see the shit they're saying about after the acquittal. Um, they're trying to do everything because just like the steel dossier, they, they've just double, triple, quadruple down because if they, you know, they did it with Ivermectin with the Sanjay, uh, Gupta or whatever, you know, right. So it's yeah. just, it's the same. Yeah, yeah. They can't, they it's will never toxic. admit that they're just lying. Even though they've been caught so many times at this point, it's become a tired bromide or cliche of the culture for those who are at least half aware. I mean, so I think I the know. answer to that is to create refreshing new media that gives comparison and contrast so that people have contradictions that they then have to resolve. Those contradictions can only be there when, you, when independent media puts the contrast there. And then it can create the splinter in the mind where people are like, wait a minute, I thought Dr. Fauci said this, but you know, the, yeah, the evidence Dr. says Fauci this, yeah. right? So contradictions cause the splinters in the mind because as logic and reason exist, the contradictions don't exist in nature. They're only well, created by the arm of man through uh, con you know, it, it misinterpretation of that which exists. That's correct. It's through the misinterpretation of, between the comparisons and contrasts of objective reality. But there's also the need, I think, to go back to what James Corbett was pointing out of, of crafting narrative because... It's more than just the contradictions. Half the country is build, believing in an ideology of systemic rate. They, they have this ideological focus that is so detached from reality. How do we build maybe a new story that, yes, points to the contradictions, but can get, build, use, be used as a bridge to even get them to consider that the contradictions even exist? Because they're not even going to entertain that. Hence why cultural Marxism, they don't, they're not going to... Cultural Marxists is the Shapiros and the, the Crowders and that sort of crowd has found out they don't, they go on campus all the time. They try to debate these people and then they just pull a fire alarm, right? And that's, that's the new strategy. They, they know they don't have any evidence or, or grounds on which to stand or debate. So they have to use diversionary tactics, sometimes violent tactics. If we don't use our words to communicate, I think Stefan Monu once said this, what do we have left? Violence. That's it. Either the violence, the right to defend yourself. Or for oh, by the way, that's the tool they have a monopoly on. 
That's and correct. use our tax to- tax dollars and trying to take away our side. ability to you know have the tools to. So Sun Tzu would say that would be the last place you want to interface with that opposition. <laughs> I'm just saying that's, that's right, my argument right. for peace and right. outthinking them and, and winning the info war through creative media that actually mm-hmm. points people to reality, as yeah. opposed to like trying to take up arms against our oppressor in a traditional sense. Because Quigley said it. Uh, and weapon systems and what was it? What's the book called? Weapon systems in the future of humanity, something like that. Um, that it, since the 1930s, the, the the government's been able to have such mechanized warfare that it makes the individual citizens' armaments obsolete. In comparison, it's not like 1776 where they had muskets weapon and systems musket and balls. political stability. We had cannons and cannonballs too, and muskets and cannons fought both sides of the war. And now they got you know. They got advanced stuff. Oh, it's a different type of warfare. It's asymmetrical. It's you know what? It's 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 a warfare that's fifth generation, abstract and conceptual on fifth generational warfare. It's a completely using second order cybernetics. Yes, right. Using these mediated interfaces as as the new technology that's being employed to condition and and control humanity. And so I think that's an important point to point out because I I love going back. I mean, this is terrible to say, but I like watching the great battles in history. I've uh, recently been going through Napoleon and his his whole uh, situation in the nineteenth late eighteenth and into the nineteenth century, and it's just interesting to witness how because it was so much more straightforward back then. Maybe that's why I appreciate it more. It was mono e mono, um, similar tactics. You're meeting on a battlefield. You have this many men. You can employ such tactics in so many different ways to, in order to to uh, manifest your strategy. However, you're going to do so. This is not. We're never. We're not in that type of war anymore. In fact, we can't even be in that type of war anymore with the technology that exists. So it's, we're in a whole different, it's a war purely of abstraction and concepts right now. And whether or not we're going to give in to the, the mind control narratives that they're pushing forward, or if we're going to be able to build a bridge that gets us back to reality and gets people to wake up. So we'll have to see how, what, what happens over time and we, we can be successful in this. But the more, the more they do this to individuals, take away people's right to, to be able to provide themselves on a base of like Maslow's hierarchy, like meeting those basic needs. If more and more that becomes threatened, people are going to start asking more questions that I'm hoping that that bridge gets built by the adversaries that we've been pointing out by just them pressuring people too much. Now, I believe they know that. But they when people go into those states of need where it's like, oh, the food's not coming to the, sh- the grocery store, we better find out what the world... It's almost too late to do that because you're not prepared. That, you don't have I the know. comfort you need to do that advanced learning. And then they go to the, the solution that the powers that be want them to. And they know that. So that's the thing I'm most afraid of. Like I'm hoping they push it too far too quickly, but I, they know how to do the carrot stick approach. They know how Stockholm syndrome works. They have yeah. us mapped out totally. So this is it is a concern, but I keep hoping they'll trip up just a little bit, but We'll have to see. We got to educate that wider audience. All right. Before we could do that, we got to get to uh, the Fauci flu and the Wuhan crew. I want to play the Jimmy door yep. uh, clip first LD. If you can, uh, it's the second clip the second in the show one. card um, because I thought that was such a great uh, mosaic of Fauci versus Fauci. And like, if you just present that to somebody who doesn't know anything about this, be like, how are you supposed to make heads or tails of this? And yet this is the authority. And this is what millions of hundreds of millions of people are doing. So I think it's good to uh, to get on the record. Let's go to Jimmy Dore, uh, and he's gonna he's gonna play you some Fauci versus Fauci in a way that you haven't seen before. So guess what? Dr. Fauci, again, is being exposed, this time in Newsweek magazine, uh, how Fauci fooled America. 
This is an opinion piece printed in Newsweek, but who were the people who wrote it? Martin Kuldorf, uh, he's a PhD and epidemiologist, biostatistician, and professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. That's a lot. J. Bahachajhara, MD, PhD, is a professor of health policy at Standard Stanford University School of Medicine. Okay, ready? So here's what they're they're really laying it down. Well, we've broken it down for you many times here that Fauci is a pathological liar captured by Big Pharma, and he won't even tell you that we should have Medicare for all because that would have reduced the deaths from COVID by 200,000 people. He never mentions it. Why do you think that is? The head of, anyway, here we go. Uh, when the pandemic hit, America needed someone to turn to for advice. The media and public naturally looked for Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, an esteemed laboratory immunologist, and one of President Donald Trump's chosen COVID advisor. I always forget that Dinette, Donnie Tunahan's Used his, he was Fauci was Donnie tiny handed picked by Donald Trump to be on the COVID advisory committee. I always forget that Trump picked him to be on the advisory committee. Anyway, here's what they say. Unfortunately, Dr. Fauci got major epidemiology and public health questions wrong. Reality and scientific studies have now caught up with him. Natural immunity. Here you go. By pushing vaccine mandates, Dr. Fauci ignores naturally acquired immunity among the COVID recovered, of which there are more than 45 million in the United States. In fact, we just looked it up. It's we it's up to 47 million people who've had COVID. And mounting evidence indicates that natural immunity is stronger and longer lasting than vaccine induced immunity. In a study from Israel, the vaccinated were 27 times more likely to get symptomatic COVID than the unvaccinated who had recovered from a prior infection. That's quite a stat, don't you think? That that should enter into whether they should be mandated to get a vaccine or not? I think so. Dr. Fauci doesn't have a strong answer for us on that. Under Fauci's mandates, hospitals are firing heroic nurses who recovered from COVID they contracted while caring for COVID patients. So these people are the heroes who would go into those hospitals in the ICUs and work on people with COVID, contracted the COVID, risked death themselves, got better, and now they're going to fire them. So those people aren't cowards. Because they're willing to go work with people who had COVID when there was no vaccine. Those are the exact kind of people they should be hiring. People with natural immunity and that kind of courage. But instead, we're, ter- we're throwing them into the dustbin of our culture. With their superior immunity, they can safely care for the oldest and frailest patients with even lower transmission risk than the vaccinated. After more than 700,000 reported COVID deaths in America, we now know that lockdowns fail to protect high-risk older people. When confronted with the idea of focused protection of the vulnerable, Dr. Fauci admitted he had no idea how to accomplish it, arguing that it would be 
impossible. That may be understandable for a lab scientist, but public health scientists have presented many concrete suggestions that would have helped and had Fauci had Fauci and other officials not ignored them. What can we do now to minimize COVID mortality? Well, current vaccination efforts should focus on reaching people over 60 who neither who are neither COVID recovered nor vaccinated, including hard to reach, less affluent people in rural areas and inner cities. Instead, Dr. Fauci has pushed vaccine mandates for children, students, and working-age adults who are already immune, all low-risk populations causing tremendous disruption to labor markets and hampering the operation of many hospitals. School closures, that's another one. So schools are major transmission points for influenza but not for COVID. While children do get infected, their risk for COVID death is minuscule. We've reported this before. Lower than their already low risk of dying from the flu. So a child has such a low risk of serious illness or hospitalization from COVID, it's so low it can't be measured. In fact, it's so low it's less than the flu. And Fauci wants to inoculate every one of them. And then people would say, yeah, well, you got to inoculate the kids so they don't spread it to their grandparents and kill their grandparents. Hey, why aren't their grandparents vaccinated? Get your grandparents vaccinated because vaccines only protect yourself. We've already found out that people who get COVID and are vaccinated can shed the virus and are just as likely to spread the virus as someone unvaccinated in their house. That's a Harvard study. So that's why that's a, that's not a good argument of why you should vaccinate children so they don't spread it to their grandparents because everybody spreads it when they get COVID, even the vaccinated. So that doesn't make sense. Why would you push vaccines on children when they have almost uncalculable risk of it? It's incalculable so low. Why would you do that? And it doesn't matter about spreading it because everybody spreads it when they get it. Why would you do that? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, Big Pharma. Throughout the 2020 spring wave, Sweden kept daycare and schools open for all of its 1.8 million children, ages 1 to 15, with no masks, testing, or social distancing. The result? Zero COVID deaths among children and COVID and a COVID risk to teachers lower than the average of other professions. Now, Sweden did have like nine kids who died of COVID, but they didn't catch it in school. That's not where that came from. So the result, zero COVID deaths among children. So, um, and by the way, you can't really go by Sweden, right? Because they do a lot of crazy shit, like they have national health care for all their citizens, you know. (laughs) They have national health care for everybody. In the fall of 2020, most European countries followed suit with similar results. 
considering the devastating effects of school closures on children. Dr. Fauci's advisory for school closures. Advocacy. All right, let's start that over. In fall 2020, most European countries followed suit with similar results. Considering the devastating effects of school closures on children, Dr. Fauci's advocacy for school closures may be the single biggest mistake of his career. Well, is that really the biggest mistake? I would have thought it was funding an all-you-can-eat bat soup buffet at the Wuhan labs. Well, maybe that was his biggest mistake. Well, that and also approving puppies having their faces eaten alive by insects. That could have also been. But it's up there. It's definitely up there. How about masks? Now, we've shown you how he, he lied about masks, then said he was lying about masks. Now you can trust him about masks. And then he lied about herd immunity. Then he said, now you can trust him about herd immunity. Then he lied about funding gain of function. And he lied to Congress. And he never he never corrected that lie. And he should be in jail. Masks. The gold standard of medical research is randomized trials. And there have now been two on COVID masks for adults. For children, there is no solid scientific evidence that masks work. A Dana study found no statistically significant difference between masking and not masking when it came to coronavirus infection. Huh. Well, sure, it makes no statistical difference, but it does make shit libs feel safer. (laughs) And isn't that what science is really all about? In a study in Bangladesh, the 95% confidence interval showed that masks reduce transmission between 0 and 18%. Hence, masks are either of zero or limited benefit. There are many more critical pandemic measures that Dr. Fauci could have emphasized, such as better ventilation in schools or hiring nursing home staff with natural immunity. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people say, well, I'll take the 18%. I'll take it. I'll take the, right? Isn't that what a lot of people are going to say? I think that's what a lot of people are going to say. How about contact tracing? For some infectious diseases, such as Ebola and syphilis, contact tracing is critically important. But for a commonly circulating viral infection, such as COVID, it was a hopeless waste of valuable public, public resources that did not stop the disease. This is correct. Collateral public health damage. Now, we, I brought this up at the beginning of this. Collateral public health damage, a fundamental public health principle, is that health is multidimensional. The control of a single infectious disease is not synonymous with health. As an immunologist, Dr. Fauci failed to properly consider and weigh the disastrous effects of lockdowns would have on cancer detection and treatment. I know my favorite dental hygienist found out she had cancer, but she didn't find out till it was almost too late when it was already stage three because she couldn't go in to get her cancer. It looked at because of coronavirus. So that speaks, I have a personal experience with this. 
Wow, he, he failed to properly consider and weigh the disastrous effects lockdowns would have on cancer detection and treatment, cardiovascular disease outcomes, diabetes care, childhood vaccination rates, mental health, opioid overdoses, to name a few. Americans will live with and die from this collateral damage for many years to come. How about the alcoholism rate? I bet it went sky. My doctor told me, she said, everybody who I see is drinking more. I, we drink more. We started drinking. We started having two cocktails every night. We never did that before. Um, in private conversations, most of our scientific colleagues agree with us on these points. While a few have spoken up, why are not more doing so? Well, some tried but failed. Others kept silent when they saw colleagues slandered and smeared in the media or censored by big tech. There you go. Some are government employees who are barred from contradicting official policy. Did you know that? Did you know that some government employees are actually barred from contradicting official policy? Some employees and also all establishment news outlets. <laughs> Many are afraid of losing positions or research grants. Aware that Dr. Fauci sits on top of the largest pile of infectious disease research money in the world. Most scientists are not experts on infectious disease outbreaks. Were we, say, oncologists, phys physicists, or botanists, we would probably also have trusted Dr. Fauci. Hmm. The evidence is in. Governors, journalists, scientists, university presidents, hospital administrators, and business leaders can continue to follow Dr. Anthony Fauci or open their eyes. After 700,000 plus COVID deaths and the devastating effects of lockdowns, it is time to return to basic principles of public health. Wow. You know, but I ordered a bunch of those uh, pillows with Fauci's face on them now. What am I supposed to do now? <laughs> what I was, I just, I just threw out all my Andrew Cuomo pillows. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, so just, so if you want to know who Fauci is, why don't you, just, let's just watch him lie about this. People should not be walking around with masks. Let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better and masks are protective and we but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is there has not been any indication that putting a mask on and wearing a mask for a considerable period of time has any deleterious effects by the way uh i think mark zuckerberg should be mandated to wear a mask at all times <laughs> I think it's, isn't it amazing how lifelike Mark Zuckerberg's human mask looks? <laughs> you can still tell it's latex, but it looks good overall, I would say. <laughs> Doesn't it? It looks really good. He looks, that looks good. Okay. Any deleterious effects, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying inside there? Of course. You do not need to wear a mask indoors if, in fact... You've been vaccinated. Good that you're vaccinated, but in a situation where you have people indoors, particularly crowded, you should wear a mask. So even if you are vaccinated, 
you should wear a mask. If in fact you are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, you are protected and you do not need to wear a mask outdoors or indoors. When the children go out into the community, you want them to continue to wear masks. You know, if you look at at, at children outside, particularly when they're with the family, uh, walking down the street, playing a game or what have you, don't have to wear a mask. The, 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 The pediatric, the Academy of Pediatric actually makes that recommendation that children should be wearing masks. Uh, from two years old onward. And you're asking now if your child is a member of your household, can you walk outdoors with your child without a mask? According to that chart, the answer is yes. But the child can't, not to beat it, yeah. beat it to death. Yeah. Yes, yes. Because okay. now okay. the CDC says, I mean, I think I've got this right. One mask is better than zero masks. Two masks is better than one mask. But you don't have to have double masks. Is, is that right? I mean, <laughs> you know, it became clear that cloth coverings that you didn't have to buy in a store that you could make yourself were adequate. And then you want it to fit better. So one of the ways you could do it, if you would like to, is put a cloth mask over, which actually here and here and here where you could get leakage in is much better contained are you a double masker dr fauci look like you are uh so that's the kind of guy dr fauci is and let's remember here's no uh carrie mullis inventor of the pcr test and Nobel laureate in chemistry this is what he says about fauci stuff and listen you know these guys like fauci get up there and start talking you know he doesn't know anything really about anything and i'd say that to his face nothing the man thinks you can take a blood sample and stick it in an electron microscope and if it's got a virus in there you'll know it he doesn't understand electron microscopy and he doesn't understand medicine and he should not be in a position like he's in most of those guys up there on the top are just total administrative people and they don't know anything about what's going on on the bottom you know those guys have got an agenda which is not what we would like them to have, being that we pay for them to take care of our health in some way. They've got a personal kind of agenda. They make up their own rules as they go. They change them when they want to. And they smugly, like Tony Fauci, does not mind going on television in front of the people who pay his salary and lie directly into the camera. And we just showed you how he loves to do that. And uh, But Anthony Fauci said if you criticize him, you're criticizing science. So isn't it sad to find out that a Nobel laureate chemist doesn't believe in science? Isn't that something? How, how did he even win the Nobel Prize when he hates science so much? I mean, come on. And so here, and, and, and so they're catching on, right? So in Vanity Fair, it says a major shift. NIH admits funding risky virus research in Wuhan. So I, re, I says, we've been reporting for over a year now. Fauci is a pathological liar and definitely not to be trusted on anything. Good to see the establishment hacks catching up. So now you know the rest of the social people are catching up. That was printed in Newsweek. So I think people are catching on to Fauci. People are catching on to that. Everyone's going to eventually get COVID and stop making your neighbor your enemy. Okay, your neighbor's not your enemy. The unvaccinated are not your enemy because even if you're vaccinated, you're going to spread it to someone else. And even if you're vaccinated, you're going to get it. So who do you care if you get it from? So get prepared to get it. If you're vaccinated, it will lessen your severity of your illness and your chance of hospitalization. It doesn't end it. People all the time die who are vaccinated. Uh, Look at Colin Powell just for a recent example. But uh there you go. That's the science. And that's the science on Fauci. 
I want to let you know in November 6th, we're going to be in Baltimore. November 11th. It's ironic that the most in-depth analysis of that Newsweek article on Fauci comes from uh, someone who's a professional stand-up comedian. But it makes a lot of sense. I haven't seen anyone else talking about it, about that article, the Newsweek article this week. So good find. Yeah. So what I think we should do is these next two clips are short. Let's play the uh, Sagar and Jetty and uh, the Rand Paul back to back because they're both on the same topic. Then we'll be done with this section. We can move, move on to the vaccines, therapeutics, and lockdown. That's a big section. Exciting content of oppression and despotism around the world. Glad we're not Austria or Australia right now, but let's keep those types of ideas across big wide oceans and not bring them home. And we still have the right to defend ourselves. I'm glad for that too. Yeah. Yeah, So this was a a Sagar and Jetty uh, breaking point video commentary monologue where uh, he's talking about Fauci's insane plan. And I was like, well, let's, I was a little incredulous. I checked it out. It is a legit insane plan and it's coming to a lockdown near you. Let's check it out with Sagar and Jetty. All right, Sagar, what are you looking at? Well, America is moving on from COVID. Even the hellish district of Columbia I find myself in is getting rid of its second indoor mask mandate next week. Our political discourse today has everything to do with problems caused by the COVID pandemic, but not COVID itself. Vaccine mandate debates are the last remnants, and the courts have made clear that at least that's going to take a little while before we know either way. Everyone, it seems, is over it, planning and wanting the future. Everyone, that is, except for Dr. Anthony Fauci, who in an extraordinary interview said the quiet part out loud. He revealed not only his internal thinking, but the type of neurotic and crazy mindset that dominates our White House today. Fauci, in an interview at the 2021 State Summit, said that COVID cases may need to fall to below 10,000 a day nationally before we can resume normal life. But that was just the high estimate. The lower was, to, and what he seemed to prefer, was 3,300. Just so you wrap your heads around how completely nuts that is, we have not had below 10,000 since the beginning of COVID in March. To get the measure that Fauci is talking about, it would mean one in every 33,000 people were testing positive. And Fauci says we need to be below that number. As James Sirkwecki at The New Yorker put it, even in places with extremely high vaccination rates, that is not realistic because we would be talking here about 0.003% of the U.S. population. Fauci's comment is especially dumb because if the current testing regime remains in place, there is almost no chance that we are going to reach that figure. He is setting America up for failure and paradoxically actually fulfilling one of Trump's dumbest axioms during the pandemic that we should just test less in order to get our numbers down. (laughs) He actually would be incentivizing people to do that in different states. But furthermore, why does the case count matter at all? No, it's November 2021. We have a widely available and free vaccine that prevents serious hospitalization and death. You can go out and you can get it right now if you want. If you don't and you still contract COVID, I've got good news for you. Pfizer and Merck have now applied for FDA approval of their COVID pill, which is seriously efficacious at preventing serious illness and death in those that have contracted COVID. 
On top of that, we have monoclonal antibodies and a host of other therapeutics that doctors have now learned to use in the two years that COVID has been around. In other words, the case count doesn't matter at all. Would it matter if the case count for a disease is if we had a statistically significant cure for it for the entire U.S. population, which is also free? No, of course not. That's precisely the problem with the Fauci formulation. He's not dumb enough to say COVID zero is his policy because that would be ridiculed. But he essentially laid out a path for the pandemic to literally never end when we have the tools right now to just move on if we wanted to. And make no mistake, this matters a lot. Joe Biden's White House are some of the most neurotic COVID obsessives I've ever seen. Even in our city, Washington, D.C., which has a very high vaccination rate and is basically required to have a vaccine to get into the White House itself. Even under those conditions, in this testing regime around the president of the United States, the White House announced yesterday it will still keep its mask mandate. Still keep it. That's crazy town. When our idiotic mayor who brought back masks says that we need to move on from COVID and considered an endemic disease and you're behind her, then it's a problem. It's an even bigger problem when you're the most powerful man in the entire world. What Biden and his people around him don't seem to understand is that for most people, the pandemic is over. The people who want to mask up forever, you people are welcome to be my guests. The rest of us have done, have been done and have been for a long time. What they're really finding out is that the COVID excuse is just not going to cut it anymore. White House advisor Brian Deese, he was on CNN this weekend. When he was asked about inflation, he correctly ascribed the problems to the COVID pandemic. But when he was asked about solutions, he had nothing. He kept repeating, if we end the pandemic, we end the supply chain crisis. That's actually the most stupid thing I've ever heard. The pandemic has nothing to do with truckers who are being mistreated right now at our ports, the policies that have caused a backlog of shipping containers, or, you know, construction of a 40-year just-in-time delivery supply chain. Sure, the pandemic gummed up the works, but we could go COVID zero tomorrow. Nothing would change in terms of disruptions in the supply chain for months. The same is said for the oil market, the same for food, and for every other disruption in American life. They have clung to the pandemic as an excuse for so long, they've stopped thinking about how to move forward, and the American people have taken notice. Biden's strength for the longest time was that people had COVID as their top priority, and they really trusted him to deal with it. But now, for the first time, even Biden has dropped below 50% in his handling of the pandemic, and he remains in the mid-30s on the economy as a whole. It is time to move on. Honestly, the best thing he could do for the country and for himself would be to fire Fauci and declare victory and say, okay, let's go. It's time to get going. Bring America back. Doesn't, and he probably doesn't have the capacity for that. It's a tragedy, honestly, because all of us are going to suffer for at least three more years under this type of thinking. I mean, Crystal, 10,000 cases a day nationally. That's nuts. You know, Gibraltar. Hey, guys, thanks so much for watching. That's right. Just. He was just saying how Gibraltar is 100% vaccinated and they got all these COVID outbreaks because it was false advertising on what the vaccine was all about. Yeah, they canceled Christmas in Gibraltar because of it. Santa is scared to go there. 100% vaccination rate. Cancel Christmas. They have the The highest. They canceled Christmas. It wasn't even the year of the COVID breakout when they had no therapeutics. How sad. It is. It's sad. I mean, if you watch the McCullough interview, you'd think there's, there's nothing to see here. They've got it figured out. There's a way around the government trying to put you through the ventilator to death route, which is how they make their money. Vaccine to kill you, heart attack route. And Sagar's like, yeah, there's treatments out there. It's not free. It's pennies, pennies for treatment. 
but you have to have access to it. You have to know what to do, these sort of things. And that's not being offered by CDC, the FDA, uh, the, the president, the, you know, the mainstream media. Not, they don't want you to know. They want you to go wait till you can't breathe and go to the hospital to, to get buried. Early. Don't worry. Pfizer and Merck has a drug coming out. What's Peter McCullough worry, said, yeah. one mechanism of action compared to three mechanisms of actions is something like ivermectin. And the Pfizer and Merck mechanism of action, although similar to ivermectin, well, they don't want to make you all the way better, Tony, because then you wouldn't be a client of Pfizer or Merck anymore. So they want to make you a little one third of the actions good for you. And then for <laughs> people that are in Congress, they'll take three thirds of the action, please. But there they won't. Tell over you. 200 members of Congress. That's yeah, over 200 members of Congress took the, the treatment regimen as uh, pretty much described by McCullough in that interview. Very yep. similar regimen. Yeah, the Pierre Corey's regimen. Yeah. Frontline COVID doctors. Check them out. We uh, can move now. Oh, wait, we do have the Rand let's Paul. The, yeah, let's do the, I think this is in, because this is where Fauci, I believe. I want to hear about casual disdain from Rand Paul. I think he said, I think Fauci said something to the fact that you have to give up your individual rights. Individual rights are not a thing, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, go ahead. Okay. Define have to. <laughs> How does that work exactly? Yeah. Let's check it out. That I realized one of the things that to me was most difficult to accept is that we put together a good plan for how we were going to try and dampen down the spread of infection early on, thinking that that was accepted by everybody. And then the next day, the president saying free Michigan, free Virginia. I didn't quite understand what the purpose of that was, except to put this misplaced perception about people's individual right to make a decision that supersedes the societal safety. That, to me, is one of the things that I think went awry in all of this. Did you ever raise that with President Trump? You know, I didn't have the opportunity to raise it. I was sort of like shocked. And then I didn't speak to him for some time after that. But it was at that point that I realized that I would have to just get out there myself and say things that clearly were going to be contradictory. I'm not totally sure of what the, the president was referring to, that it was much worse than we're saying it was, that it's not going to go away tomorrow. It's not going to disappear like magic. Because, you know, this virus is... So were you looking for the other... The other clip, and then is, and you got that correct, and then there should be. And, the, and while you're and looking for that, there should be the Rand no, clip right, right there. Here. Yeah, I couldn't hear anything Fauci was saying because my brain was too busy trying to figure out if he had a legit turtleneck on under that base layer shirt, or or is he wearing a dicky like Randy Quaid in Christmas Vacation? And my brain was like, it's probably Christmas a dicky. vacation, Randy Quaid. That's that, oh my god, what right a reference. There. They're having uh, the Mar Quaid Marty Moose cups. Tell me, Clark. Yeah, it's that scene. You can clearly see. It's, it's part of the scene. I have the picture. I have the picture in my mind. It's yeah. just like I haven't thought about that film in like God, like you will be thinking years. about it now. Yeah, uh, it's all Christmas <laughs> vacation from here on out to the end of the year. Didn't Randy Quaid have a moment like where shitters full. That's his most famous line in that movie. But like, didn't he have some sort of? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Recently, you showed that to me along. Yeah, recently, yeah. He had to flee the country. The gist was, Randy Quaid uh, claimed that there were people killing celebrities for insurance money, 
and he had evidence became a whistleblower and uh, did this whole speech from Vancouver airport when he like escaped America. And I didn't, I don't know what happened after that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I remember that years, but it goes back to Fauci was probably, was he wearing a dick or was it a full turtleneck? And I don't need to know the answer. It's rhetorical. It's meant to be Randy Quaidish. All right. Do we have the actual clip from uh, Dr. Rand Paul? Joe Biden campaigned on shutting down the virus, not the economy, but he didn't keep his promise, did he? The economy feels shut down to many of us, and now COVID cases surging right back up. So Dr. Fauci feels like he has no other choice but to go back on television. You may have missed what he said since you were too busy, you know, with your life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Just minor details to the Fauci master. This misplaced perception about people's individual right to make a decision that supersedes the societal safety. Fauci obviously has a problem, and that problem is that you have too much freedom. You're not putting the state first when you go out to eat or show up at your job. And his solution's very simple. Just replace everything this country was founded on and have people follow his declaration of dependence instead. Joining me now, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul. He's just casually throwing the Bill of Rights under the bus, Senator. Well, uh, alarming. I mean, alarming, one, that he has such casual disdain for individual liberty. But if you combine that with also a casual disdain for science, boy, we got a real problem. An authoritarian who also doesn't obey the science. I mean, look at this. Over 100 million Americans have had COVID. And if you ask the CDC, well, how do these people react? The people have had COVID and recovered. How often do they get sick again? Do they spread the disease very well? Oh, we don't know. We don't keep track of that. Can you imagine the guys in charge of this? We pay him more than anybody in the government. He has casual disdain for the Bill of Rights and your liberty, but he's not keeping track. He's like, CNN asked him one day, what do you think about natural? He's like, oh, that's interesting. We should look into that as if it was the first time he's ever heard of it. He's a liar and he lies about the natural immunity. He knows it works. This is a recipe for totalitarianism. It's a recipe for something we don't want in our country. It's par for the course. Fauci doesn't know anything. Mayorkas yesterday on the border, he's got no clue. Uh, I don't know. I don't have that information. Uh, Mayor Pete doesn't know anything about the supply chain. It's just ignorance is bliss, it seems like. And Fauci should know because we're paying him a boatload of dough, as you said, the highest paid guy in the federal government. Real Uh, just a little mild disdain mostly peaceful just a little disdain for science talk there from but he is the science and he's upset that we have individual rights and that you know it supersedes science all right uh, i think the next clip we should do since we're in the uh, vaccines lockdowns therapeutic section now uh, let's go to the Tim Pool FBI discover smallpox files in Philadelphia. And if I, memory serves, that's a Pfizer uh, plant that they were found at, or something. I think it was Pfizer. And then we'll go to the U.S. government signed secret treaty with Pfizer uh, after that. So yeah. we'll just swap those two on the show card right there. Yeah, because I'm interested. There's been a lot of talk over the years. I mean, Operation Dark Winter was uh, World Economic Forum. Johns Hopkins and Bloomberg didn't exist at that time, but if they did, they would have participated in that exercise. That was an anthrax outbreak, I think. 
pretty sure. I'll bring it up right now. And Anthrax had really just broken out, brought out by those people and said, death to America, Allah is great, all that sort of stuff, Mm -hmm. sending it to Tom Daschle to make sure America was real scared after 9-11, right? So there's that piece of evidence. Then uh, Gates had not only pointed toward coronavirus in his past TED Talks, but also other biologicals and things of that nature. No, 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 no. Actually, no? dark winter exercise. How to Andrews Air Force box? Base, smallpox, Washington D.C. Okay, I was right. Yeah, because twenty third, two thousand one is a fiction. I asked that question earlier, and I was like, I can't remember. Was it anthrax or smallpox? It made sense. Mm-hmm. It would be anthrax because anthrax. I thought it was anthrax out. because it just happened. But dark yeah. winter is smallpox. Okay. Yeah. Now, now, to Tim's point, Tim's like it came out from Rick Smith or Barda, the guy that we Rick Bright at barda that we pointed to in last week's podcast mm-hmm. remember oh yeah yeah i know he's yeah. like barda said this thing about smallpox and then bill gates said this thing and all the conspiracy people jumped on it and i was like well first off that's a straw man where's the action like where's the evidence of that argument it's not being made the argument being made in a in a community of people who have uh a finer attention to detail more historical context and understand that these things are ongoing they see things like operation dark winter 2001 and then all of a sudden Joe Biden starts talking about dark winter, dark winter, dark winter, and it becomes a media theme. That's a, that's a veiled reference to a smallpox operation, exercise, whatever you want to say it. And then Barda comes out, and then these other things, Bill Gates says these things, right? But I'm pretty sure Gates had talked about this in TED Talks of the past years ago, in the past 10 years. Yeah. So yeah. this has all been built up. There's So 2014, Bill Gates, capitalism did not eradicate smallpox, as the Washington right. Post. I but there's a vaccine for it, Tony, so we shouldn't worry about it, but we should worry about it because well, there's a four years before that in 2010, they said that it had been eradicated mm. thanks to the like vaccine. Polio. So, but then we'll People get into cite polio as a vaccine eradicated polio. But if I bring out United Nations Agenda 21 framework, one of their goals for the 21st century was to eradicate polio through vaccinations. They still hadn't done it yet. Well, and, and then, then when you look into it, you find out some of their vaccinations actually caused polio in kids in Africa, and they had to kick the Gates Foundation and those people out of there. Right? Yeah, that's right. And then the point about that's Bill right. Gates buying Buku Interest and all these media companies is, well, the Gates Foundation already monopolized biotech and already signed up Fauci in 2010 for the decade of the vaccine. And they already created CEPI, which told these other manufacturers that they could produce the mRNA vaccine in the first place. And there's a whole bunch of other things in play that are being left out of when, you know, that conversation when he like poo-poos it. The problem is there's what, there's a preponderance of evidence. It's not just one piece. There's multiple pieces together and they're affecting my issue with what Tim Pool said there is they are affecting the culture. He's just like, well, there's nothing to do about the culture. No, they manufacture what are culture. you talking about? They're manufacturing, they manufacturing the consent. Culture, this is all, dude. I mean, you can go from, uh, who's the, the, the crazy old dude, uh, who just said that people should be like the people who without the vaccine, how they get food. No, I'm Chomsky. That guy, uh, yeah, manufacturing Chomsky, consent. Yeah, sure. He has a book yeah, he wrote with yeah, Ed- yeah. Edward Herman, mm-hmm. and then you can go all the way to uh, Bernays, Lipman, Ivy Lee. Yeah, you're AJ, getting into propaganda, and psychological techniques of essentially human behavior and manipulating behavior and behavioral. And techniques. they openly state it. They openly yeah. state it. Like you don't have to read a whole book. You could just read the introduction to like know, he's propaganda like, by Bernays and get it. Right. They, no, it's just, just uh, that's all you need, really. Yeah. I mean, right. you can watch the four hour century of the self and see how invisible government. Yeah. The you purpose can also of shaping people's Wilson. opinions. Yeah. Either one. 
Yeah, mix them and together. Oh, I'm going to mix them again. I'm sorry. But, but Oregon watched like the, the four hour documentary by Adam Curtis, you know, the century of the self and how they applied this and how well it worked and the realm of pop PR propaganda advertisement and how effective it was. And then obviously we can get into the 50s, 60s, 70s or the behavioral studies. Um, it just becomes overwhelming. I mean, it's, it's an interesting artifact. The one issue here though, is like, he's not wrong that like we have to affect the culture, but you have to understand how they're affecting the culture. So it's yeah. just like, it, that's the issue I have with Tim Pool. He doesn't want to, I get that. I don't think, you know, James had a, a, a point to, to mention. I don't, this, just because I've watched enough Tim Pool to get an idea and I've seen him evolve over the years that I think this is just always how he's been. He doesn't want to ever go down the conspiracy, what he call it considers to be the, well, the conspiracy this way, None of route. us wanted to believe the things we currently understand today. That's true. We just That's wanted true. to understand what was going on and it went far beyond our beliefs. But unless those. he takes that next step, he's never going to be able to affect the culture as much as he thinks he's going to be able to, because right. he doesn't know how That's they're the doing potential it. I see in him as well. Right. Like what happens potential. when you can get like Corbett's conduit of information plugged into networks of millions of younger people who, who realize huge, there's huge. people that have already been there and done that and left you a much more accurate map than what's being handed out daily that you guys are trying to decipher what's going on. It's like, you can't understand it from the current events, but you can understand it with this historical knowledge set that doesn't, it doesn't take, you know, a long time but it's, it's less than 15,000 hours that it took to indoctrinate us into believing things that weren't true. Right. Understanding the truth only takes like tens to hundreds of hours of, of right. in, you know, internal work and review of that, which exists and the juxtaposition of those and the adjudication between objective reality and subjective reality by inductive and deductive logic. Correct. That's correct. And it doesn't, it's not like he has to all of a sudden recreate the wheel and do a bunch of productions that other people have done to expose Bill Gates or Jeffrey Epstein or ex, you know, George Soros or all these other, or Klaus Schwab. He doesn't have to do that. He just needs to be aware of how they are doing it. So he knows how to at least be to communicate it on a general level for a general audience and then use or backwards engineer the techniques they're using in order to affect the culture in a more efficacious, more effective way or factual way. Because uh, otherwise, he's always going to be one step behind. And then he's going to complain that he's always one step behind and the culture isn't catching up. Why isn't the culture catching up, Mr. Tim Bull? Mr. Bull, I should say. I wonder why. And so I get that he doesn't want to it's do that cybernetics, research. It's a cybernetics. He's going to have to. He's going to have to. He's going to have to wake up at some point. Well, I hope. I mean, it's good that he and Luke had spent time together. I think what Luke spent time on his property in his RV or whatever he has for quite some time. So it's good that they developed the relationship to have that conversation because you can tell they've yeah. been together for some time for them to get in that heated discussion like that. And it was, you know, I actually really appreciate that. That's that to me is a, um, not only an incredible sign of parkesia, but it also it's them being as honest and having a, a level of a relationship where they feel it's okay enough to actually call each other out. Yeah, I think that's healthy. And just have a disagreement. Yes, extremely and, healthy. And that's that what's makes, missing the most in our culture right now. Right. Right. We don't get to see that too often. No. All right. So let's go to uh, Tim's uh, delivery of the news about the FBI reporting smallpox vials found in Philadelphia. Let's find out if it's Pfizer or Merck. Get that clarification nailed down. And uh, then we'll be right back. We're currently in a pandemic. There are still lockdowns and restrictions. In fact, they're getting worse across the board in France, Austria, Germany, and the UK. They're expanding their lockdowns. 
It's pretty bad in some of these European countries where if you're unvaxxed, you have to stay home. In the UK, you now need three shots if you want to go outside. And it probably won't end there because we know what's been happening. They say after a certain amount of time, you need a booster shot. So if y'all live in the UK, get ready because it's probably only a matter of time before they say you need your fourth shot. And as everyone knows, and YouTube, I'm just kidding. On your 10th punch card, you get a free yogurt. I'm joking. Calm down, YouTube. Right now, with all of that going on, FBI investigating vials labeled smallpox found in lab near Philadelphia. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Well, hold on there a minute. Smallpox? I thought smallpox was contained in like top, like top secret and like level four biosecurity labs and only for only in like very, very small amounts. We know how BSL4 labs Smallpox work, is yeah. not fun. Smallpox coming back would be very bad. I'm not saying it is, but the FBI is investigating. I don't trust the FBI. Now, there's more to this story. I'd like uh, uh, to, to uh, I'd like my friends to get a little bit more conspiratorial than I would. But again, not really. I just want to point out what the conspiracy theorists have been pointing to and then just say, well, I think there are patterns here. I don't know if it means uh, um, what it means. But it's certainly freaking people out. And I'm not going to draw a conclusion other than to say smallpox has been in the news quite a bit. First, we have this story. Bill Gates warns of smallpox terror attacks as he seeks research funds. Bill Gates warned that bioterror could be a bigger threat than naturally occurring epidemics. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with Bill Gates in that assessment. In fact, many people are concerned about the Wuhan lab and a potential lab leak hypothesis. Not that it was intentional. I mean, maybe some people think it was. Maybe. I don't know. But that there's questions about whether or not COVID leaked from a lab. And I think for the most part, we have everything but the final piece connecting COVID to the actual chimeric viruses they were making in the lab. A reasonable person would conclude COVID probably leaked. Now, intent to leak, that's something entirely different. And that's where you get into dark territory. But that's not for me to speculate upon. Y'all can speculate on whatever you want. Bill Gates' warning of this had a lot of people in the in the uh, conspiracy space. You know, I don't I don't know if that's the right word, but they be you know they're like, ah, oh, Bill Gates, oh geez, if he's saying it's going to happen and he's worried about it, that's probably going to happen. Because uh, Bill Gates has talked about viruses and vaccines for a long time, and now here we are in a pandemic. It could just be that because he talks about it, then it happens. You falsely connect those dots. If we had a meteor strike. There'd be some other expert who's been screaming and ranting about meteor strikes and people would be like, he was saying it was going to happen. Yeah, well, I mean, the short answer is maybe Bill Gates was just right. Now, you look at this story, Bill Gates warning of smallpox terror attacks, and a lot of people get conspiratorial. But I got to then bring it to uh, let's see. Here we go. FDA approves new drug against weaponized smallpox June 10th. That's the date. Bill Gates was November 9th. So let's not act like this is evidence or indicative of a greater conspiracy. The reality is Bill Gates just read the news. Bill Gates is just saying something because he read a news article a long time ago. This is what they do to Trump, right? Trump would see an article in the news and it would be like, dog, you know, quick brown fox jumps over a lazy dog. And then Trump would come out and be like, did you see this? The quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog. And then people would be like, Trump lies about the quick brown fox. It was actually sluggish and slow. And it was more of a light beige Trump would see something in the news, say it, and then it would act like Trump made it up. 
And that's some that's comparable to what we're seeing here. Bill Gates says something because he saw it in the news. And now people are acting like he's involved or whatever. I'm not a fan of the guy. OK, he said creepy things, but I'm just, you know, I'm pointing that out. We got to be rational and reasonable as we ca- as, as we wa- work through this stuff. That being said, it is quite creepy that the FDA says there's a new drug against weaponized smallpox. Bill Gates later comes out and says, I'm worried about weaponized smallpox. And then the FBI finds vials labeled smallpox in Philadelphia. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't know what to expect other than I'm going to go crawl into a cave and never come out. That's a joke, by the way. But here's the story from Yahoo News. They say the FBI and the CDC are investigating questionable vials labeled smallpox found in a freezer last night at a Merck facility outside Philadelphia, according to an alert sent to the Department of Homeland Security leadership on Tuesday night. There are reportedly a total of 15 vials, according to the unclassified, quote, for official use only alert, a copy of which was obtained by Yahoo News. Five of the vials were labeled as smallpox and 10 were labeled as vaccinia. The vials were secured immediately. What is this? Vaccinia? Is it possible that smallpox vaccine and smallpox? Yo, what are they doing at that Merck facility? The discovery of the vials prompted a lockdown of the facility, which has since been lifted. The FBI and CDC launched investigations, which remain ongoing. Quote, There's no indication that anyone has been exposed to the small number of frozen vials. The frozen vials labeled smallpox were incidentally discovered by a laboratory worker while cleaning out a freezer in a facility that conducts vaccine research in Pennsylvania, a CDC spokesperson told Yahoo News. CDC, its administration partners and law enforcement are investigating the matter, and the vials contents appear intact. The laboratory worker who discovered the vials was wearing gloves and a face mask. We will provide further details as they are available. Now, I just want to pause for a second, right? I'm not a fan of conspiracies. You know why? The CDC is saying this. It was a lab worker who discovered this. I got to be honest. Conspiracies happen. There's a lot of stuff that's happened throughout history with the government and corporations and elites. When they conspire to do things, it happens. But this sounds like maybe... They had old garbage in a freezer. I mean, for real, like this, this, and this is actually more worrying. It, a, a, a lab worker found it and said, whoa, this is kind of freaky. And maybe the reality is it's been sitting there for a long time. No one noticed. They went in there and saw it and said, hey, we can speculate on a lot of things. But if someone who worked there didn't know it was there and then reported it, it sounds more likely that there's no conspiracy. There's no secret plot. Something bad happened or there, I'll put it this way. Maybe there is some conspiracy, but it doesn't involve the lab. It doesn't involve the CDC or whatever. If you want to get really circuitous or conspiratorial, you can say that this is all part of their plot to discredit any idea of a potential conspiracy. Now, look, somebody found it, but somebody put it there. So I'm curious as to how it got there and what vaccinia means and if they're working on a vaccine. I'll tell you this. We know the FDA approves a new drug. Check this out. Let me, uh, this is from, uh, let, let me read this. Let me read this and we'll go back to the other one because this is important. The FDA has approved a new drug to treat smallpox, fearful of a possible bioweapon attack. The U.S. has been steadily preparing a defense through BARDA, the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority. Tecovirumet was the first drug for smallpox approved in 2018. The FDA granted the new drug, Brin, wow, Brinson. Brincidofir. Brincidofovir. Brincidofovir. I think I got it right, guys. Fast track status 
and orphan drug designations in 2018. The new approval came under the FDA's animal rule. Drug testing usually goes through several phases prior to approval versus preclinical testing. Yeah, yeah, we get it. Phase three broadens the population. We get it. But that's now how it worked for brincindifavir. The animal rule recognizes that some investigational treatments cannot be tested for a specific indication in people. This happens for infections where it is dangerous and unethical to expose people to an agent. Smallpox is one such infection. They go to mention blah, blah, blah. What I'm interested in is who's who's developed the drug. They just say there's a new drug they've approved for weaponized smallpox. I'm wondering who was developing it. I don't know. BARDA, I guess, is a biodefense lab. So sure. The reason I bring that up is because I'm wondering why Merck... They, they, and, and by the way, they produce large quantities of ivermectin and, and they have a new pill uh, for COVID. I believe they're producing it. Why they had smallpox in this lab. If this worker didn't know they did and didn't know why it would be there and then reported it, it could be the CDC didn't know either. It could be nefarious actors have been doing illicit research. I wouldn't be surprised. We've learned a whole lot about lab leak theory and what was going on with the Wuhan lab and this funding. So maybe. There's confidential classified operations or just rogue actors. I can tell you this. You want to come to me and say there's no conspiracy. And I'll say probably I don't really like to believe in that stuff. Show me evidence to draw a conclusion. Don't jump to the conclusion. But I can tell you one conclusion right now. And that is the vials labeled smallpox were there, which means someone made the labels. Someone made the vials. Someone filled the vials. Someone put them there. Why, how, and how did we not know that was happening until a lab worker found it? They say, CDC, its uh, its administration partners, and law enforcement are investigating the matter, and the vials' contents appear intact. The laboratory worker who discovered the vials was wearing gloves and a face face mask. We will provide further details as they are available. Smallpox, a disease caused by the variola virus, is considered so deadly that only two labs in the world are authorized to store samples of the virus, including one in Russia and the other at the CDC in Atlanta. That's that. That was my understanding that they're like in deep freeze level four biohazard facilities that are controlled, the CDC and and Russia. How it ended up in Philadelphia. Always also worrying. Bioterror. Criminal actors, just for profit actors. I don't know. I don't know. And you don't either. But it is creepy. Scientists have debated for years whether to destroy any remaining samples, citing the danger of a mishap that could unleash a disease that has been eradicated since the 70s. Those in favor of keeping samples have argued they are needed to to develop new vaccines in response to an outbreak. The majority of Americans are not vaccinated against smallpox, and those who were vaccinated would likely now have waning immunity. The CDC will arrive on site tomorrow to take custody of the vials and transport them to another facility for testing. The alert notes, no personnel were reportedly exposed to the material. DHS and FBI did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Bill Gates warned about this. Maybe Bill Gates is just right. I'm not a big fan of the guy for a lot of reasons, but maybe he's just right. The Independent reports Bill Gates has warned governments to prepare for smallpox terror attacks and future pandemics by investing billions into research and development. Mr. Gates has made the comments in a policy exchange interview with the chair of the Health Select Committee, Jeremy Hunt. He said that countries like the U.S. and the U.K. must spend tens of billions to fund the research, adding that while it may be expensive, it could lead to the eradication of the flu and common cold. Quote, I'm hoping in five years I can write a book called We Are Ready for the Next Pandemic, but it'll take tens of billions in R&D. The U.S. and U.K. will be part of that. It'll take probably about a billion a year for a pandemic task force at the WHO level. 
which is doing the surveillance and actually doing what I call germ games where you practice. The Microsoft founder suggested that the germ games could prepare nations for bioterror, such as smallpox attacks on airports. Mr. Gates warned that bioterror caused epidemics could be worse than naturally occurring ones. Mr. Gates shown a light on the beneficial medical innovations that could come out of increasing investment into research and development. The nice thing is a lot of the R&D we need to do to be ready for the next pandemic are things like making vaccines cheap, having big factories, eradicating the flu, getting rid of the common cold, making vaccines just a little patch you could put on your arm. Things like that will be incredibly beneficial, even in the years when we don't have pandemics. He added, he'll continue to talk about pandemic preparedness is part of his work as a philanthropist. He said, so along with the climate message and the ongoing fight against diseases of the poor, pandemic preparedness is something I'll be talking a lot about. And I think it'll uh, it'll find fertile ground because, you know, we lost trillions of dollars and millions of lives and citizens expect their governments not to let that happen. I don't know why Bill Gates all of a sudden became this expert on all this stuff. He's a salesman. He's a computer guy. He bought someone's operating system, sold it to IBM for a, a royalty on, on, on personal computers, made a lot of money, and then started Microsoft, hired people, and developed a graphical user, user interface. And I don't think he was even the first to do it. I think Apple might have been. I'm not entirely sure. I guess technically the DOS shell was the first graphical user interface, but like, I guess technically that doesn't really count. No, I guess it does. I, I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of whatever DOS shell was because most of you probably don't know. But anyway, I, I digress. I'm not going to talk about the computer stuff. All of a sudden, this guy who's a computer guy is talking about medical issues around the world and all of these things. And I get it. If you're rich, you're involved. But this guy's not an expert. That's what we need to realize. He's not an expert. That being said, I'm not going jump to jump to the conclusion of no matter what he's saying, it's bad. Yo, if he's warning about this stuff, like bioterror stuff, okay, I don't care who is warning about it. Take it seriously. Let me explain to you why. We have this story from Yahoo. I covered this back when it happened because this is from March. This is from March of last year. Border Patrol stopped a Chinese biologist carrying viable SARS-MERS viruses at Detroit airport in 2018. Chinese biologist. China's an adversary to the United States. Why is this guy carrying viable SARS and MERS viruses? Yeah, it's, it's SARS-CoV, uh, what is it? SARS-CoV-2, uh, is that the, the COVID virus? CoV-2? So COVID is a SARS virus and there's MERS viruses. What are they doing? This is reckless. This happened. U.S. Customs and Border Patrol agents at a Detroit uh, Metro Airport stopped a Chinese scientist carrying vials believed to contain the MERS and SARS viruses in November 2018, just a year before the first reported Wuhan coronavirus case, according to FBI tactical intelligence report obtained by Yahoo. Inspection of the writing on the vials and the stated recipient led inspection personnel to believe the materials contained within the uh, contained within the vials may be viable Middle East respiratory syndrome and severe acute respiratory syndrome materials. The report reads the vials were labeled antibodies and the unnamed scientist said he was asked to deliver them to a researcher at, at a U.S. institute. Here's why I bring this story back up because I did cover it a long time ago. Dirty stuff happens. And if you think there's no conspiracies, you're wrong. Now, I'm not a big fan of conspiracy theories because I need evidence to move from point A to point B to point C to point D. And often what you get with conspiracy theories is someone saying point A to point D, and they skip over all these logical pathways and potentialities. But when we have a story going back a few years and worse still, we have this from January of 2020. Harvard University professor and two Chinese nationals charged in three separate China-related cases. 
when you have stories like that, it sounds like people are plotting behind the scenes to do illegal things. Conspiracy doesn't mean grand global plot to take over the world. It could mean two dudes being like, we'll make a hundred grand if we can smuggle this into the country. They conspire could to commit be both some criminal there, act. Tim. But there's a potential danger to all of us. It's what I think people need to realize, too, about conspiracies. It's often like this big corporation or this government. And it's like, what if it was two dudes? What if it was literally two dudes who are like, yo, I got a guy who wants to buy this. Why? He wants to get it to a lab. There's no big corporation involved. It's two dudes. And so they, pla they plan something. Some guy smuggles something. He brings it in. They get paid. And then after the guy gets paid, the guy's carrying the vial and he's smuggling it in and he drops it and it shatters. And then boom, virus flies up in the air. A lot of people want to take it to the most grandiose place possible when talking about conspiracies, but conspiracies can be, look, uh, uh, how about this? Two janitors at a bio lab realize if they smuggle this out and transport it across state lines to a new facility, someone's willing to pay them a big, a big buck for it, and it's just criminals. That's it. There's no evil CEO, no billionaire, no government actor. It's just two janitors. And then when they drop the violent shatters and the virus spreads, people will be like, the government did this, blah, 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 when it was literally like two janitors. So we don't know who's enacting these conspiracies or why. Now, I will point out, check this out. This is interesting. This is, this is a DOJ release from January 28th, 2020. They say, Department of Justice announced today that the chair of Harvard University's chemistry and chemical biology department and two Chinese nationals have been charged in connection with aiding the People's Republic of China. Dr. Charles Lieber, yeah, okay, so we know the names, Dr. Charles Lieber, uh, Yan Qingye, Xiao Song Sheng, 30, a Chinese national was arrested on December 10th, 2019 at Boston's Logan International Airport and charged by criminal complaint with attempting to smuggle 21 vials of biological research to China. On January 21st, 2020, Sheng was indicted on one count of smuggling goods from the U.S., and one count of making false, fictitious, or fraudulent statements. He has been detained since December 30th, 2019. Now that's where I come in on the other side. This was criminal charges of people attempting to help the Chinese Communist Party with, by smuggling biomaterials to them. Interesting. Now I don't know what these biomaterials were, but hold on. When was this? On December 10th, 2019 at Boston's Logan International Airport. Someone secretly working for, for the People's Republic of China with biological samples? Hypothetically. And I don't believe this is true. I'm just saying, what if COVID was a, wasn't a lab leak in the way we realize it was literally a Harvard professor and two dudes smuggling viruses and getting contaminated? Doesn't account for And what if function. the reason they don't tell us is because, I mean, that would be a huge international scandal and could potentially spark a war. Acting uh, espionage on the behest of China results in a major pandemic. I'm not sure, saying this is related in any way, but look at the timeline. January 28th, they announced this 2020. Hey, what was going on then? It's interesting, isn't it? I don't think there's any reason to connect <laughs> those dots or speculate beyond this, because we do have this story from Yahoo going back to 2018 ahead, about how they were doing. All right. So uh, I got something here on screen. It might be uh, considered a piece of evidence. This can, comes from the Carnegie uh, Philanthropic Foundation, the endowment, uh, Carnegie.org. There's a link on it. Uh, in this picture, you can see such illustrious internationalists such as David Rockefeller, Bill Gates Sr., George Soros, 
And there's a guy called Tony Fauci. He's in there too. This is 2001, by the way, because David Rockefeller published his memoirs in 2001 and he passed away uh, probably shortly right after this picture. George Soros is still out there. Tony Fauci, I'm not sure what he's doing today. Uh, and there's a couple other notable people in that photo. But let me now show the importance because someone might say, well, they took a photo together. What's that mean? And I love it when people say stuff like that because then I say, well, what does that mean? What is the Carnegie Foundation? What is, what is, the, what is the grammar? What is this foundation that's given this freedom uh, award medal type thing, philanthropic organization? What is it? Oh, <clears throat> was it part of uh, uh, the Dodd report, the Reese Committee Foundation report? Say, yeah, we're going to uh, found the guilty Carnegie of un-American activities along with yeah. the Rockefeller Foundation and the Ford Foundation. And it goes uh, actually, great- Rich, let me just—that's yeah, a great point because yeah. when I, when I I think the very first time I hosted by myself, I read through some of the foundations. Um, uh, was that the Renee Worms or the Renee Worms or Renee Worms foundations? Are, their power and influence is correct. written by the lawyer for the right. race committee, Renee Worms or very good piece of evidence. Very good piece of evidence. Go ahead. But I remember in that, so he talks about culture. He talks about affecting culture. Carnegie and Rockefeller, specifically in that book, are charged with affecting the culture. They went after the culture and wanted to turn over cultural values in America through education and weaponizing social science specifically. So there he's complaining about how do we affect the culture well, here is a committee that shows that they were directly affecting the culture to bring in more sort of uh, to bring in sort of a it was before critical race theory, but to certainly bring in a whole different um, oh yeah, that changed the attitudes, values, behaviors, yeah. and beliefs of Americans to be Correct. more in line with the communist ideas. And I read the Soviet Union. Out of that. That's right. explicitly what the internationalist, globalist, nonprofit foundations, which are not a conspiracy. They are a very real thing. This is the very real book that Tony was just referring to. And I have several copies of this book. This one you can see has a bunch of pages marked in it. This is the Dodd Report, the Reese Committee on Foundations. And this is is the Congressional Report. Norman Dodd was a research director. You can read his forward. You can read in 1933 to 1936, a change took place, which so drastic as to constitute a revolution. Uh, They also indicated conclusively that the responsibility for the economic welfare of America had been transferred to heavily uh, to the executive branch of federal government. And in seeking to explain this unprecedented phenomenon, he goes through and they identify which foundations have foundations, use their resources for purposes contrary for uh, which they were established. Are these resources and purposes used uh, classes on American? And they go through and then they say uh, the Ford Carnegie and Rockefeller. They were the big three that they mentioned right. over and over and over again, all over that book, especially in weaponizing right. social sciences to change culture, change cultural attitudes in America to accept more Soviet ways. These foundations also drove the CIA, the creation of the CIA, drove Correct. MK Ultra, Operation Paperclip, all these sort of things. Yeah. Uh, the Carnegie Corporation in New York, the Ford Foundation, uh, control over human behavior. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, this is a congressional finding. Maybe we should actually understand what's going on. In conclusion, it seems credible that the trustees of these organizations of typically American fortune-created foundations should have permitted them to be used to finance ideas and practices incompatible with the fundamental concepts of our Constitution. Yet there seems evidence that this may have occurred, right? So he presents the evidence very objectively, saying, hey, there's evidence that you got to go through and read it. We can go through. uh, Objectively. Oh, my God. It's unreal. Uh, Like, it's just page after page after page of specifically how they did it. 
where, who, how much money was spent, what universities they went to, who were the specific directors of their university or those programs within, in the universities, particularly in the social sciences department. It's, it's a scathing uh, expose. Now, if um, someone like Tim or, or Ian were to look at Norman Dodd, the, the G. Edward Griffin interview, right? Ian's always talking about Federal Reserve. G. Edward Griffin's the, <laughs> the grandfather of that movement, creature from Jekyll Island, along with and where did that come from? Secrets of Federal Reserve. Yes, yeah, right. All right. And, uh, and, and uh, Ed Griffin and also Stan Monteith did interviews with Norman Dodd, who created the Reese Committee Report. And he was like 94, but he's a Yale graduate. He's very, very well spoken. Even at that age, he was able to articulate clearly yes. with names, dates, Facts about the matter that remain to be, uh, you know, uh, they remain today to be verified and valid. So, and that accompanied by the lawyer from the proceedings, Renee Wormser, and what he has to say, there's a whole bunch of valid pieces of evidence that definitely paint out the picture, not just a few dots are connecting with lines, a whole rich tapestry of the real ruling elite that, that shape and influence the future of America. Look, I have to... You know, teaching logic, I'd be remiss if I didn't say Tim Poole certainly has a point. You need direct evidence. Um, mm. uh, you know, I can understand that that issue, but that doesn't mean we can't build context to help us if direct evidence then emerges to implicate those individuals that might be behind specific scenarios. Well, and my- there's a lot of context around Bill Gates, his history, his family history uh, when it comes to eugenics, particularly his father. Um, and what do you consider to be direct evidence? Like if someone said it in their own words that they're doing it, is that direct evidence? I offer sure. HG Wells. I offer David Rockefeller. Do you need more? Cause I do have more. No, I'm but not arguing are, against those yeah. individuals, but he, in this context, I'm just talking about in Tim Pool's context is specifically speaking about Bill Gates. When people hmm. jump from Bill Gates does, you know, says he this and then himself in the Rockefeller Foundation image I was and discovered say, how to yeah. get out of antitrust by becoming a pseudo philanthropist, just like Standard Oil and JD did. Yeah. Like there's so a connection the with the playbook. methodology of the, how the Rockefellers did it. And, and that, the picture how- that I just showed in my browser of Bill Gates' dad hanging out with David Rockefeller and George Soros. So that's where Bill Gates is coming from. Planned Parenthood, eugenics, Cold Spring Harbor. Eastern establishment Correct. families who believe in preservation of the favored races. Correct. So now that's that's great because now once it's you a build good con- club, right. depopulation. Now, now when you build context, yes, that this is where we can actually make a, a logical deduction, a judgment about it may not be certain, but it can be highly probable. There's nothing fallacious about how making a highly probable deduction. That Bill Gates has some foreknowledge and is expect, especially with the fact that he's interest has a family history of eugenics, is using the Rockefeller model to hide his philanthropic and ideals in order to create more money and more wealth than he could ever dream of when he was just uh, selling a, a, a graphical user interface uh, to the eugenics, public. Eugenics, Jeffrey Epstein. Then you have the Epstein, you have the Zorro Ranch connection. There's so much. So making that making that logical leap, it's not here's A and here's D. If you build in all this context, it's not that crazy. The conspiracy theories aren't that crazy for making that deduction that Bill Gates seems to have a philosophy where he believes that the world is overpopulated and there's all these climate issues, all these, all these supranational issues seem to coalesce with him and then in order to create a situation where he can then abuse national governments and control the mainstream narrative which is interesting that the mint news press comes out 
with over 30,000 grants and $319 million to influence um, uh, the media and his connection well, how many to vaccines. Times did we see and then if you Bill look Gates at the money, if you look at, at the, the beginning money, of the pandemic, right, how many right, times exactly. did you see that dude doing videos on coronavirus and vaccines and all this sort of stuff at the beginning? Were those his paid appearances on those channels? One has to ask. And if so, why so strategically to shape the policies of Tony Fauci and these other people? Because that's the that's the culture downstream. That politics is downstream from Bill Gates's culture of right. That's exactly okay. Right. And why is Bill Gates funding the World Health Organization along with the Chinese Communist Party? At the and same why does he support America? China? Why does he support the Chinese model? Why is he so adamant that the Chinese model, the the, the way they're doing this sort of what it's uh, communist capitalism with Chinese characteristics or some bullshit or communism, which I, they had some sort of stupid phrase, but he loves that. But in fact, the partner network that Microsoft employed is sort of that 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 model where it's all controlled by Microsoft, but the partners can use the the developmental framework in order to compete against one another and go and sell these products, but it's still all controlled by one central organization. Bill Gates so you're loves arguing that it's about control. That. Mm-hmm. But he claims to be a philanthropist. And then I'd point to uh, Club of Rome says they're philanthropists and they're clearly sure. about control. Do mm-hmm. these people know each other? Yes, they do know each other. These do groups. they network rich? Do they know? Oh, wait, do they, do they show the picture? Are they working on the same plan by Cecil Rhodes to take over the world? Maybe. Maybe. Only if you trace it back in history would you notice. But yeah, maybe there's a common place where the stream is starting. So I need to get this on the record. This comes from. A person that goes by the name of moniker Space Jelly, and actually James pointed out that she's doing. I think it's a it's a woman doing incredible work for him um, on his website in regards to going through a lot of these documents. And this kind of goes to just building again. We're just building out context right now, and I think this is important before uh, people take me to task on this. So I'm going to bring this up. I think this is from 2018, United States Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions. This is from January 23rd. 2018. This got sent to me today or was posted in the COVID news for uh, GTW subscribers. It's in the text channel labeled COVID news. Thank you again, Space Jelly and awesome research. But I just want to, I'm just going to read the bolded parts. Now I can't bring over my discord because discord doesn't allow me to remove my friends. I don't want people to see that. So I'm just going to go right to the sections. She pointed out, it is now possible to engineer new traits into old viruses. For example, it is becoming possible to take the lethality of one virus and combine it with the contagious qualities of another virus. And last week, scientists published research showing how they synthetically could create horsepox, a close viral relative of smallpox. We don't have the oversight system. We need to fully understand or manage these kinds of developments yet, either in the US or internationally. Whatever we do about this, we need to ensure that we don't slow down science that drives so many good things forward. Like I have a question. Is that like a chimera? Just gonna say the same thing like sorry, it's gonna be theory, right? Like a chimera <laughs> where you cut and paste with the no seam technique that you learned from Ralph Barrick down at University of North Carolina under Fauci's direction. CGG insert and the working with the, the 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 bat lady, Xi Jingli. Xi Jingli. They're having a party, apparently one of the bat caves. In the bat cave with Peter Dazak, because he's the Batman. So here's another bolded section. It is clear that hospitals do not have that capability. They are simply not equipped for these large for those larger events, and they are living too close to the margins with just-in-time inventories to be able to surge, making the point that hospitals will not be able to do this. Um, the U.S. government... Oh. And the U.S. government should put in place a plan for conducting research during public health emergencies to study new medicines, vaccines, and other clinical and public health interventions 
to gauge whether they are effective and safe. <laughs> we'll see how well that's worked. I'd rather we have, have uh, Dr. McCullough <laughs> and Bartlett and Pierre Corey and these guys developing early treatments in Zelenko than trust these people. Uh, <laughs> don't worry. Pfizer and Merck are coming out with a drug. That's Pfizer and Merck are coming out with it. And it's it was the just same mechanism of action as it was Merck that had the smallpox in their freezers. <laughs> But the protease inhibitor is the same mechanism of action as ivermectin. But ivermectin bad. This new ivermectin drug, bad. Or this new, new Merck drug Pfizer. good. Yeah, right. So, and we all know about Pfizer. You know, ivermectin. The, the right hand. You have the Pfizer CEOs, and then they're over here. They're at the FDA or the CDC, and we've covered that ad nauseum at this point. We don't need to mention that, like Gottlieb and so forth, or Janet Woodcock or uh, Yellen, and so forth and so. You're on. talking Scott Gottlieb. So I'm, yes, not the Gottlieb from MK Ultras because sometimes oh. I get them mixed up. Oh, They're both into human experimentation, but it's different connected decades. Somehow, family. Don't know. Some family is Adam Curtis related to Lionel Curtis? <laughs> I saw I McCullough know. in that picture. <laughs> it's different. So you got to yeah. be careful. That's where the yeah, apophenia yeah. and patternicity oh, yeah. fallacy. David McCullough. In. He was a, he so, was a, a journalist back. I know. Then. I'm being facetious, but that's you know that's just to point out that Tim is right. You can be. Sometimes people play the connect the dots and they, they will uh, pattern the patternicity fallacy. We, our mind, that's what our mind does. We notice, well, we, we once you know it's patterns. not uh, apophenia and parallel. But when you provide context by looking into the grammar, when you actually see what these people do, what they're interested in, what they finance, and what their philosophies are, a new pat, uh, it, bring, it provides context to that pattern so you can make more logical deductions and judgments that aren't always perfect. And are sometimes probable, but it's okay to make a judgment that leads to a probable conclusion. Yeah, and I think With the connecting dot process is for understanding, not for like the argumentation. For example, for example, I, I mean, I might have uh, which button does it? This one, this one. I might have connected a few dots in the past, but there's a story, and this is the raw information for that story. So if you want to know about the British conquest to recolonize America from 1781, the present, which includes the war, war of 1812, all these sort of things up to present, 20th century included, then they would have this as like a subtitle. And before that, you had the, the British Empire ruling the world and the opium uh, subjugation of the Orient continent, all sorts of fun stuff that they were doing, working in Afghanistan to prep, prep the land. The opium uh, poppy crops that we inherited today in the twenty-year Afghanistan war, all these sorts they of things. They were delivering so, culture to the rich. They were yes, benefiting of course, the they world were, they, and free you know, trade. You know all the good stuff. No they uh, they claimed that they had to bring you know a variety of new philosophies, land ownership, uh, theology, mm -hmm. uh, land ownership, taxation. It was, the, it was what they called the manifest destiny. slave ownership. The, all these concepts mm -hmm. they had to introduce uh, and formalize. For these yeah. these people, uh, you know, because uh, but it was manifest. Them. They love them. It's humanitarian. They so were when you hear people the like the Club of Rome. They're doing it for humanitarian reasons. Bill Gates, he's doing it for humanitarian reasons. George Soros, because he loves people and he thinks he's Jesus, according to his quotes in the the L.A. Times article. <laughs> he has a messiah complex. Yeah. Um, these people who are out there making plans for other people's freedom, I think it's not that they're good or bad. It's not that we have to like just do something about it. It's just like once people know that what they're seeing on TV is highly choreographed and not to help you embolden your freedom. Great. Then they tune someplace else. But as long as they th keep thinking that, you know, man in the purple sweater on, on the stage talking about the COVID and the vaccines and on all these news channels is a legit anything. He's not a scientist. He's not even a software creator. 
He's a megalomaniacal millionaire who became a billionaire who now stands on a world stage because he invested a bunch of money and somehow Rockefeller like legacy to control people through the medical system. And that was the legacy of the Rockefellers in the 20th century. So science-based medicine. Notice it's only about vaccine research. It's new bottles for old wine. (laughs) That's exactly right. I'll finish up these quotes very quickly here. Mm -hmm. So, and the U.S. government should put in place a plan for conducting research during public health emergencies. I got that on the record. So let's last one here. We have to press forward. We have to press forward on new approaches to flu vaccine. We certainly need to forge ahead as rapidly as is possible in the development of a universal flu vaccine, which could provide broad coverage to the range of flu, flu threats Excuse me, that could face the country. But our best flu scientists say that there are major technical challenges. Doesn't that remind us what we went over last week? It's the chicken or the egg problem with the vaccines. Mm-hmm. They need some mRNA. <laughs> That's right. New mRNA. Well, it will take time to develop a universal flu vaccine. Yeah, they need also a new technology. And <clears throat> it goes on to say, we do this even. Universal we do this flu even vaccine we have is code the, for mRNA because that's what they, that's from that's which, the only way they can do that's it. That's the only way they could do it. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. We do this even though we have the technology to produce vaccine using modern recombinant techniques, using new production Ooh, recombinations. approaches. Recombinations. We looked that up a couple of weeks ago, right? Yes. Recombinant. Yes, we did. And it was last week, in fact. I'm almost positive. Mm-hmm. Um, using new production of you uh, through the technology to produce vaccine using money. Okay. Using new production approaches would allow us to accelerate our response in the event of flu pandemics and also lessen the chance. Just of the in vaccine. case one happened. One <laughs> only for every century, but just in case one happens within months of writing this paper. Okay. All right. The new threats that could inadvertently come from biological research. For example, it was announced last month that the USG moratorium for funding potential pandemic pathogen PPP research is over. This is number twenty. This is January twenty third, twenty eighteen. Moratorium was up in the end of twenty seventeen. On the thing that right? Fauci said didn't exist in the first place, they had to end the moratorium on that. But you know, it's just it's ostensibly. Don't worry, Rich. It's this. They they need to understand how gain of function works for how um you know viruses can jump from animal populations or animal reservoirs to humans so they already so they have a vaccine ready to go pre- it's all for vaccine pandemics they're preventing clearly they've pandemics. done a great job just like they're philanthropists and they're humanitarians these aren't euphemisms no not at all no, they would never try to kill us with their kindness <laughs> And for example, with announcements that the USG moratorium funding potential pandemic pathogen research is over, it is possible once again to apply for USG funding. The study ways of making the world's most lethal viruses like H5N1 respiratory transmissible like seasonal flu. In the worst case, this could lead to the accidental or deliberate release of a novel strain of virus that could cause an epidemic or even a pandemic. I mean, glad Jesus that didn't fucking happen. Christ. Glad yeah, it didn't yeah. happen like that. No, not glad at all. It came from a wet mark. It makes me feel better. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and then last year, accidental or deliberate release, a novel strain of virus that could go. Okay. That's, I think that was the last point she had highlighted. So then she goes on to talk. Um, she gives me, or in the channel, she provides the Center for Health Security chair board. You have BARDA. Uh, DHS, DARPA, NIH, Science Board, you know, all these make up essentially, I guess, what make up that the this report by Inglesby. Let's go up and look who. Yeah, Tom Inglesby. Yeah. So, yeah, and John Hopkins, Bloomberg School yeah. of Public Health. Oh, there you go. From Ball. the people who brought you Event 201, practicing a coronavirus, novel respiratory virus pandemic in October of 2019. The people who knew 
there would be shortages of all this PPE and all these sort of things. And they thoughtfully went and stocked it up ahead of, ahead of time as a result of doing this war game so that America didn't have to suffer through any anything and therapeutics were widely available because Bloomberg School of Health and Johns Hopkins and, and Bill Gates and these people had Event 201 and they were able to prevent the pandemic and uh, make sure that everyone was fortified with everything they needed. That is the absolute opposite of what these people did. But it's the opposite. Rich, it's rich. the logical outcome of a meeting like that, yet they did not. I know. You're I, thinking I wish there was. Where's the, what's, that, what's that thing that Ethan says to help me out? It's a magical it's phrase. You don't have to I think mean, about it. Be, it that's uh, it. That's it. It's a magical phrase. That's it. You know, it he just, Bill Gates just saw a news article. Don't worry, Rich. He just saw a news article. He's just commenting on a news article. Nothing to say. I there. feel a lot better. I sleep better with that narrative. Um, maybe that's what makes Tim Pool sleep a little better too. Hey, one thing with Tim Pool's right, Crowder does the same thing. Like conspiracies can just be a couple of people. Yeah, we're not saying everyone. Many people who helped develop, not the not just the. What MRNA if a group of people got together and planned to take the pro take away the property of somebody else? Is that a conspiracy? That is a conspiracy. Well, I got some artifacts for Crowder. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, the funny thing is he's like, well, these people network together. And, you know, it's like, well, yeah, it's a, but it's only a couple in a large organizations with a thousand layers of complexity. Wasn't that what Gatto once said? You Dude, know, all these layers. There's of nothing going on, but I could I, I could throw my cup and hit three road scholars in any of the, the news that's in there every day. Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Zeke Emanuel, who's yeah. the doctor brother of Rahm Emanuel, who's the brother of Ari Emanuel, the Hollywood agent, who's the son of uh, the Emanuel, who was in the Irgun terrorist days of proto-Israel. There's a long history there. And then there's a whole bunch of other road scholars. George Stephanopoulos, he's chiming in about all this stuff. Yes. Uh, you got uh, Rachel Maddow. Who, I was going to say the dude from MSNBC, Rachel Maddow. The dude. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a bunch of road scholars. And I'm not saying any of them are oh, nefarious, geez. but there's there's a problem. Take the roads bill, which is a Take perfect the segue for our next. Understand oh, yeah. the influence of Oxford, a thousand year old university that fueled the British Empire, which still very much exists and now, has the Americans working as why would the road scholarship be set up, Rich? I wonder why. That's an interesting. <sighs> he question. wanted to create a secret society for some specific purpose. I remember it was in his last will and testament somewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, had something to do with America. And is it modeled off a certain other organization? Oh, uh, who who was the people that educated Fauci? Oh, the Jesuits. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Cecil Rhodes said he wanted to use the Jesuits but replace Roman Catholic Church with British Empire, and that its goal should be to bring America. But like that's not in, a conspiracy. The, it wouldn't be. No, it, uh, you know, well, from the American side, it would be. But from a British side, you wouldn't see that as a conspiracy mm. at all. So maybe that's the thing. Maybe <laughs> we should just look at it from the British side. Let's see what Alex Jones says about the stuff. I'm, I'm, we are psyched and we are now prepared for the next clip, which is United States government signed secret treaty with Pfizer worldwide medical extermination system now under corporate command. Uh, this is coming from the InfoWars people, and I'm sure they have the documents, too. Let's check it out. He read the book. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, hang on. Uh, <laughs> hold on. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. Hold, hold your horses. horses. Meanwhile, I, what it, did did you mention Epstein recently? I mean, you were talking about Bill mm -hmm. Gates and Yeah, I said Epstein in there. I said there Epstein are? and Bill Gates and Zora Ranch and you know the, the the fact that Microsoft CEOs were, you know, connected with Epstein and Careful. all that good stuff. Well, he's dead. So, <laughs> uh, you know, in general, you always have to be careful. Well, he's dead. Nothing It'd to be see good there. if we had a T-shirt that said Epstein didn't uh, McAfee himself uh, or McAfee I have, didn't Epstein himself. 
Do we have something like that around? I have a crazy. We, we do. We do. But so right now, Tony, I could use your help. Uh, I'm a little lost mm-hmm. in the show. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna real quick since we mentioned Epstein. I'm gonna show this. So go. It's at the very first first the clip on the therapeutics. Yeah. But while he gets set up, the Pope, the pedo, and the pimp beaming Ooh. Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell, blessed by the Pope. Now, this is Pope John Paul II. Uh, hold on a second. Was, There's three people in the picture, but that's just talking about. Oh, okay. They're th- Jeffrey okay. Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, blessed by the Pope, I'll showing their all powerful. Does all three. <laughs> <laughs> this is from the Sun, and it goes. So th- I wanted to get this on the record because. Pope John Paul II, from a Roman Catholic perspective, is considered one of the great popes in Catholic history. Interestingly enough, I had a friend, unfortunately, go to a very sketchy Catholic organization, loosely affiliated Catholic organization when we had just finished graduate, we graduated high school and were in college called the Legionnaires of Christ. Now we found out that the head of the Legionnaires of Christ was a notorious serial pedophile, and he helped funnel millions and millions, hundreds of millions of euros to John Paul II's Vatican. What? So I'm sure John Paul that, didn't know that, dude. So we have Epstein. Dude, we have he, he didn't the work the for IG Farben and had nothing to do with Zyklon B. John Paul II. There you go, he, too. He wasn't, uh, but hey, the story is he he drove out the Nazis in Poland. He he you know well, helps. Uh, yeah, they, oh, you didn't hear that story about how he oh. conducted a Catholic mass in Poland and like they're you know all this the propaganda around John Paul II. And he only got his job because the other guy the other guy quit after 33 days in a ritual manner. That's right, 33. I wonder if that's not it. That's a sacred number. What happened to John Paul I? Did it have anything to do with the Vatican bank scandal? Mm-hmm. And BCC. Michelle Sindona and the Black Friars, Black Friars <laughs> Bridge. And P2, <laughs> Propaganda Due, Freemasonic Lodge. Are any of these things points of history? Because I got books on these things. This is history. That's it's just not American history. Right. It's world history. It's, it's history world of control history. and banking. Say, yeah, the banking. Power it's, and influence. Uh, it's, you know, it's the most interesting. I could pull an Opus Day book off my shelf and, and show you where they're talking in that book about the Michelle Sedona Blackfriars Bridge. Like, I could do oh, that, it's a, that's a whole, yeah, I remember studying that in depth back. Oh, my God. That's, that's, I mean, they sort of immortalize it a little bit in elements, I think, of Godfather 3. They bring, like, it's a fictitious, yeah, what do you think? They yeah. have, they have, they, like, they're trying to point, point to Immobiliare. Immobiliare. Mm hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Did you get the thing up, uh, LD? Yes, we uh we got that ready to go. Do you think we can make a a life in the Jizzlane shirt? I don't know. I was thinking <laughs> about it. All right. <laughs> I don't know. Rich walks away. <laughs> That's. I'll have to get his reaction to that one. I think he'll enjoy it. Back to the show. I was laughing at that. <laughs> <laughs> what is the big announcement? Nice just just boil down for everyone so that we can get Rand Paul and Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz on board. They all know. This came out actually six months ago. And we covered it with several guests and we read articles about it and showed documents on air. But then I saw stories last night that when I first saw it on Twitter, I thought it was a joke. But then I went and looked at it, and there it was in the link to the federal court, and it wasn't even the mainstream news. They were reporting it like it was no big deal. And then it reminded me of the documents that leaked in the United States and the documents that leaked in Brazil and in the European Union. It was over 50 countries signed on to it. A secret agreement 
a secret agreement with Pfizer and the United Nations with billions of dollars of payoff money paid by Bill Gates, that's in the news today too, to the government officials and the media, well, right Gates down to reporters. I mean, small reporters got hundreds of thousands of dollars. Big ones, millions. Nothing, nothing to see there. The numbers are about four billion. Still that we looking now know for that of. check, Bill. That, Send it over. I mean, he was the bag man for. <laughs> I mean, this is just over the top. And and what do the secret agreements say? Well, we don't have but part of it, and it puts Pfizer in control of the governments, and in the response to COVID, and to all news and information. See. You've heard governments can sign treaties with foreign powers, but can those tre tre treaties supersede the Constitution and Bill of Rights? That's been argued by globalists for 100 years. That's, that's how they've been pushing the UN and, and all these bodies to transfer our sovereignty. But to say that government can contract secretly with a corporation and a consortium of corporations to control information, to control government response, and to not let the public even know what is in a shot for 50 years. And that's what came out, a document we didn't know about, but they showed it in federal court and told the federal judge, we want you to seal, because all these lawsuits, all of our secret studies and what's in these shots, and we want to be able to change what's in them for whenever we want, I mean, it's just 007 license to kill us. And the judge is like, yeah. Hasn't ruled yet, but said, yeah, that, that's what you you've got a contract with, with Homeland Security and FEMA, a contract. And so this is what Trump did to us. This is what Warp Speed and all this is, and all these other countries signed on to it. He, of course, didn't read it. And I remember Trump about two months ago did three interviews. In fact, I forgot to tell the crew to find some. We, we, we played it at the time. Headline, Trump says Pfizer has more power than governments should be looked at. And, and, and Trump was in a Fox News. He was in a um, NBC interview and he was on Newsmax all three times and said, people should really look at Pfizer. Very interesting. I don't think you should have to give people booster shots. I don't think you should make people take shots. I'm very interested for people to research that they'll be blown away by how much power Pfizer has because he knows under the agreements now that he's just learned what he signed on to that he didn't read that it gave them more power than a president. In fact, that's what he said. He said, Pfizer has more power than the president. That was one of the quotes. Kind of a big deal. Now, that that's endearing that Trump woke up and, and, and admits he got conned, but he needs to come out fully against it. But this is so big, ladies and gentlemen, that we've got Mike Cernovich in the studio. So happy to have him here. We've got Tim Poole in the studio. That's going to be amazing today. I'm going to do all four hours. And I'm sure they're going to agree this is a big deal. I'm going to get their take on it. But do, do you understand this is all we should be talking about? This. And that's why the CEO of Pfizer goes on TV and says, I want laws passed to arrest anybody that criticizes Pfizer. And the, the, the European Union and Canada and Australia... And, and click their heels, the UK, click their heels and pass 
emergency laws. Well, how'd you pass emergency laws to arrest people that criticize lockdowns and forced injections in Croatia, in Austria, in Australia, in Spain, and the law's about to pass because they're making it through parliament instead of just doing executive power in the UK. And, and, and this guy, like some supervillain, you know, beams in to the Atlantic Council. We need to arrest the dark actors that are blocking us. He's like, and the man, the minion goes, yes, of course. It should be illegal. Arrest him. Uh, oh, boy. I mean, it's on. So globalism is a project of getting traitors into local government and national government and having them transfer all the power to international bodies. And the UN is only a segue into corporate fascism and, and the corporations finally being in direct control of the planet. And that's been their goals, again, since they set up the UN. Hell, since they set up the League of Nations, it fell apart. So this is a hundred plus year old project. It's over a hundred years, like 104 years old now. Since it was officially a global project, I mean, it's really older than that. Cecil Rhodes ran the British Empire and it's, it's really his plan. And he, he wrote a bunch of books on it. You can go read them. I've read two of them. So this is a fact. And oh, by the way, this, this isn't global government that wants you to have a beautiful planet and a world ID. We all can go wherever we want, do whatever we want. No, you're going to be locked in your house and, and, and under robot gunpoint under a technocracy. So I want to show you these headlines for TV viewers, radio listeners. I'll read these for you. And, and listen, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you, please. For your children, for, for sanity, go read these articles, get this information, share it with folks, and then share the, the live feed of the show or, or, or take the archive of this when it's on Bandai Video later today and download it and share it and re-upload it and, and, and make a big deal out of it. So here it is. FDA asked court for 55 years to fully release Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine data. It's just come out that they're killing people and they covered it up and they know it and we've got all the whistleblowers. So those people can be sued or even arrested if they tell you that they're killing you well that sounds like something i want to take okay so there it is fda has federal judge to grant it uh, total secrecy until the year 2076 it's not a joke ladies and gentlemen oh then this little tidbit here revealed documents show bill gates gave 319 million to media outlets and that's only in one year in just a few countries it's $4 billion in the last five years. That's I mean, why they do whatever he says. That's why he goes on TV. How much? You know, like your dog, you you know, feed and you snap your fingers and say sit to get a biscuit. And he snaps his fingers. The media sits. And he snaps his fingers and says, give children deadly shots. And they, they, they push it because they're owned. And here it is. Now, when we come back, I'm going to hit the big news. Here it is. Mainstream news, ABC.net. That's Australia. Uh, here it is out of the Washington Post. I mean, they've already told you this in your face. Pfizer has power to silence, that's a quote, governments and maximize profits. Wow, you can silence governments. Yeah, like you silence U.S. senators when they criticize Pfizer. You're not allowed to say that on the Senate floor. In, in secret vaccine contracts with governments, Pfizer took hard line to push profit. It's not about profit, it's about control and power. Pfizer demands governments gamble with state assets to secure vaccine debt and sign over the nations to them in receivership. Like you go pay a bond when you're out of jail on a murder charge. <laughs> they have signed us onto this just like they had third world countries sign on the IMF and World Bank and be bankrupt forever. This is the chains going on, baby. This is world corporate government that wants to kill you. All right.
This isn't Grand Theft Auto, folks. This isn't a video game. <laughs> I know, Alex. This is Grand Theft World. I, I, how many times do I have to tell you that? All right. So there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, he mentioned that whole thing about uh, there might be a plan. Cecil Rhodes take their roads more than 100 years old it even goes back it is one of he's he's well, read some of the right. books too because Dude, there's tragedy yeah. and hope and then there's the last will and testament of cecil Rhodes, and there's tragedy and hope 101 it's a cliff note and then he also talked about technocracy in that sentence so Anglo that's a stack of reading you don't have to read the whole book like you don't have to read the whole thing read the cliff notes and see why you'd want to dig into parts of this bigger book and on or, the other hand, the Anglo-American establishment to get all the, the names, the dates, yeah. the players. These, book, yeah. these books over here. They yeah, always sit here. That's what these books are. Uh, yeah, it's go. like the roadmap to understanding what's going on amidst all the stories that we're talking about. Like there Correct. are clues. There's being clues. Now, I understand it takes time to read. That's the FDA's point. They're like, there's 350,000 pages responsive to this request and we can review 500 a day. So it's going to take us till 2076. And until we're done reviewing all these things, you guys can't talk about it. That's basically what Alex was describing with uh, the Pfizer judge situation. Cause I dug into like the legal doc, like what are the references for all these stories? You get into the legal documents. And I think that's the justification of how they came up with 2076 is there's documents and they, they're only willing to review so many at a time because of resources. So therefore they'd have to protect this whole thing and under seal uh, till 2076, just like the JFK assassination so they keep pushing back and keep pushing back and keep pushing back. That's because the British State Secrets Act is 75 years, and we're not 75 years past 1963 yet. Mm. It's very simple, but to explain it to an American audience, you have to make it look like, oh, sorry, not yet. Sorry, not yet. Sorry, not yet. There were British. Why would the British NATO have personnel? an interesting? Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, why did the British have that sort of influence well, yeah. over that narrative? That's a good question to ask. Yeah. Yeah, there's. There's big hammers being swung out there. You should get a glimpse at these people that are swinging them. I think it is meaningful. And the, the context that these books provides neatly makes sense of a lot of what you're seeing today as far as the Great Reset, Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum, their plan to change over society, whether you like it or not. And in the future, you'll own nothing and you'll like it. Well, that's the same thing Genghis Khan used to say to people. It's just different language. Yeah, you know, they've updated it. They've wordsmithed it a little bit with some copywriters and some, some strategic communications people that in the past Jengus would have just eaten. That's correct. Yeah. He said it was ordained from uh, <laughs> the heavens. You know, they said the sages say that we are but one family, so you should bow down to me. What the, the letter he sent to the the Japanese? I was just, I mean, the letter he sent to so many nations, but I remember the one they sent to the Japanese, so where he, yeah, or his his. His court writers basically was like, yeah, the sages say we're one family and that Genghis is God ruler. And, uh, you know, so how nice that must be. I also find it people who don't get killed. But don't worry. Fauci said your right should be superseded by the fact there's a pandemic for the greater good, Rich. It's not like the greater good comes from a British philosopher. Now, there was another connection that I think was missed in that uh, those connections between like Cecil Rhodes and Jeffrey Epstein. These guys had a lot in common, actually. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein abused children. Cecil Rhodes created, uh, I think it was called the Levat Scouts, from which the Boy Scouts uh, and the Boy were fashioned. And the Boy Scouts have never had any problems with sexual improprieties with children of the pedophilic nature. There's no hundreds of thousands of cases of that. They weren't shut down, split up because of that, or anything like that. And when you look into Rhodes and his coterie 
of friends that uh, were instrumental in creating Boy Scouts of America. Uh, there's a, there's a lot to learn there. And then when you compare that to the history of like British intelligence, there also seems to be those proclivities there. They might have gotten it when they picked it up, uh, you know, going through and invading various parts of Asia over their empire years. It might have come back, you know, the time of uh, Clive, mm. the time of Clive, the, okay. during the time of the Thuggee and the, the Indiana Jones movie hints at the British incursions and that they picked up certain elements of the culture. Uh, there's elements of cannibalism, vampirism. There's a whole bunch of things that might have just gotten picked up and proliferated uh, within that uh, ruling culture that would pick up other techniques of subjugation from other ruling cultures of the past. That's a big thing in the ancient history and the Kievanid Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greeks picked up a lot of what that's where the whole divine right of kings comes from that area comes from uh, the Middle East. And so they brought that over to Europe, oh, Greece, and then over to Rome and then Europe when this sort of like lineage that you have a divine right to rule over your subjects as though uh, you stand apotheosized above them. Um, and well, I'm glad so, King Charles doesn't think of himself like that. And I'm glad he's not related to like Vlad the Impaler and doesn't have Dracula's castle in his real estate holdings. Because that would give me pause to be like, is there something else going on here that uh, maybe I'm not seeing in the news every day? It's funny because I have a John Bowne report, the Infernal King speech. John Bowne discussing how Prince Charles is next in line after Queen Elizabeth to inherit 6.6 billion acres of land. And what he'll do alongside Bill Gates' initiative around the world of controlling farmland to control food. So Bill Gates, he collects a bunch of farmland. He's blocking out the sun. He's got genetically modified mosquitoes, syringes flying around. He gave $319 million <laughs> to all these dots. media outlets. How much did he actually give to children? And he said he it's $4 billion, according well, like to the, Alex Jones. It's over 2015, $4 billion. That's, his third, that's over okay. a couple of years. That's an interesting. $4 billion. Uh, possibly, you know, last possibly, last I, I saw, he was getting kicked out of Africa because his vaccine program was actually giving people children polio. Polio. Right. It was the oral so what version, exactly is he yeah. doing that's philanthropic? Because all these things seem to be servicing Bill Gates's empire. Maybe what's I'm just missing more the philanthropic part. What's more disturbing is the windfall profits he's made since since he got out of um, the operating system business, we'll say, and technology. Oh yeah, business. he's tripled his wealth he's, since yeah, the antitrust. You got it. Kind of like it. Rockefeller did after that. He doesn't antitrust. have to pay taxes because it's all because they had a foundation. Right. Yeah. That's where Rockefeller Foundation came from. And they set up medical industry in China as well as the United States. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot they, of parallels, ominous parallels between say, Bill Gates and, and J.D. Rockefeller. It doesn't seem like it's just we're going from A to D. It seems like there's some B's and C's in there that we're trying to build out and understand some context that it's not so outside the bounds to make those rational deductions, to make those judgments that there seems to be uh, a continuation of a philosophy that is being imparted through his foundations and being perpetuated around the world. And it's almost like these foundation. people are wolves in shapes clothing, Tony. Oh, you know, oh, yeah. Beatrice I'm glad Webb, the guy who know. wrote the book on the new world order and the new Machiavelli's wasn't part of that group that had a symbol of we, wolves in sheep's clothing. Yeah. And they Beatrice weren't instrumental in 20th century history at all. No, no, not at all. In fact, um, it's not like that's not even still going on. You know, that was just the 20th. That's an artifact of the beginning of the 20th century, Rich. Nothing to see there at all. Nothing to worry but, about. But they have no the other connection hand, with the X Club and the emerging new scientism. Fabian English and, socialism is a lot like Ingsoc of 1984, which does seem to be the prevailing wind these days. So maybe there is something more to that. You have to weigh it like on a balance. 
So you're right. saying it's important to look into these and not just say that, you know, that it, so let me put it this way. If you see smoke in the middle of a forest, yeah, you could deduce that maybe it's just um, precipitation of some sort, condensation, or you could say, or if it's concentrated smoke and it has a different color and tech, you know, sort of uh, texture, if you will, than what you'd see of a normal condensation that maybe it requires more looking into more research. Is it smoke or is it steam? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. You, you know, compare and contrast. Part- if there's particulates reality. in it, right? Yeah, exactly. It will have a different color to the, it would be thicker, different color of the smoke. It'd be more concentrated in one area. It would actually require more investigation instead of just sort of blase, like, uh, you know, nothing to see here. Just, just work on the culture. Well, it seems like whether it's 319 million over a year or two, or maybe possibly 4 billion according to Alex Jones over five, six years, that they are influencing culture through media. So that doesn't make any sense. Cause then if, if culture was influenced through media, then Bill Gates influencing it with his money might be him influencing everybody who's influenced by media. Hmm. That yeah. definitely shouldn't be going on. I don't think that's going that on. Would be the logical. It would be conclusion. really, that would be the inference. Unfortunately, be obvious if it was going on, probably. So we'd notice it. That's what yeah. I'm thinking. So we don't we have to worry about it. it. No, we don't, don't think about it or worry about no, it. No, we shouldn't have to think about it at all. All right. So you don't have to think about it, dude. I appreciate Ethan. He's always just so supportive when we have to stop thinking and move on. Uh, federal investigation, smallpox. Here's what I think was going on with that smallpox thing. <clears throat> going by the history laid out in Trevor Aronson, investigative journalist Trevor Aronson wrote a book called Terror Factory inside the FBI's manufactured war on terror. If I were to take all those case studies where <clears throat> it wasn't a real terrorist attack, and it was like the FBI making it look like that. And they, they do all these cool things like get their budgets raised and all that more authority and power. Those, it's, a, it's, a, it's a piece of uh, evidence out there in the puzzle. So how hard is it for the FBI or some other group in the government? Take some vials, label them smallpox, put them in the back of the freezer. All right, call the manager, have someone clean out that freezer, let them find them, let them make this whole thing, let them make the connections to Bill Gates. It's going to be nothing. Because only the CDC and only the Russians have smallpox. It would definitely never be in a Philadelphia freezer. Or at a Merck laboratory where they do vaccine research, right? Or would it? So like either way, but there's two possibilities there. It was placed there for the purposes of which you just saw. Boom, boom, boom. Like uh, BARDA, Bill Gates, and then they found some. Now, who's present? Like Bill Gates was making a presentation. He wanted his money. He said you guys could all die from smallpox. And then some smallpox is found. It's almost like that would help Bill Gates more, raise more money for his smallpox project. Now, the only issue I have with that is that it seems like now Bill Gates back in the day was talking about coronaviruses being the next pandemic. Hmm. And then the coronaviruses emerge and his, his foundations are in place. His Gavi Vaccine Research Institute, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which helps to fund all these initiatives. I'm just, Well, their you know, audience polling found that smallpox is much scarier than what, they, what COVID turned out to be. Mm, you're telling me what this, and now that we have effective therapeutics and people are waking up mm. to the fact, I'm just, I don't know. I just noticed that he seems, let me put it this way. Bill Gates, can we check news card on this to see prophetic? Can we just type it into the green check mark place or whatever and, and see what the fact, politifact maybe can they help us on that? <laughs> news guard, Microsoft, will they tell us what's going on, please? Can't we, I'm just just saying, to, can't we just go to Microsoft founder Bill Gates funded Pointer <laughs> Institute's PolitiFact to find out if Bill Gates is the good guy or not? 
Or maybe we can go to Microsoft founder Bill Gates' uh, <laughs> news guard over here and we can find out if he's telling the truth or not. I'm or maybe saying. we can just compare what he says to the fucking reality and right. we can see uh, there's something rotten in Denmark and it's been rotten for a while. It's starting to stink. Yes. We can all start to smell it. He's being and it's not that he's the problem. Pathetic. It's like we need to stop obeying authorities that are using him as their reference and dismiss them as arbitrary and move on with our lives. Because if not, it, uh, you know, Bill Gates also funds uh, Deborah Burks, who stood by Fauci the whole time. Like, where do you think all the money that precipitate? That's how these people get paid. That's why they say those things on stage. So if we keep listening to Fauci, the, the pandemic's never going to end because he wants to get it below a threshold where he could make it up like himself and get that many cases registered. Right. So, and there's a more ominous. So for those that are interested, I'm actually going to make a plug for the GTW town hall, Tuesday night, to seven o'clock PM. Senna um, to send me a whole timeline, very interesting and ominous timeline that shows Bill Gates talking about smallpox, then investing in smallpox therapeutics, namely vaccines. Um, there's a big start going back to 2001, starting with dark winter, then going to 2010, talking about how smallpox has been eradicated. This is NIH from a man that I believe Bill Gates funded. And then they go on to say 2013, he goes on to say, where you have attacks of smallpox, U.S. buys costly drugs, and Bill Gates seeks $1.5 billion more to eradicate polio in 2018. Gates' annual letter, 2014, he gets into smallpox. You have um, uh, 2014 again, Bill Gates' capitalism did not eradicate smallpox, even though four years before that, he says it did. Then we have 2017, Francis Collins and Bill Gates' conversation about HIV vaccine. And so we're gonna, we'll go over each one of these in the town hall. Uh, individually, and we'll see if we can build out some more context so we can make more informed uh, judgments uh, based on what we're uh, the evidence that we have available to us. So, thank you, Senator. Town Hall, <clears throat> Town Hall every Tuesday night. All right, uh, let's go to this let's Jackson report with the Geert van den Bosch interview. Now, if you remember, Geert van den Bosch has an illustrious curriculum vitae. He worked for some of Gabby. these big organizations. He Gabby, worked at Gabby Bill as a Gates's vaccine, you know, uh, accessible, no, not accessible, centralized uh, authority. That's what I meant, centralized mm -hmm. authority. And he no longer works there. He had very strong opinions that uh, vaccines were not the right tool to fight this pandemic at this time because you would see. Uh, antibody dependent enhancement going and on and selective pressure causing mutant escape. That was his big one. Yes. And that it would make like Delta variants and such things. And people said, oh, it's conspiracy theory back when he said it over a year ago. And now let's hear uh, Del Bigtree and Jackson Report bring us some updated. Uh, let's compare Vandenbosch uh, to reality. And let's see if it uh, is logical. I don't know if they get to Ben. I know. Well, so Dell Big Tree does do an hour and 20 minute interview, which okay. I have on the show card. If people are interested, but this is just the Jackson report, which they do, I think, talk about here a little bit. But yeah, I think they point oh, yeah. to it. Mm -hmm. They point to it, correct? So yeah, so it's we'll perfect. And, oh, to it yeah. Yep. As well. <laughs> Seems safe to point in that direction. So. Just around the corner. But first, it's time for the Jackson report. All right, Jeffrey, we got a lot to get to. So what's happening out there in the world of failing vaccines, immunity, and craziness? 
Incredible stories, incredible stories. Failing vaccines are the story right now. The green light has been given to report on this and report on this people are doing. So let's start in the United States here. Vermont, here's the headline. Vermont leads nation in new COVID cases and vaccination rate. It's the state with the highest vaccination rate in the United States, 73%. No reason given why the cases are spiking in that article, but let's go to Colorado. Same situation, same headline. What is driving Colorado's COVID surge? Not even the experts are sure. Nationwide, it says, coronavirus infections have declined from their peaks of earlier this fall, more recently leveling out. But in Colorado, one of the more heavily vaccinated states in the country, infections have risen, and no one is quite sure why. Quote, I don't have a great answer for that. And believe me, I'm looking. Dr. Rachel Harahy, the state epidemiologist, said last week, hmm, Well, it's not just happening in the United States. We're going to cover a bunch of headlines all over the world here. Let's go to Ireland. Ireland is one of the uh, highest vaccinated countries as well. Ireland's county Waterford has one of the highest vaccination rates in the world. So why are cases surging? Waterford has both the highest vaccination rate and the highest COVID incidence rate in Ireland. It says a massive 99.5% of adults over the age of 18 in Waterford are double jab. That's that's, uh, thought to be one of the highest rates in any region anywhere in the world. Um, in the article, they start to speculate. It says it's partly due to a change in people's behavior. The uh, the, the country's deputy uh, PM went on CNN and said it's because of the 5% unvaccinated that are causing oh a God. lot of the problems. So here we go. Now, unfortunately, this next place, this is uh, Gibraltar. This is this, uh, British territory off Spain's coast. They don't have the luxury of blaming the unvaccinated because they're not there. So here's the wow. headline. Gibraltar cancels Christmas celebrations amid COVID spike. Gibraltar has vaccinated 140% of their population. How is that possible? Because of booster vaccines and also because of uh, workers going back and forth. But basically, you're walking around there with no one unvaccinated. And that's the headline. That is one of the biggest headlines out of the last couple of days. Uh, Belgium. Now, let's... Let's let's hear from a, uh, a doctor in Belgium. This was taken off their news. It's uh, subtitled, so you have to read it. But um, it's pretty interesting what's happening there as well. Check it out. Voor wie trouwens zou denken dat de intensieve zorg nu volgt met niet gevaccineerden, dat klopt niet langer. Bij ons op dit moment uh, zien wij toch wel uh, een grote meerderheid zogenaamde doorbraakinfecties. Hè. Dat is anders dan een aantal weken geleden, hè, toen wij inderdaad een meerderheid niet gevaccineerde patiënten op intensieve hadden. Op dit moment is dat niet meer zo. Hè. De, de patiënten die wij op, in GZA nu op intensieve hebben liggen, ik heb het gisteren nog nagekeken, die zijn eigenlijk allemaal gevaccineerd. Wow, all of the patients in the ICU are vaccinated. It's an incredible statement. I mean, I, I haven't seen the headlines, pandemic of the vaccinated yet, but I mean, right. are we there? This is the question we have to ask. Um, India, we've covered India a lot. This is a state in India, Kerala. Uh, it's located on the southwest portion of India. And the headlines coming out of there read like this, Kerala breakthrough infections account for mo- for most COVID-19 cases. And it says in the article, Kerala has been leading India's COVID-19 outbreak for several months. The state accounts for over 50% of the nationwide a- active cases and comprises 60% of the daily cases. It continues and it says of the one, 1.19 lakh, uh, lakh is basically a, a unit of measurement, to, it means 100,000. Uh, reported between October 19th to November 2nd, nearly 68,000 cases or 58% involved cases where the patient had received one vaccine dose, 23%, or both 35%. 
shocking headline there. But now mm-hmm. let's talk about a, a study out of India looking at um, some vaccines. Now, typically we see a lot of studies, we have covered them on natural immunity, but a lot of these studies never look at natural immunity compared to a vaccination in the same study. This one did. Immunity following COVID-19 vaccination and natural infection in India. Let's go right to that study. They looked at neutralizing antibody responses of 240 people in Kolkata. This is a, a city in India, about 15 million people. And what they found, they found, they looked at AstraZeneca's vaccine, it's COVID shield, and Covaxin. This is India, India's indigenous um, vaccine that's made there, uses a dead virus. So I guess that would be like old vaccine technology in the age of gene therapy at this point, mRNA technology. And the researchers say both COVID shield and Covaxin, uh, however, are more effective towards the wild type. Remember, that's the original virus than the Delta variant. Moreover, the overall immune response resulting from natural infection in and around Kolkata is not only to a certain degree better than that generated by vaccination, especially in the cases of the Delta variant, but cell-mediated immunities, the SARS-CoV-2, also last for at least 10 months after the viral infection. Now, again, this is natural infection is superior to both the vaccines with uh, producing cellular immunity. Incredible results. Wow, that's incredible. And it's something, obviously, it's not a surprise to people watching The High Wire, but we're getting so much validation now on what we've been talking about since this vaccine was released. We knew it wasn't going to stop infection. We knew it wasn't going to stop transmission. But this statement that it was going to reduce symptoms, even that appears to be falling apart when you start hearing 100% of the ICU in a hospital is filled with the vaccinated. That doesn't sound like people that are having reduced symptoms. You're not in ICU having no symptoms. And so clearly this entire mythology built around this vaccine unicorn, as we called it very early on, is crumbling down around them. And let's go back to just February of this year, 2021. The CDC appeared to be working to to cover or hide the fact that natural immunity is working. Uh, this was uh, this was uncovered by Cheryl Atkinson, investigative reporter on her show, Full Measure Nude. Uh, Kentucky Congressman Thomas Massey found some very interesting uh, discrepancies between what the CDC data was being published and what was actually in the data that was published to the public. Take a look. All right. An award-winning scientist himself, Massey quickly found that vaccine studies showed no benefit to people who've had coronavirus. Vaccination didn't change their odds of getting reinfected. The controversy began when Massey noticed the CDC was claiming the exact opposite. CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices had just issued a high-profile report authored by 15 scientists. It wrongly claimed Pfizer's study proved the vaccine is highly effective or showed consistent high efficacy for people who'd already had coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2. It says the exact opposite of what the data says. They're giving people the impression that this vaccine will save your life, even or, or you know, save you from suffering, even if you've already had the virus and recovered, which has not been demonstrated in either the Pfizer or the Moderna trial. I mean, it's amazing just seeing this conversation on the heels. I mean, here we are with our FOIA request we just talked about at the beginning of the show. So this is back in February. Clearly now we're saying the same thing. Like, where is your evidence that, you know, someone vaccinated is doing better than the naturally infected? Because the naturally infected better be infecting somebody and you better have proof of that or start setting these people free and celebrating what natural infection is offering to this nation and the world. 
Right. And remember at that time, as it's still true, the debate around natural immunity was absolutely raging because people were starting to be, you know, coerced into these vaccines right. as it was rolling. And so he went up the chain, Congress and Massey went up the chain at the CDC. And um, you can watch the full episode at Full Measure News. But the people he talked to were saying, yes, you caught our error. We will change it. We will change it. It went two months, basically, before anything was really done. And it took a call to, at that time, Director Ann Shulkat at the CDC for a difference to be made. So here's what that phone call sounded like in this recording. Some of the agency's response was summed up during Congressman Massey's final call with CDC this past week. It was with CDC Principal Deputy Director Ann Shulkat. I feel like right now we have the tail wagging the dog that the folks who want to do the messaging, the folks who want everybody to get the vaccine have pressured the folks who are doing the science, i.e. reviewing the phase three trial from Pfizer, not to correct the document, but the document is false. So the CDC can do whatever messaging they want. That's that's the CDC's job, not my job, but they cannot propagate false and incorrect science. So that's my position. And I'm really disappointed it's gone on a month without being fixed, like really disappointed. As you note correctly, there is not sufficient analysis to show that in the subset of only the people with prior infection, there's efficacy. So you're correct that that sentence is wrong and that we need to make a correction of it. I apologize for the delay. CDC has now issued a correction, but Massey and other scientists we ask say the new wording still wrongly implies studies show vaccines work in people who've had coronavirus. And instead of fixing it, they proposed repeating it and just phrasing their mistake differently. So at that point, I can right now, I consider it a lie. I think the CDC is lying about the efficacy of the vaccine based on the Pfizer trials for those who've already had the, the uh, coronavirus. That's amazing. And it doesn't look like anything's changed. I mean, I think everyone watching this is saying, I never saw an announcement that natural infection seems to be, you know, strong and effective on CNN, MSNBC. Where's the CDC in stating this? So all the way back from February, this report brilliantly done by Cheryl Atkinson, uh, who's a who's a great investigative reporter that has never stepped down uh, or stepped out of the way of a controversial topic. So um, hopefully everyone will go and watch the depth of that, which also include many other phone calls, right? I mean, he worked his way up. So you get to hear phone calls from many other directors that are all promising him things and not delivering. So what it's, it's incredible now looking back and seeing where we're at right now. Right. And speaking of looking back and seeing where we're at right now, uh, Tony Fauci was interviewed by the New York Times recently, and it, it sounded like an episode of The High Wire about five or six months ago. Take a listen to this. All right. We're starting to see waning immunity against infection and waning immunity in the beginning aspect against hospitalization. And if you look at Israel, mm-hmm. which has always been a month to a month and a half ahead of us in the dynamics of the outbreak, in their vaccine response, and in every other element of the outbreak. They are seeing a waning of immunity, not only against infection, but against hospitalizations and to some extent death, which is starting to now 
involve all age groups. It isn't just the elderly. Mm. So if one looks back at this, one can say, do you know, it isn't as if a booster is a bonus, but a booster might actually be an essential part of the primary regimen that people should have. I am sitting here trying to take deep breaths so I don't scream, <laughs> as I think most of the people watching this show, how is this man still in charge? What an absolute failure. What a disgrace of science. What a disgrace as a human being. There's nothing this man that has said has ever come true. He has been dead wrong and changing his perspective every single week through this pandemic. He's destroyed our lives. He promised us a vaccine, told us we could reach herd immunity, told us it would take two shots. Now, oh, I always meant three shots. Told us we didn't need a mask, shouldn't wear a mask. Now I got to be a mask. I mean, this, it is so insane. If you ever, you know, one day we'll all have to, the history books, I hope. Once we write the true history of what happened here, we'll just have an entire chapter of watching this, you know, series of lies that misled the world and ask ourselves how the greatest nation in the world kept following one of the biggest morons of all freaking times. That's right. And he's he's straight up lying there because we are not starting to see waiting immunity. We're not no. starting to see dropping antibodies. We started to see them the second the trials were done. And this EUA was we've been covering that on our show each week. Right. Uh, the fact that he's saying that we've been covering Israel as well. And so so have many other people. So the fact that he's saying we're just starting to see now in Israel. No, 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 no. It's because of the booster conversation. And that's what's right. happening right now. Boosters Worldwide is the, the title of this segment is really okay. what's happening. So this is Britain. Uh, headline, Brits will need three jabs to be considered, quote, fully vaccinated. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Now, Forbes goes even further. They're not even putting a number on it, just like herd immunity. Right. How long will the booster last? This is what they're saying. That's the headline. And it says here in the article, it may turn out that the term, quote, booster, end quote, is a bit of a misnomer and that the correct number of shots for maximum efficacy isn't yet known. Uh, that's yeah. great. But Great. I saved the best for last here. This is one of the biggest admissions you know, we've probably reported on this show. A turnaround, a changing goalpost, whatever you want to call it. LA Times, this is the headline. Put it in a frame. This is historical. CDC shifts pandemic goals away from reaching herd immunity. Oh, my God. Huh? I mean, the home, by right. this before we even go any further, the home of SB 277, the paper that supported Senator Richard Pan, who said over and over again, I'm going to take away your rights to decide what's injecting your children because of community immunity, because of herd immunity, community, herd, community, herd, community, herd. We heard it so much. This is an entire purpose of a vaccination program. And now L.A. Times itself is admitting, as it turns out, the CDC is giving up on the concept of herd immunity. I mean, it's right. incredible where we have come. I mean, and how many channels, how many YouTube, how many Facebook channels have, have we been kicked off of for telling the world this thing is never going to reach in herd immunity? In fact, it's getting in the way of herd immunity. That's right. When am I getting my channels back? When, when is it the high wire will be held up and the world will say, you know what? There was one news network that had it right the whole damn time. Let's listen to the LA Times talk about this. And, and keep in mind, heard kind of slightly, it's a slightly insulting term. They didn't get that memo. It says here, since the earliest days of the pandemic, there has been one collective goal for bringing it to an end, achieving herd immunity. Many Americans embrace the novel farmyard phrase and with it the projection that only 
uh, that once 70% to 80% or 85% of the uh, population was vaccinated against COVID-19, the virus would go away and the pandemic would be over. Now the herd is restless and experts at the uh, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have set aside herd immunity as a national goal. Well, isn't that interesting? Now it says here, this is what they're going to go towards. Instead of specifying a vaccination target that promises an end to the pandemic, public health officials hope to redefine success in terms of new infections and deaths. And they'll surmise that herd immunity has been achieved when both remain low for a sustained period of time. You see nothing in that sentence of dates, of, of concrete anything. It's just no. gobbledygook, uh, you know, nebulous talk. And, and, and remember, so now let, for people keeping track at home, the CDC has changed the definition of herd immunity. The CDC has changed the definition of a vaccine and they're going to change or they're considering changing the definition of what it means to be vaccinated with these boosters coming out. So how many times wow. can we change the goalposts without raising right. a red flag here? Apparently, I guess, infinitely. I mean, infinite boosters in our future, as Forbes said, you know, we just don't know the number. We don't know how many times we have to change definitions. And, you know, that idea that we're going to monitor, well, herd immunity will just be when the amount of deaths is low and the amount of serious infections, meaning after everybody's been killed by our mistakes and there's barely anyone left, we've achieved. We're there. (laughs) Well, states are moving on their own now for this booster, and it's because apparently they're frustrated, reads the headline. So this is what's looking like right now. Some frustrated states don't want to wait for the FDA for for FDA, expand COVID-19 vaccine booster eligibility to all adults. That's Arkansas, California, Colorado, New Mexico, West Virginia, and New York City as the time of reporting right now. Um, FDA is supposed to meet on on this uh, in the coming days. And the federal government, Biden administration, is also talking about doing a nationwide uh, booster push. Uh, But let's bring it back to a a topic or a, a headline we covered from the New York Times just a couple months ago. And we're seeing all of these headlines fawn over the idea of a booster. What a great idea. This is what the reporting looked like just, again, a couple months ago. New study of COVID booster shots fans debate over benefits. We have a debate. And it says, what the Israel data show is that a booster can enhance protection for a few weeks in older adults, a result that that is unsurprising, experts say, and does not indicate long-term benefit. Uh, what I would predict will happen is that the immune response to that booster will go up and then it will contract again, says Marion Pepper, an immunologist at the University of Washington in Seattle. But is that three to four month window what we're really trying to accomplish? It goes on. In younger people, officials must balance the limited benefit of a third dose with the risk of side effects like blood clots or heart problems, researchers said, and repeatedly stimulating the body's defenses can also lead to a phenomenon called immune exhaustion, Dr. Pepper said. There's that word again. Uh, She goes on to say, there's obviously some risk in continuously trying to ramp up an immune response. She said, if we get into this cycle of boosting every six months, it's possible that this could work against us. And that's apparently where we really are. I guess Road New York Times forward. is, right. yeah, right, right into it. And now I guess some of the biggest news as well on top of this booster push is Austria. Austria became the first, uh, the first country to lock down the vaccinated. This is uh, officially locked down the vaccinated. I'm sorry. Yes, the unvaccinated. Uh, there was a slip there. Um, Austria locks down most of the unvaccinated, unleashes heated debates, uh, discussions across Europe about how to tackle the latest COVID-19 surge. So we're looking at Austria's, uh, uh, Austria, the UK is t- uh, talking about it. France is talking about it now. Same thing, locking down the unvaccinated Italy. Uh, um, 
Czech Republic and Slovakia have announced they would be doing it. But let's look at a, a, a chart from Austria just to give you an idea of how great their measures work. Now, this was a, a, out of Twitter. And you can see here their cases on the far right are surging to the highest they've ever been. And that includes mask mandate, mask mandate for indoor locations, N95 mask mandate, and expanded mask requirements plus enforcements. So this is basically their vaccine, their mask mandate, their lockdowns, their heavy-handed enforcements, and now they're locking down the one population that that is unvaccinated. And Dell, as we're going to air, uh, some breaking news here just came in. Austria has announced that they will also be locking down the vaccinated. So I think that's where my slip right. came from. I had that in my head. So wow. now full lockdown in Austria. So all of these countries that were gleefully ready to follow Austria's lead to lock down the unvaccinated, I, I, I am curious if they're going to change their tune now. I, I, are we looking at full lockdown across uh, across Europe at this point? I'm not sure, but these are the headlines we're looking at right now as they're breaking. And man, I mean, I hate to be a bearer of bad news, but as you talk about Vermont, all of these highly vaccinated states and, and countries around the world are seeing this happening with COVID. So then it really makes you wonder. We were sort of being lulled into this lullaby that we're coming to the end of this. The vaccine was working. And now as we look around the world, uh, it appears that we may be, you know, sliding down into a really uh, dark place. And the officials in charge are just going to use the same old rhetoric that hasn't worked until now. In fact, has put us in this position. Um, so I, I think we should all prepare for some challenging times ahead. Uh, great reporting, Jeffrey. All of that so important uh, to set up the interview that I'm about to have with uh, Geert van den Bosch. So thank you for that work. And, um, and you know, it's next week is Thanksgiving. So have a great uh, mm -hmm. Thanksgiving, would you? All right. Thank you, Dell. You too. Right, take care, Jeffrey. Okay, well, come. Well, vaccine mandate for the unvaccinated, or the uh, lockdown mandate for the unvaccinated also turns into a mandate of lockdown for the vaccinated. So, Austria, you can't win. You can't win. And you might look at They're the history. As well. <clears throat> I think Austria, though, particularly had some history of totalitarianism and despotism in its recent memory. It's like two generations ago. It's not that long ago. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Being locked down. Now, I wish that we had like a document that would come from someplace credible like the UK Ministry of Defense from like 2007, where they were planning out the future. And they said in the early 2020s, where we're at right now, there'd be a lot of civil unrest and a lot of reshaping of society. I'm sure that's just coincidental, those projections that they make for the future, because if they let it turn out naturally in a freedom sense, it's very hard to manage. But when they artificially create it and manufacture the consent to go along with it, well, you could just take over the whole world with that strategy, couldn't you? Seems like people might follow in lockstep. Ooh. <clears throat> it's quite possible. Hmm. I wonder yeah. how they're able to do that and how they're able to be like, like Bill Gates to be these incredible prophets. You would almost need like some supranational type of organizations to do that, like Bilderberg or World Economic know, Forum, Club of Rome, Club of Rome, Council yeah. of Foreign Relations, United Nations, Trilateral Commission. Yeah, just a few. Just a few. About the Trilateral Commission. That's another one. And throw in and pepper in some Rhodes scholarships. Help now bring the, it all the together. Rhodes scholarships perpetuate a similar philosophy of british empire uh it's uh, it's the what do they call it uh 
it was like the goal of the English speaking peoples, like the pan angles, yeah, the, 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 the pan angles yeah, is a book was, that painted the, out their philosophy. Correct. Yeah. Right. To bring about one, to bring about sort of cohesion between the two nations through, you know, the English language was one way shared language, shared culture, remember helping us to remember our, our roots, so to speak, I believe. So none of that was Kevin Cole's research, but you know, it's just, my point is all those individuals you pointed out, all the different Rhodes scholars, uh, you had just mentioned previously. I can add one real quick. Sure. Union now, the merging of the British empire with America to create a world federalist state was made by Clarence Streit, S-T-R-E-I-T. Oh God, I forgot about He was a Rhodes Streit. scholar. You, and Kevin then, used to uh, talk about him all the time. I, forgot yeah, about I mean, because we used to follow the Rhodes Scholars. Oh, yeah. Clinton, Bill Clinton's a Rhodes Scholar. Like, there's a, mm-hmm. there's a whole lineage and My of point them is they all share the culture. same philosophy. Yeah. Like, they, they, are act, they are conceptually acting in lockstep with one another. And some of them have contacts into the underworld drug trade. Which the British Empire also facilitated, and probably also um, child sex trafficking. And there was that guy, Bill Clinton. He got into it uh, with some drug trafficking in Mena, Arkansas, right, Arkansas, a place where before he was governor, there was a guy called Winthrop Rockefeller who was governor of that fine state. So the importation of those prohibited substances give the governments monopolies on those black markets. There's no power there to be gotten though systematically over time mm-hmm. corruption Funny. these yeah. allegations are false the w coming in from painting his toenails he came in to tell you guys that was that w bush who was that oh that was bill clinton yeah that was, that was supposed that was to be Slick clinton willie Slick bill like willie yes he uh, did not have sexual relations with that woman i remember that He's yeah. telling the truth too, just like I did this not pile of anthrax. Sexual relations with that woman. Ah, uh, now I heard it more clearly. Yeah, that was just as truthful as Colin Powell's vial of anthrax to get some war crimes going. Yeah, right. Oh my god. Yep. <clears throat> or the weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, all this stuff gets us into the Middle East and obvi- poppy production goes up 900%. It's not like there's a continuation of the CIA and sort of the British ideal of being able to control the drug trade throughout the world, particularly opiates and cocaine and stimulants. And the most, mm-hmm. in other words, the most addictive and most powerful drugs for controlling human biology. Aside from media? De- de- degrading human biology. Besides from media, yeah. That's another drug. Well, That's controlling Marshall human McLuhan's, beings. Yeah. Marshall McLuhan's drug. That he would argue, yeah, the medium is the message. So, and that's, you know, when Terrence McKenna would talk about Marshall McLuhan, he would say, like, what does the medium do? Well, it acts, you know, blood pulls into your ass away from your brain. And, you know, do you, you interact with it very differently. You get in this beta wave state where you take in the information, don't critically analyze, you know, all that sort of thing. And that, that, that's, what's, that's what it does. It's a, it's a drug as well. It has an effect, a physiological effect on the body with the way we take in information. Now you bring that oh, together with Aldous Huxley's final revolution speech at uh, where was that? It's a West Coast University, not Stanford. Hmm. Where did he make UCLA that? UCLA or something? I don't know. No, he did the 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 final revolution. It's all about uh, people will learn to love their servitude. <clears throat> Let's look it up. Aldous Berkeley. It's at Berkeley. Oh, Berkeley. Yeah. Aldous Huxley oh, speech Berkeley at Berkeley. The ultimate revolution, people learn to love their servitude using pharmaceutical methods and mainstream media and 
Well, his his vision is much more. Both are happening to Norwell and Huxley, but his is much more conspicuous. As far as people, yeah, there's a large segment that will they they want the metaverse, they they want the the soma, whatever that ends up being. If that's the the technology, the uploading our brains into some cybernetic super super consciousness run by machines, or if that means implants in the brain, who knows? They're but not they worthy the of the holy grail, so they shall create their own artificial. They will create their whole so a simulacrum. Holy grail. Yeah. Which are always stand in a likeness, but will never be the real thing. And they will never be able to attain their goal for that reason. You won't know about the light because you'll be stuck in their shadow. The light just exists. All they can do is put up their hand and try to block it away so we, we don't notice it. But at some point, I can only do so much. It's sort of a failing enterprise, what they're trying to do. All right. So in this therapeutics section... So it's, it's free for all at this point. I feel like we got... Anything you find interesting that uh, needs to be covered, I can point to some specifics. Obviously, anything I put in the more of the beginning of the section, I, that's just my general idea of what I think was the most important. Um, but at the same time, there's lots of goodies all over the place. Or we could also get to the intermission with the portion of James Corbett. Yeah, I'm looking at intermission. I think we should play the Corbett clip. I agree. Yeah, I like John Titus, and I like the Del Big Tree, Geert Vandenbosch. Bosch. But I have not seen the RFK, uh, Anthony Fauci, yeah. James Corbett. I put that one first too because that's that's the most important. And for those that are interested, we'll cover segments of Titus, small ones. And so let's do um, twenty minutes of the Corbett, and then we'll bring it back. We'll leave people the link for the to watch the whole, the whole, yeah. the whole episode. And there's only a, there's like a Greg Reese and a John Down afterwards. If we can get it on the record, and then we can we can cool. uh, close it up after that. So fantastico. All right, so let's go to James Corbett and uh, this RFK episode talking about COVID and the Fauci. So, you know, I would say this is Armageddon, is is the apocalyptical forces of ignorance and greed and totalitarianism. And this is the final battle. You know, we need to win this one. You're listening to The Corbett Report. Welcome, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com, in a conversation that is being recorded on the 19th of November 2021 here in Japan. And uh, throughout the past couple of years of this generated crisis, I have received, as you might imagine, many, many requests to do some sort of deep dive or expose on the face of this generated crisis in the United States, Anthony Fauci. But as a Canadian in Japan, I have never felt it is that I am best situated to do such a deep dive. Luckily, I can do the next best thing, actually an even better thing. I can bring on someone who has done exactly just such an expose and has just released that to the public. I am talking about, of course, thought criminal extraordinary and uh, a proud member of the disinformation dozen. I say that ironically, of course, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. of childrenshealthdefense.org, who has just written The Real Anthony Fauci, Bill Gates, Big Pharma, and the Global War on Democracy and Public Health. Mr. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., thank you very much for joining us on the program today. And thank you for having me, James, and also thank you for all of your extraordinary work for keeping 
uh, the public inform so that we can actually maybe restore some democracy to, um, to the world. Well, I appreciate that. Let's let's start by talking about the sort of the cultural moment that we're in, in which I note, as we're recording this conversation, it's the 18th of November there in the United States. As we are talking, this book, The Real Anthony Fauci, is currently the number three bestseller on Amazon right now, which people should not be lining the pockets of Jeff Bezos, obviously, but I think speaks to the fact that obviously something is happening in the zeitgeist right now where this information, uh, speaking obviously specifically about Anthony Fauci, but in a similar way, I would say to my Who is Bill Gates documentary, using Fauci as a hub from which we can explore many spokes of the crisis that we're living through right now. Um, obviously, people are hungry for this information at the moment. But first, can you just speak to why you decided to write this book specifically about Fauci? Uh, well, I think for the same reasons that you've been exploring, we've seen over the past uh, 20 months a coup d'etat against liberal democracy globally. And uh, one of the key players is this kind of medical cartel and medical technocracy. There's a there's an entire coalition of um, what I would, I think we all starting to see as sinister forces, uh, pharmaceutical companies, the intelligence agencies, the medical bureaucracies, the social media titans and the mainstream media that are all wrapped up in the, in the military. That are, if I didn't mention them, um, that are all kind of wrapped up in what the obliteration of constitutional rights globally and the subversion, the, the use of the uh, of a health crisis to impose totalitarian controls. And one of the ways they've been able to get rid of it is that this kind of avuncular presence is the face of, you know, of the technocracy in the face of the of the demolition, the obliteration of constitutional rights is this avuncular, you know, uh, steady um, uh, authoritative medical figure, Anthony Fauci, who is. And the leading panjarum of the medical establishment for 50 years, he's kind of the J. Edgar Hoover of public health uh, without um, J. Edgar Hoover's uh, uh, bad reputation. And he has been the trusted advisor to six presidents and, uh, and is a you know, person who is widely applauded. And his opinions, as little sense, his medical opinions, as little sense as they make, are treated literally as gospel by the mainstream press, the social media globally. And, you know, many, um, unfortunately, people of my from my political party, from the Democratic Party, who really see him as almost a demigod. And. I because of my peculiar history, which I've spent 40 years um, litigating on the issue of regulatory capture. I brought over 500 lawsuits against pharmaceutical companies and big corporations. And probably a quarter of the lawsuits that I brought have been against government agencies like the EPA that are subject to this dynamic of regulatory capture, which is very, very well documented. 
um, in peer-reviewed publications and the popular press, but it's the mechanism by which uh, regulatory agencies become the sock puppet of the industries that they're supposed to regulate. They become really um, kind of subsidiaries of those industries. And uh, Tony Fauci is the um, is kind of the spearhead of an agency that has experienced regulatory capture in a way that is on steroids. And part of the reason is that the um, these unprecedented financial entanglements between the pharmaceutical companies and the agencies that regulate that, that we do not see in the environmental space. You know, EPA is captured agency. It does the bidding of big oil, big coal, the chemical industry, the big uh, industrial agriculture. And I spent a lot of time suing them, you know, when they did sweetheart deals to issue permits that were illegal. Um, but in the in the pharmaceutical and the medical sphere, you have um, you have these uh, financial links. For example, FDA receives forty five percent of its annual budget from pharmaceutical companies. Um, the NIH has thousands of pharmaceutical patents, and the CDC has uh, spends about $4.9 billion a year out of its $12 billion budget, so about 40%, um, close to 40%, buying and then distributing vaccines. So it really is the front man. It is the biggest vaccine company in the world. And, um, and the metrics that are used within the agencies um, to uh, measure whether, whether or not you're going to get promoted and whether you're going to get advanced, whether you're going to get your bonuses and salary raises, almost all of them have to do with 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 how well you promote vaccine uptake. So people do not get rewarded in those agencies for finding problems with vaccines. They get rewarded for covering up problems. And, uh, and then some of the agencies directly profit from vaccine sales, for example, as I said, NIH owns thousands of medical patents, including half the patent for the Moderna vaccine. So it stands to make that agency stands to make billions and billions, Tony Fauci's agency, billions and billions of dollars if they succeed in getting that vaccine approved, mandated, et cetera. And Tony Fauci was able to choose to designate four of his high-level employees who each get individual patent shares, and they will collect $150,000 a year for life if the Moderna vaccine is, you know, approved, which it has been. So it's a kind of, like I said, it's like if EPA got half of its budget um, from the coal industry or from the oil industry, and that the amount of money that went into its budget was based upon sales of coal and oil, it would really um, contaminate the, you know, it would subsume the regulatory, the mercantile impulses and the commercial impulses would subsume the regulatory functions. And that's exactly what's happened there. They are no longer regulatory agencies. They're not public health agencies. They are vaccine and pharmaceutical companies. And Tony Fauci has, um, 
you know, is the uh, his agency in particular no longer does public health. It, he it, and he doesn't do public health. He does pharmaceutical promotions. He will never talk about publicly about the improvements in public health that have occurred since he came into office 50 years ago. He and, and it's not a good story. We've gone from 6% of the American public having chronic disease when he entered to by 1986, he became the boss, the big boss in 84 and 86, 11.6% or 11.8% of Americans had chronic disease. And today, 54%. So, and by chronic disease, I mean neurological diseases, ADD, ADHD, speech delay, language delay, tics, Tourette's syndrome, narcolepsy, ASD, autism, allergic diseases like peanut allergies, food allergies, asthma, anaphylaxis, and then the autoimmune diseases like juvenile diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis. And Tony Fauci took over that agency. Nobody had even heard of those diseases, really. You know, one in 10,000 people my age have autism. One in every 34 children, kids, people my kids' age have full-blown autism. And, um, and you know, the, Tony Fauci's job is to make sure that doesn't happen. To find the sources of those chronic diseases. Where did food allergies suddenly appear in 1989? Why did we see all these people with celiac disease and peanut allergies? Beginning in that year, why do we see rheumatoid arthritis and juvenile diabetes? Clearly, there is an environmental toxin. Genes do not cause epidemic. They may provide the vulnerability, but you need an environmental toxin. And, um, and his job is to identify the toxin so that we can then eliminate it. But that's not what he does. And as a result, we've seen this dramatic explosion, a decline in public health. You know, we, we have the worst infant mortality rate of the top 25 nations. When he came into office, we were the, we were the healthiest people. Today, we're the unhealthiest people in the industrialized world. We're 79th in terms of, you know, the overall uh, public health metrics. We we consume three times the pharma the pharmaceutical products uh, of any other Europe, uh, Western nation. We pay the highest prices, and we are by far the sickest. And it's it's largely, as I show in the book, Tony Fauci is responsible. He's not the solely responsible. He, however, could have prevented the whole thing. He could have. His job was to identify those problems and, and you know, and lead the way to, uh, to eliminating them. And he could have done that. And that's not what he's doing. He he's turned that agency into a incubator for pharmaceutical products so between 2009 and 2016. There were some 240 products approved by FDA, new drugs, and that all came out of Tony Fauci's shop. Oh, what he does with he has a seven he has a six point one billion dollar budget, which he distributes to colleges and universities to do drug research for various diseases. He has another one point seven billion that comes from the military that essentially is to do bioweapons research. And that's why he had to do the gain of function. He was locked into that. Sixty-eight percent of his personal salary comes from doing that military bioweapons research, which used to be called dual use. 
it's illegal for the, for uh, for anybody to do bioweapons development and manufacturing, but there's an exception in the 1972 Act for research and development that is for dual use. In other words, it's research that could be used for bio, that is useful for developing bioweapons, but it also is useful for vaccines. So if you can say I'm doing vaccine research then you can do bioweapons research, backdoor bioweapons research. And that's what he did in after the anthrax attacks in 2001. The Pentagon and the CIA began pouring money into bioweapons research. And the Pentagon was nervous about doing it itself because of the ban, the prohibition on it. So um, those cohorts began uh, funneling money to Tony Fauci to do it because he could legitimately say, well, I'm not really doing bioweapons research, I'm doing vaccine research. And then a bunch of his little bugs escaped in 2014 from his lab and from other people's labs. And 300 scientists signed a letter to President Obama asking them to stop Tony Fauci. And that's when he began funneling a lot of this money to the Wuhan lab and partnering with Chinese military scientists and teaching them not only how to uh, how to develop, how to take bad coronaviruses and make them transmissible and pathogenic and virulent to human beings, but also his specialty, one of his chief scientists, Ralph Barrick from the University of North Carolina, developed a um, a technique called a no, the noceum technique for hiding the engineer evidence of the human engineering of those viruses. And um, and Barrick, who was funded by Fauci, then shared that research with Xingli Zhi, the Chinese scientist known as Bad Lady and was able to master the technique. And, you know, they, these people are all publishing on this stuff and they weren't embarrassed about it. And the Chinese were very, very open that they were, this was weapons research. This, they, don't, they didn't pretend it was vaccine research. Like, they were like, this is weapons research and we are glad we're able to do it. And they had, Fauci was giving them millions and millions of dollars, but the biggest contributor was the CIA, which gave uh, about $69 million through USAID to do that kind of research. And then the Pentagon um, through DARPA, which uh, gave about $39 million to do that. And the three of them were all working in tandem. U.S. agencies with smaller amounts coming from Homeland Security and the other agencies, and they were teaching the Chinese how to make how to weaponize bat viruses. Well, the J. Edgar Hoover of well, let, let's stop for a moment because uh, describing uh, Anthony Fauci as the J. Edgar Hoover of public health is such a perfect description that I'm going to steal it because I think it gets to the heart of what we're discussing here, which is that this man has somehow or other managed to take over a relative backwater of the Washington bureaucracy, as you point out, in 1984. Who was talking about NIAID? No one. It was a nothing agency. It is now... Because because infectious disease had basically stopped causing mortalities after the Spanish flu. And the Spanish flu was not a flu. 
And as Tony Fauci himself wrote in 2008, he really documented the fact it was a bacteriological infection. So there's no reason to be scared of it anymore because it can be obliterated in two days by antibiotics. So really in this century, you'd see, you've seen the complete decline of infectious disease mortalities. And by 1980, the Reagan administration, infectious disease mortalities were such an infinitesimal threat to Americans that the Reagan administration was talking about abolishing NIAID and CDC a year. And in those agencies, they were talking about, we got to find a pandemic in order to justify our existence. And I show in the book, Oops. again and again, they fabricated pandemics. They fabricated a flu pandemic in 1976, and then in 2005, an avian flu pandemic, a swine flu in 2009, complete fabrication. In 2005, one person died in a pandemic, and they spent $40 billion on vaccines and had mandatory vaccine programs globally. And, um, you know, and they do this again, and I show again and again, Zika was a phony, Tony Fauci's phony pandemic. There was, Zika was completely not associated with microcephaly. And he went to Congress and said, Zika's causing kids to be born with small heads. And he got $2.2 billion for his agency and it, to get a vaccine. And as it turns out, my Zika was no threat to anybody and definitely did not cause microcephaly. It was all fabricated. And he's done this again and again and again, the same playbook, to use it to clamp down totalitarian controls and to sell pharmaceutical products to use these fake pandemics. And I'm not saying COVID is fake because it isn't, but it is. The response to it has not been a medical response. It's been a militarized and a monetized response that is very, very much pre-calculated. Well, let's get into the specifics of how this type of um scare can be manipulated because that's something that we need to wrap our minds around to understand what's happening right now. And in chapter four of your book, in fact, several chapters deal with Fauci's uh, uh, involvement in the AIDS crisis and AZT and that scandal. But in chapter four of your book, you specifically go through how the AIDS crisis that Fauci was at the helm of there in the 1980s was essentially the template for what was to come during the generated crisis of the past two years. And you talk about pumping up pandemic fears to lay the groundwork for larger budgets and greater powers, incriminating an elusive pathogen, fanning hysteria by exaggerating disease transmiss transmissibility, periodically stoking waning fear levels by warning of mutant super strains and future surges, etc., etc. There's a list of about 20 different ways in which the AIDS crisis can be seen as a template for what has happened over the past couple of years. Can you elaborate a bit about that? Well, one, you know, one of the things that he did during the AIDS crisis, he captured, he got, he, he, he was able to go through a struggle with National Cancer Institute because the initial signal of AIDS was Kaposi's sarcoma, which is a cancer. And so it, it, the, the AIDS went to the National Cancer Institute, and he was able to use um, studies that show that maybe it's a viral infection caused by HIV 
to get control of all that new funding. And he went up to billions of dollars and that really made him the boss. But what he did, he didn't know how to develop drugs and NIAID had no capacity at that time to develop, to develop drugs. And National Cancer Institute did and knew how to have big labs and it was developing cancer drugs. His agency didn't know how, so it really had to rely on a private pharmaceutical company, um, uh, which is now Glaxo, is then welcome, uh, borrows welcome. That drug that appeared to kill HIV, it killed HIV because it killed everything that it touched. It was a, a really toxic chemotherapy drug. It was so toxic, it killed all the mice in the, in the chemotherapy experiment. And the guy who developed it actually thrown it on a junk pile and didn't even patent it because he said, this can never be used. Chemotherapy, what you do, you give it for two weeks and it kills every cell in the DNA in human bodies. But you're hoping that it kills the tumor first before it kills the person. It was Tony Fauci's idea to give that chemotherapy job uh, to people for life, which, of course, it means their life was going to be extremely short, which is exactly what happened. And in order he had to shorten the experiment, the, the, the clinical trial, because within six weeks, it was killing everybody in the clinical trial. And the way he kept him alive is by pumping the people in the in the. AZT group with daily, in some cases, daily blood transfusions and not giving the transfusions to the HIV infected people in the placebo group. The transfusions kept them alive, allowed him to claim this was a miracle drug, and he got it approved in record time. You know, it was a rush, emergency use approval, and, you know, at the end, he declares it's so effective that it's unethical to uh, to continue the trials and we're going to unblind them and give it to all the people in the placebo group, exactly what he did with the vaccines. Then he um, th then it required him be, by that time, there were community doctors all over America that were finding repurposed drugs that were really effective against the symptoms of of AIDS, the things that actually killed people, the pneumonia and all, you know, all of these other symptoms that killed people. And he had to, in order to get his ACT approved for emergencies, he had to kill those drugs. So he suppressed them. He punished doctors who were he wouldn't um, he wouldn't allow FDA to approve any of them. He wouldn't allow fast track approval. My uncle was fighting with them and fighting with them. Ted Kennedy, who was the chair of the health committee, to force him to do of uh, 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 fast track approvals for those uh, for those drugs that the community, these wonderful community doctors were using. And what happened is people who had AIDS were quickly recognizing that AZT was killing their friends who got on it. And they they were desperate to get these other drugs. And so they had these buyers clubs that popped up all over the country. And the movie Dallas Buyers Club is was originally written uh, about Tony Fauci as the villain because he was the one that was preventing all these people from getting their hands on these working medications that because they there was no profits in them for the drug industry. And so the, you had these buyer's clubs where people would go to Mexico or they'd go to Europe or they'd go any Canada and they'd get these drugs and bring them back and distribute them to people. And 
So it's the same thing he did now with suppressing ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, monocloidal steroids, you know, all of the things that we know are very effective against COVID. Anti-inflammatories, the anticoagulants, you know, the antibiotics that work, actually work, vitamin D, the zinc, and all of those things get suppressed. So there's only one solution. Back then it was AZT for AIDS. Today it's the vaccine. It's always a deadly experimental, quick, but, you know, drug. That, that. But I was just going to say, if we could let it roll to 32 minutes, I just want to hear this and then we can pull it there. But apparently at 32 minutes, he talks about an orphan children experiment where he killed all, I guess, or uh, hundreds of orphan children were murdered uh, by... Uh, um, experimentation with AZT. So I kind of. I just I wanted to mention real quick because I was going to mm-hmm. have him pause it too. Um, <clears throat> Carrie Mullis talked about. Uh, let me just do it like this. Carrie Mullis, uh, the chemist who won the Nobel Prize for creating the PCR test. Correct. Yeah. Who talked PCR about technology. Fauci uh, in very low esteem terms. Uh, his. His main thesis was in that interview that he was supposed to, uh, what was it? He, ha- he got a grant to show that HIV caused AIDS or, or something. And he had to go find, like, uh, he had to go talk to the other Nobel Prize winner, um, Luc Montagnier, who was credited with that. He's like, hey, what's the source? I need to write this paper. And the first source he needed was that HIV's ca- uh, HIV caused AIDS. In order to do this whole thing, this whole grant. So he went to the guy who got it. And then he points to recent research and he's like, wait a minute, I thought you got the Nobel Prize for proving that HIV caused it was a virus that caused AIDS, right? And the guy who got the Nobel Prize didn't have it. So that started to clue him in on how things work out there. It's interesting that Tony Fauci latched on that AIDS was a virus. And as you just heard RFK Jr. articulate, the Spanish flu wasn't. That was those deaths weren't from a flu, from bacterial uh, infections, from wearing dirty masks. And Fauci knew knew this. He wrote a paper on it, two thousand four, two thousand eight, that RFK Jr. uh, referred to there. But there's another angle with the HIV, and it's on the CIA influence in creating bioweapons in uh, Leopoldville, Congo, and that's why I had the the brain up here, the history blueprint, because it's interesting now the link that I have. it goes to like discredited theories, but there's a smallpox vaccination theory as an origin of AIDS. I, I forgot about that, but all this talk about smallpox tonight and all the talk about HIV being in the coronavirus, I don't know. They, they can cut and paste viruses together, right? Chimeras, well, we just read a doc. Remember the 2018, January 23rd, 2018 um, Senate PDF I just read, and, you know, they're talking about splicing. We can what they call it, horse pox. We, we now have the technology available to rep- weaponize or gain of function various viruses chimer- in a sort of chimeric construction in order to make them pathogenic once again, um, which is very, very disturbing on, 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 on many levels. But, the, you know, I'm not, there's a lot of theories around it. Some people claim, you know, there's no HIV. I'm, I'm a little speculative of that one. Did Dr. Shiva Ayadurai a- had a really interesting theory that it's actually, we all have the HIV virus inside of the bo- human body is made up of bacteria trillions and of, viruses, trillions of viruses and, yeah, that are kept in a, in a balance as sort of, um, and so the idea here is that the sort of homeostatic relationship, so to speak. But the idea here is that 
when you suppress the immune system, then certain viruses or opportunistic bacteria emerge and well, become that's what pathogenic. it does. It suppresses, it the, suppresses immune the immune system. That's the it's argument. It's interesting that, these yeah, discredited right. theories. You got it. Smallpox vaccination theory, hepatitis B vaccine theory, oral polio vaccine. There's Wasn't a there a vaccine, vaccine therapies. with um, the a lot of vaccine Spanish theories flu? around AIDS? Yes, there was. It's right yeah. here in this book. Dun, 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 on the top of my stack, the yeah, great, the great influenza. influenza. And what was the one that was caught with the the smallpox? No, no, no. In 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 the Merck place in Philadelphia. Oh, it was, you mean, it was smallpox and vaccinia. Oh, vaccinia Vax- is the name of vaccinia? the vaccines. They have the smallpox vials. It's and the like vaccinia this book, vials vaccine. Hey, you got it. Ah. <laughs> vaccinia. Oh, is that the universe winking at us? A little synchronicity there. I'm just saying. Sometimes a puzzle starts to fit together for people. Very interesting. Sometimes it's very. Sometimes. And then, you know, Judy. Not I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Judy Mikovits, but she made a mention. She was on Dell Big Tree a couple weeks. A couple months ago, we had we actually showed her, I think, during an intermission, and she mentioned all the effective therapeutics and how they were systematically undermined, specifically by, by Dr. Tony Fauci funding uh, uh, studies uh, that were improper and properly conducted. And uh, in order to prove that these other therapeutics don't work, and the only thing that works is AZT. Remember, this is the same Dr. Fauci that, that said that you can get it from touching a cereal box. You have the cereal box. You know, Greg Crowder always loves to bring that one up about exaggerating the transmissibility and the seriousness around it. You know, you give it to your children. It never made the, the jump to heterosexual couples. You know, remember the other issue here is it mainly was in prostitution and or homosexual uh, communities. The problem is that back in the 70s and 80s, the homosexual community uh, was taking horse nitrites with, to to exacerbate orgasm and one of the problems with that is it extremely lowers in this episode yeah a lot of horses it extremely lowers immune function it, it completely eradicates immune function of horse nitrates apparently so then again you have this this you know weird emerging disease in the gay community i mean there's a lot of theories around i'm not saying that's the only one but there's horse vaccines in world war one horse pox horse, horse pox in 21st century hey uh what's the connection between aids and the club of rome well, the Club of Rome needs supranational um, uh, issues to guide national policy. So they need uh, climate. They need maybe a, a virus that's pandemic or bacteria or something that could emerge. Maybe it could be anything. It could be in bi- other environmental issues beyond climate. Um, but that, I mean, their, their stated goal is to be able to come up with a sort of boogeyman that will transcend national sovereignty. Oh, let me just look up here, see what I can find. At least that's a philosophical argument as to why as to there's a direct, give a direct one or a specific, specific connection. Club of Rome and the CIA depopulation program at Fauci. What? I've never seen that before, but that's from a month ago. That's interesting because that's not... Or where you see? Oh, it? I did a browser. I did a browser search, and it said uh, hosted, highlighted me. Oh, but I wasn't showing it. So I just did a DuckDuckGo, Club of Rome, HIV, AIDS, just to see what was there today. Because when I put it in my history blueprint, let me go back to that for a second. Let's cut back to this. And I put Club of Rome in this connection. Let's check the properties of that connection. I will be able to see. Show link properties. It doesn't give me the date. But uh, when did I put this in the model? Let's look at that. 2009. All right. So the recent internet results did not influence my model is my point. So there's a, there's a, the first post 
would be Club of Rome, the CIA depopulation program, and Fauci, something or other. I don't know that site. But the next one is Modern History Project, the Club of Rome and Population. Uh, let's see. Anything else relevant? HIV, AIDS, how it began. Club of Rome is mentioned in that article. Um, Club of Rome. Yeah, I, clicked on that. I clicked on that first link. Obviously, it's a sort of sketchy story, but they, they cite the exact quote by the Club of Rome. The common enemy of humanity is man, blah, blah, blah. It was, um, and they go on to state, this is from a book called The Asylum on page 112. Um, this is interesting. It was a difficult decision to agree upon and I'll share this real quick. It was a difficult decision to agree upon how to go about this, but an answer came from Dr. Aurelio Pache of the Club of Rome. Yep. Uh, he advocated that a plague be introduced, similar to that of the Black Death. The recommendation was to develop a microbe to attack the autoimmune system, or rendering the development of vaccine impossible. Orders were given to develop the microbe, develop a prophylactic and a cure. The microbe would be introduced by vaccine to the masses. The prophylactic would be used by the elite. The cure would be administered to survivors. Unfortunately, I can't fact check that only it comes from a book called The Asylum. Here's the book. I'm trying to welcome to the lunatics. I don't Sean McMinn. So I don't. Yeah. You know, so what is uh, so he claims that Aurelio Perche had that quote. Does he cite a reference for that quote? Is there a footnote? Well, let me if you give me a second here. I'll yeah. I'll go to that. Yes. Give me just two seconds. Because uh, Aurelio Perche, as we uh, showed. Uh, many many episodes ago, I can pull out the World Economic Forum, you know, forty year anniversary, and it has the Davos Manifesto, and it's Prince Bernard, a former SS Nazi officer, and Aurelio Pache, and Club of Rome, Aurelio Pache's organization, as we heard earlier tonight, had a nineteen seventy document, and in there it called for a World Economic Forum that they then launched and put Klaus Schwab in, in charge of, and then he's the okay. the public front on the Great Reset today. So there's total span of continuity over 50 right years with uh, tons and tons of interesting artifacts and picture books. And let me just, I'll pull, uh, I'll whip it out. I got some clouds. Yeah, do that while they bring that. I'm almost at the point. Here we go. Okay, so this is on chapter seven, population control. Here's a quote to start as a biologist, the human population explosion. I'm sorry for everyone that's welcome. Let me make this a little bigger for everyone. As a biologist, the human population explosion is the declining spiral of natural resources. To me, the greatest threat of all. The time is ripe, even dangerously overripe, as far as the population control problem is concerned. We shall have to face up or ultimately perish in what a dreary, stupid, unlovely way to perish on a ruined globe stripped of it primeval beauty of its primeval beauty. This is supposedly a quote by Lowell Sumner. Now, the point is we want to be able to fact check whether or not that quote by Pache. Here's a quote by Maurice Strong. This one's from the senior, or he doesn't give, he has these quotes and he gives who they are, but he doesn't give the- Barry direction. Strong was Edmund de Rothschild's front man That's at right. the unsaid conferences for Agenda 21 and the Rio conference and the uh, one from 1987, maybe even back in the 1972 with Gro Brunt Harlan, Harlan, the uh, woman from the Netherlands that was in charge mm -hmm. of the United Nations, OECD. That turned into the unsaid, I think, later. And they certainly tried to keep it unsaid. Right. Uh, Did you find the passage or should I show these books? Show the books while I'm on, like on this. I'm right. right around. I just have to find the exact. Exhibit one, Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum, building international public-private partnerships, which oh, is I found it. entirely what COVID is. 
The uh, World Economic Forum, Partner in Shaping History, the First 40 Years, Shaping the Future of the Fourth Re uh, Industrial Revolution, Klaus Schwab, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, where in the appendix he says you've got to take the brain chips, and COVID-19, the Great Reset, <clears throat> Klaus Schwab, which talks all about uh, shifting over humanity into this technocratic, technotronic, transhumanist, uh, you own nothing and you'll like it and bend over and take it future that they have planned for people. So. That's right. Sort of piggyback. So we're coming back to this very strange book. Um, let's just dive into this a little bit and see if we can flesh it out a tiny bit. So I'll just read this and then we'll, we'll go forward. I think I, I get what's going on here. It was a difficult decision to agree upon how to go about this answer. Um, the Club of Rome, human intervention, human beings being the problem. Dr. Aurelio Pichay of the Club of Rome, he advocated that a plague be introduced, blah, blah, blah. This plan was part of the Global 2000 Plan. Uh, funding was obtained from Congress under House Bill 15090, and this is 1969, $10 million was given to the DOD's 1970 budget. The Senate committee received testimony that a synthetic biological agent, an agent that does not naturally exist and for which no natural immunity could have been acquired, within the next five to 10 years, it would probably be possible to make a new infectious, infective, excuse me, or microorganism, which could differ in certain important aspects from any disease causing organisms. This project named MK Naomi. So, yeah, I've heard. He's, yeah, I'm familiar we'll have with that. To, we'll have to research. So what we're going to what's have the to do year is, of publication of the book you're referencing right now that has what appears to be a species quote attributed to Aurelio Pacheco? It is a species quote. That's a great word for it. Um, but so yeah, let's go back. The year of publication of this, uh, Sean mm -hmm. McMinn, 2017. Okay, so it's before COVID. Before COVID. So if this was written after COVID, I'd say someone's trying to like shyster your money. Exactly. Right. But right. this sounds a little bit more legit being written well, prior to COVID, and it does match up with it's uh, sketchy. The Club I mean, it's of a, Rome. It's a, oh, it's yeah. a conspiracy book, but he is stating the reason why I bring this. He is stating specific things we could research to see whether or not it is true, like the House Bill HB one five zero nine zero. He also talks yeah. about the Global Two Thousand Plan, so we could research the or Global Two Thousand Plan. Or did he take that from? You know, a Jim Mars book or sure, uh, absolutely who's these other characters. Let's go to the end of the book. Is there any yeah. sort of index? Is there anything? Nothing. Um, well, it, it sort of cuts out to pages 189 to 7, 740. Uh, so we, I'm not even sure we're getting the full book here, to be honest. All right, so if that's a real quote, let's just put the quote on the record so we can have people find if it's a real quote from Aurelio Pache and what's the source document where we Yeah, we need to look it. up Pache. We need to look up HB15090. We need to look up Global 2000 Plan and MK Naomi. Those would be the four things to research to see if any of this can be verified. Well, read the quote. Read the quote because yeah, sure. if that quote actually is somewhere where Aurelio Pache. No, we can do that. We can actually, I'll yeah. type that in. I'll let you talk and then yeah. I'll read the quote, let you talk while I type it in. He advocated that a plague be introduced and people can actually, the, the people listening on Rockfin or YouTube or Twitch, if, as I read this, you can also help me out here and send me by PM on Discord if you have my DM. Anyways, here we go. Here's the quote. He advocated that a plague be introduced similar to that of the Black Death. The recommendation was to develop a microbe to attack the autoimmune system, rendering the development of a vaccine impossible. Orders were given to develop the microbe, develop a prophylactic, and a cure. The microbe would be introduced by vaccine to the masses. The prophylactic will be used by the elite. The cure will be, will be administered to survivors when it was decided that enough people had died. That's a pretty extreme quote. I'd be surprised if that's real. But I'll type that so in and see what I can I'm looking at, yep, I'm looking at apparently MK Naomi AIDS is man-made written by Will 
William Cooper, 27th of July, 1990. Let me bring it up on the other screen. Bill Cooper? But you were just quoting this piece. I mean, this website yeah, is incredible. Yeah, I so have uh, Bill Cooper's book, Behold yeah, the Pale Horse. Yeah, yeah. So this is hugequestions.com. Um, <clears throat> I'll send you the link. But yeah, what you were just reading was, I was reading along with it in this document right, right in here. Okay. So yeah, so but, the question ought to be, see if we can actually. But is it a real document just because Bill Cooper reported on yeah, it that's in the, the 90s? What was the source of his? Right, right. Yeah, you got it. Has it held up over time? I've heard of uh, MK Naomi, and there was a couple other, but like MK Ultra is Mind Control Ultra from the Germans. That's why the control is spelled That's with a K. Ultra. Yep. Right. And MK Naomi, I don't, yeah. I well, see, the, the, we have to remember MK Ultra was actually one of, if not many. tens, the yeah, tens and tens and of different tons. MK programs. If I yeah, the sub projects. Mm hmm. And they were research, yeah, exactly. So the other thing is, even if and the, those projects are carried out for the international foundations who use intelligence agencies as a proxy to do stuff, just like <laughs> the East India Company had their intelligence agency, which turned into MI6, now brings you James yeah, Bond exactly. and Time was, Forever. Brought right. to you by Cecil Rhodes and De Beers. Right. It starts out with these private organizations first, which innovate these ideas that then become instantiated in the form of governments as these institutions that are supposed to, you know, help the, the, the people that they're actually using it against. The quote itself seems dubious. I'll admit that. However, what we could, even if the quote is dubious, and it does question, obviously, the authenticity of this book, and I'm just going through this, yeah. uh, it's pretty sketchy. But this Global 2000 plan, the HB15090 and the MK Naomi are still worth Check which I'll do later on. Obviously, we'll check into maybe a Tuesday night during the town hall. We'll, we'll I consider them like silent research. weapons for silent wars, like or mm -hmm. uh, project uh, the Iron Mountain documents. Mm. It's like things that describe what's actually going on without being authenticated documents themselves. Correct. Right. There's yeah. that uh, Albert Pike World War Three quote, which is totally specious that people pass around mm. all the time. And that's why it's fun to be incredulous and be like, well, is that a real quote? Because the temptation is that seems like bait to me. Yeah, species I've been in this almost familiar. 20 years. Right. Why haven't I heard that particular quote there, before? I would have found it a useful artifact in the arsenal over here. And it's just the I'm way it's worded. Like people authenticate. Yeah. don't quite go to say that there is a special thing for the elite. For the, like they won't, usually the elites don't, aren't that careless with their words. Well, that's a little bit. Yeah. Now he wrote that in 2017. That could easily be gleaned from the 2017 Pentagon pandemic planning sure. document that specifies a novel respiratory coronavirus in order to have a, a international pandemic situation of global lockdown. Right. Yep. So yep. maybe that's put out there by those uh, nonprofit foundations as a little smoke to cover their fire. I mean, see, if it's not truth, it's a little cywarish. If it's not accidental, then it seems intentional. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a weird, you know. Just continue reading. It's just it's, it's weird. I mean, they say they want to target the poorer populations, black, Hispanic, homosexual. Then they go on to talk about the Alexander Haig Kissinger depopulation policy, which determine U.S. foreign policy. I mean, it's a lot of pretty. This is the Tim Pool A to D sort of argument patternicity. They policy. only want to target half the or a part of the population that's homosexual. The other, like, they only want to target the homosexual people who do it for love because these are people who practice it from a position of power and there's no mm -hmm. love in it for them. 
Yeah, they exactly. do it. They do it. They do it for power. That's uh, that's right. and then the most recent the Netflix show. Well, comes from an older show that comes from a book. You know, House of Cards. And the very first season with Zoe, when he's having the affair with Zoe, he's like, "Why? He's he's gay, right?" The main it's um, what's his House, name? House it's, of Cards. Well, no, I mean, like the the main actor, uh, Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey. Like he's actually because he has that weird connection with his old college and some fraternal organization, and how he had a gay relationship there, and he's married to his wife because he has to have a position where he, you know, is nor it's normalized for the rest, so he can get into positions of power. But he has different. Sounds like they used but, Kate Griggs' story to make yeah, that right, show. right. And but what's interesting is like he he says to Zoe, who's that reporter, who's leaking all this information into blackmail members of Congress and whatnot. And he's saying, you know, she's asking like, why do you do this? He's like, I don't like, I don't even enjoy the sex. Like, I do this for power. He literally tells this to her, like, I I have sex. This is a power relationship. And like, I mean, it's just exactly what, yeah. I mean, that's exactly that's before that reporter got whacked. Right. Yeah. And then she gets, well, he kills her then. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler. Sorry. Sorry. It's been out there for years. Oh, so I guess he's, he goes on later to say William Cooper states, so he must've used William Cooper as a source, which means we'd have to use William Cooper to see where William Cooper got it. Cause he goes on later here to say William Cooper states that population control is the real reason for the Vietnam, blah, 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 blah. But you'd have to, I mean, William Cooper is an interesting figure in history and what happened to him is, he was Suspect. shot by law yeah. enforcement on the That's 5th right. of November 2001, right after 9-11? Right or, after 9-11, I think. Or was it, was it before 9 I think it might have been before. Might have been 2000. Might be it, November uh, yeah. 5th. I'm pretty sure 2001's right. I heard I heard Brett and, um, Brett and Kevin. And, yeah, November 5th, 2001. Yeah, also, since know. this is uh, JFK anniversary day. Uh, it's funny. When I bring this up, so the, that book, like the very first thing on the Milton William Cooper Wikipedia, it says Cooper also described HIV AIDS as man-made disease used to target blacks, Hispanics, and homosexuals, and that a cure is made before it was implemented. So, I mean, it's sort of what that book is kind of insinuating the asylum, which so unfortunately it's very hard to be able Peter to Peter Duesberg. Um, uh, what was the other book that, uh, or there was, a, there was a documentary by Edward Hooper right here. See brain. Uh, Let's see. It's one page back. The River, A Journey to the Source of HIV and AIDS by Edward Hooper. Hmm. And that fit in with The Katanga Crisis and Inventing AIDS by uh, Dr. Peter Duesberg. I think yeah, Duesberg argued that that book goes for like a thousand bucks on Amazon right now. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, Duesberg is like saying, saying Duesberg is like saying Andrew Wakefield today. I mean, you just, there's, that's, you can draw an equivalence between the way they've been persecuted. Not saying that they're right or wrong, but just the attacks against them is very similar. Well, comparison and contrast. Right. And then you have the same attacks against the effect of therapeutics. I think Duesberg's main point, and I remember talking to my, my mentor about this, Gino Denning, he's like, the, the issue is we, there's nothing being identified. There's a series of viruses that have been identified. But the problem is there's no one virus called HIV. It's no, like no, a, I agree. I agree yeah, yeah. with that all. My my first question would be like, let's put facts on the board. Mm-hmm. Is there a place called uh, Congo? Is there a town called Leopoldville? Was CIA and MI6 doing biological research there? All true. Did, did AIDS end up originating from there? Like, what part of Occam's? And remember the story know? that emerged. Like, and the what, for population story? control, would they need to kill everyone all at once, or could they just turn people's immune system off and let them die over time and not be fertile enough to reproduce? That would do the same thing, right? And which, actually, which are they doing? 
Well, it's even that's a great point. But then on top of that, you'll never be able to tie it back to the original source of the problem. Why are people's immune systems failing? Why can't, can't people reproduce? And all of a sudden, then you have a million therapeutics produced by the drug companies that maybe will help you live a little longer if you make enough money and have your carbon credits in store. You know yeah, what I mean? Fast like, forward and you're all just last mimsied. <laughs> Literally. The, that's the last mimsy. It's a kid's yes. movie, but really it's a, a cautionary Prophetic. tale for humanity and technocracy. Yes, yes, it is. So. That's a fun little deep dive. See it at a theater near you. All right. So, uh, what other things do we need to cover? Well, we need to continue playing RFK and uh, Corbett interview a little bit, right? I wanted, wanted to, to, get to thirty-two minutes. Yeah, around thirty-two. Yeah, there's a um, the Senate told me this. It gets really harrowing. Essentially, he talks about hundreds of orphan children killed by Fauci with an ex- with the experimental HIV drug AZT, and I but just they were that killed with kindness, them. Senna. It's a Sorry. whole difference there. That sounds the like Fabian socialist <coughs> Jamie when Deluxe the Fabian video. socialist mentality kill people. It doesn't hurt. Sounds like what that Jamie Deluxe video yeah. was talking about that we played a couple weeks ago. Yes, good observation. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's very true. Let's play a little bit of that, and then we can come back and just finish up with a Gregory's John Don. Get out of here. So, so yeah, play a couple more minutes, and yeah, sorry, good. That wipes out the the, and that he has to abbreviate the. Um, the uh, clinical trials and declare it's a success. He, he's a, it's a, you know, it's a really. Oh, pause it uh, for a second. That, I'm sorry. Just one- I'm sorry. I mean, I was, it, it was the first thing I thought was let's go back, you know, let's listen to RFK Jr., a man whose father was killed by the government. And then I thought, shit, his uncle was killed by the government too. And then That's I thought, correct. shit, today's the anniversary of that. I had not put that all together yet. That oh, it is the twenty seventh nephew Holy of JFK shit. is on the show right now when we're coming to that realization. It's also so it's now they under that eleven eleven twenty two is also numerically for those who are into the occult is an ritual interesting killing the king. Something else that Bill Cooper talked about and behold a pale horse. I think you got it. I'm not saying there's anything to that though. It's just Egyptian <laughs> magic. Just, just Egyptian death up. magic. Nothing to see there in Dallas, everybody. <laughs> it's a ritual setting. All right, back to RFK Jr. Please with that context. One of the times he's done that again and again and again and again throughout his long career. Right. As, as you say in the book, it's a well-worn dog-eared playbook that he's playing from be, precisely because it has worked in the past and it's continuing to work to this day. As you say, his avuncular attitude and uh, it sort of deflects all the criticism that never seems to, to really land on him. But you, you paint a very vivid p- picture in this book of a particular instance of how Fauci has wielded his power over his fiefdom to suppress dissent against Against him, and that was the uh, story of Dr. Peter Duesberg. Tell people about the, how the career of Peter Duesberg was completely derailed by Fauci. Well, Duesberg was probably was the most brilliant virologist in the world. He'd won more NIH awards than anybody else. He'd won virtually every award that could be won in virology, and it, he was clearly going to win the Nobel Prize. For finding an oncogene, which is a cancer-causing uh, gene, and which he discovered, and it launched an, an entire discipline in virology. And then he himself went back and looked at it, and he said, "This doesn't make any sense from a, an evolutionary point of view." And he wrote the paper that exploded 
his own theory and and you know and lost him the Nobel Prize, but he didn't care about anything except integrity, and he was really uh, this. He, he is he's still alive. Um, this incredible um, and highly highly respected scientist, and he um, he did not believe that the deaths that were being attributed to a AIDS in the late in the 80 from 81 to 84 he did not believe that they were being caused by HIV he believed that they were uh, largely the result of of uh, poppers and a whole constellation of uh, of drugs of of, um, of heroin speed you know methadrine cocaine that were part of the fast track gay life, post Stonewall gay lifestyle. And if you looked at now, you know, now what he was saying is now accepted science. It's now Kaposi's sarcoma, which was AIDS, is no longer even listed as a symptom of AIDS. It's now, you know, understood that it is an environmental uh, result and that it's caused by poppers. Um which is amyl nitrate, which was a ubiquitous uh, drug that was used in the gay community. It was sold in every gay bar. And at the end of the night, the gay bars would, you know, declare last call for alcohol, last call for poppers. It was sold in the bathhouses and the nightclubs and everything else. And it was, and all the people, 100% of the people originally diagnosed with AIDS had, um, were popper users. And so, uh, he, he, Duisburg, when, you know, did this exhaustive research and published a groundbreaking paper and then became a, a huge critic of Fauci. And I show in my book how Fauci was able to use uh, strategically placed money as control of all of this research. He, you know, uh, $6.1 billion in research grants to get the universities to shut him out, to get him denied all awards, invitations to conferences, to punish his graduate students so nobody would take his courses and to destroy his career. And he succeeded in doing that. He really isolated and um, he made... Uh, Duisburg, a pariah, and he refused to debate him. He refused, you know, he silenced him. And that's the problem, whether, you know, whether Duisburg was correct or not, I don't reach a, um, a conclusion on that. Uh, I say specifically, I don't know. But Duisburg's arguments make a lot of sense. If you read them, his and his book is absolutely persuasive. That doesn't mean there, there's tens of thousands of articles on AIDS and HIV, and I haven't read them all. So I, I'm not eligible or competent to make a judgment. But what I do know is that science is dynamic and there ought to be debate. And anytime somebody says there's a consensus in science, that person is a liar and they're manipulating you because they're, the, the, the phrase scientific consensus is oxymoronic. I was part of the legal team on the Monsanto case, you know, where we won $2.2 billion. We won three cases in a row, last one, $2.2 billion, and then we settled with, un, you know, on Roundup. And in that case, there, Monsanto came to court with um, top scientists in the country from Harvard and Stanford. And they made very, very convincing 
uh, presentations on what they said was consensus science. And then we brought our scientists from Harvard and Stanford who were looking at the same data and coming up with a different conclusion. And they were under cross-examination. We were able to prove that their scientists were wrong, ours were right, and persuade a jury to give these huge judgments. And, you know, so medicine is about consultation, it's about debate, it's about conversation. It's not about one guy standing up there and say, this is the answer. And if we want good policies for everything in a democracy, we need a free flow of information and we need uh, ideas to triumph in the marketplace. And what Fauci has succeeded in doing in this country is really shutting down debate completely and, and this extraordinary capacities that he's developed through relationships with the media, the social media. And, you know, the whole army, the medical cartel and intelligence agencies to literally shut down debate on any issue that he wants to simply proclaim, you know, as truth. Well, uh, let's let's move on to another part. I know we have limited time today and I want to cover what you talk about in chapter seven of your book, because I'm sure everyone by this point has heard, and if not, they should at least look it up about Beaglegate, as it has been termed, and the horrific experiments on uh, animals that were funded through Fauci's uh, agency. But not a lot of people have probably heard about what you cover in chapter seven of this book, Dr. Fauci, Mr. Hyde, Nyad's barbaric and illegal experiments on children, which for me personally, as a father of two beautiful, wonderful, healthy children who I love more than life itself. This chapter was the most difficult to read through, but perhaps you can share some of these, this information with the listeners. Well, it's part of a pair of chapters, one of them about his experiments on children with these novel chemotherapy drugs that they were testing out for AIDS in the other in the united states and then in the other one on children and pregnant mothers in africa and they were both just equally horrific and in the united states he the only way he got um, most of his experiment where he's targeted throughout his career blacks and hispanics for these kind of medical experiments and in this case he was able to, to get control of foster homes in seven states and essentially turn these pharmaceutical companies loose on these children. And they, the, the, uh, the experiments that they were conducted were absolutely barbaric. And the children were tortured. They did not have legal representation, which is illegal. They did not have guardians. You cannot put a child into a um, into a clinical trial in this country without an independent guardian. And and he made sure that those kids did not have guardians. And they were literally tortured to death. You know, the children who refused, who who stopped taking the drugs because they were so um, uh, they made them so sick. Many of these kids did not have HIV. So they were getting no benefit from these drugs. They were just being used as guinea pigs. And they um, and the children who refused or were non-compliant were sent to Columbia Hospital and had feeding tubes installed in them so that uh, the drug companies could continue to administer the drugs even when the kids fought back. And at least 85 of these kids died during the experiments. Uh, Celia Farber, who was an incredible researcher, who worked with me on this chapter in the book, 
actually found a graveyard in up in uh, Hudson Valley, north of New York City, in Hawthorne, New York. It's called Gates of Heaven Cemetery, where there was a, a pit. Um, it was covered by a astroturf carpet, and it had hundreds and hundreds of tiny coffins haphazardly piled in that pit with the bodies of these children. And... Um, we don't know where a lot of those kids came from, but we know that at least 85 of them, at least, were, came, were, the, were casualties of Tony Fauci's experiments. And then after New York, he took that roadshow to Africa and ended up killing a lot of pregnant mothers in Africa and, um, you know, getting away with it because of the... The weakness, the power of his agency, his contacts with he was, you know, his whole thing fell apart at one point, but he was able to to use his contacts with President Bush to really to get him out of a jam. And I, you know, I talk about that. I I give detail there. As you know, there's twenty two hundred footnotes in the book. Every statement in there is sourced and cited to government databases or to peer reviewed publications or uh, to, you know, to good sources. So um, uh, the, the story is incredible. I think the most important story in the book is in the last chapter, which is called Germ Games, which talks about um, the orchestrated planned use of pandemics to clamp down totalitarian control. And it was a surprise to me. It was all new research. Nobody has seen this before. But the deep, deep involvement of the intelligence agencies in, um, you know, in pandemic planning, which is weird because, you know, why is the CIA is not a health agency? Um, it, uh, it doesn't do public health. It does coup d'etat. It's uh, and a lot of people know about event 201 which was this extraordinary pandemic planning event, a simulation that was put on in October 2019. It was hosted by Bill Gates um, and by April Haynes, who was the former deputy director of the CIA. She's now the head of the National Security Agency, the top spy in our country. And the people were, it's an extraordinary group of people. They were, they were uh, simulating a coronavirus pandemic worldwide in October 2019. So the, the, uh, we now know from the National Security Agency is that the pandemic almost certainly escaped from the Wuhan lab on September 12th and was circulating already in Wuhan a month before this pandemic took place and the Chinese knew about it. And at the simulation is George Gao, who is the head of the Chinese CDC. And then they have representatives from the drug companies, the social media companies, the mainstream media companies like Bloomberg and Washington Post and the health agencies. And they're simulating a pandemic. And they're not simulating how do you get vitamin D to people and how do you get zinc and how do you stockpile, you know, kerosene and how do you create grids of, to hook the 11 million doctors in the world to figure out what protocols are working and what repurposed medications are working? How do you quarantine the sick and not the healthy? How do you preserve the Constitution? And the, none of that was discussed. 
it was all how do you use the pandemic as a pretense to clamp down totalitarian controls and obliterate and deconstruct democracy. And the last simulation, which is called Seminar 4, was all about how do you get the social media companies to uh, censor any discussion of a lab-generated coronavirus epidemic. It's pretty amazing when you like you're thinking, do they think we're stupid? When you read this, you can. What I found out in the book was that that was not a one-off event. That they had probably around twenty of these events. I document, I think, fourteen of them beginning or in two thousand. They're called Operation Lockstep. It's how do you get all of the country, all the liberal democracies in the world to pivot and turn into dictatorships overnight. And they're all, every one of them, many of them are, are sponsored by Gates and his Johns Hopkins, you know, population center. Um, but all of them, the one thing they all have in common is a huge, huge presence by the CIA. And they are all orchestrated. They're all, the scripts are written by them. Uh, there's famous people involved in many of them. Madeleine Albright, Senator Frank Church, uh, um, other senators and Congressman Gates, and they involved hundreds of thousands of people. So there were, you know, they involved frontline workers from not only health workers, but from the utilities, from the oil companies, from the police, firefighters in, in all the cities around our country, Canada, the United States, or Europe, Australia, and they did them all simultaneously in all these countries. And it's really chilling, I think, for people to read. Absolutely, yes. And I was impressed by the third. Go ahead and pause it. You can catch the rest of that interview at CorbettReport.com. And I had not I've not seen the rest of it. I didn't see the part that we just saw together, but I did notice an amazing amount of synchronicity of things that we've even just mentioned in this episode earlier tonight being purveyed by RFK Jr. I think that's a sign of high intelligence uh, that, that these minds are working together out there. He can see what we're seeing here on this show. These are good things. I also want to point out, since they talked about the CIA, let's just show it because you're getting your roads pill on, right? The Central Intelligence Agency was wholeheartedly and, and thoroughly created as a mirror image of our British cousins. And when you check out the OSS, which preceded it, and British Security Coordination, which set up in Rockefeller Center, okay, you start to see the Anglo-American establishment rear its head. It's the legacy of Cecil Rhodes and its many working groups. One of those working groups is called Central Intelligence Agency, and it was born out of the Double Cross or the X2 uh, committee in uh, you know is the Anglo-American establishment of uh, back-channel intelligence, of which uh, you know you have James Bond and these Ian Fleming uh, character back then, and his character of James Bond coming forth from the operations of the Anglo-American establishment. So there's a lot of history right there to dig into. But if you went above the uh, you know uh, CIA here and you go back to the beginning, we could see. Uh, the last will and testament of Cecil Rhodes and these various influences of uh, British commandos and British security coordination and Brown Brothers, which is a British bank that the uh, Harrimans and the Americas also got partnered up with. That's Anglo-American establishment. They funded the Nazis. This is where Prescott Bush rises to power, Br Brown Brothers Harriman. 
And then his son becomes director of the CIA and might have been at the JFK assassination. So, you know, there's a big circle of uh, influence, Council on Foreign Relations, influence in creating CIA, Rockefeller Foundation, David Rockefeller himself. These sort of things are part of history. They should be studied. They should be known. And uh, the fact that someone from N- who became an NSA director, the woman at the uh, event 201 table who became yeah. director of NSA afterwards, NSA is our uh, American version of the British GCHQ, which has been around since 1901. So they've been doing signal intelligence and playing the spy game a whole lot longer than America. And to think that the CIA or Fauci is at the top of any of these things is also a kind of a naive lacking. That's the Crowder side. Yeah. Right. That's what he, he looks at and says like, Oh, it's but if you see see club of Rome and and these other uh, working groups up here, and then you see Fauci carrying out diligently his role for those overlords makes a whole lot more sense. Yes. Then why is this guy so powerful? It's like, cause they control bio weapons, right? That's why CIA, DOD, Fauci, NIH, all these agencies since 1972, which was also the same year as that UN charter on global warming back then. Right. Yeah. A lot of things have long continuity in this game that's being played today without the historical context to be able to reach back at least two, three, four, five, six decades and pull forth the relevant information on these topics, we're, we're flying blind. And right. it's not necessary if, since we know how to read and open our eyes, we have the, we have the documents available. And there's larger supranational institutions <clears throat> like the, the UN or the Club of Rome or Trilateral Commission so forth and so on. They're not the operating branch. They're not the ones that carry it out necessarily. They're the ones who... Um, come up with the plans, the protocols. Yeah. They, they, they philosophize, if you will, exactly. Right, they it. do strategy, and then that's there's other groups the, that do the tactics. That, that's where the Fauci... CIA is tactics. They're not yes. coming up with grand plans. They carry out plans in military and operational... Coup d'etat, plans. just like yeah, I mean, it was you know, nothing but coup d'etats. Um, or the other... JFK callback, really? <laughs> Next thing, you're going to be coup wearing d'etat. like a, you know, a man liquor carcano necklace and be like, this one's for you, Jackie. Oh, that's yeah. I forgot about Bill Hicks. That's fucked up, man. Maybe we should play the Bill Hicks at the end. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, I you want me bring? I don't know. You have to give me a couple more clues, but I'm sure I can find it. Yeah, uh, just type in Bill Hicks JFK. (laughs) Mm -hmm. JFK, Okay, find it. Find it. So Rhodes, uh, who has the power? to assassinate an American president in front of everybody and cover it up for 75 years. Anyone in America? No. Or were there any other multinational organizations that might've wanted to see the Irish guy, the Irish Catholic guy die? Who's had a fight with Irish Catholics (laughs) for a long time? If only there was a group that was like the enemy of that group, I mean, I know well, that's JFK's dad, century. Joe Kennedy, he was like bootlegger ambassador to what was the country? Ambassador Kennedy worked. Uh, what, what, uh, I don't remember. Can't remember. Hmm. It's too long. I figure it's rhetorical, but no. It's the it's that country where the woman with the red hat said, "Make America great, Britain again." The old lady still alive. How old is she now? The mother of King Charles. Uh, King Charles has got to be getting kind of angry because he's not going to have many. He's got this whole UN global agenda. 
And he just can't wait to unfold it. His mom just has to quit work. It's got to quit work. Yeah. He's got to retire. It's funny. The answer to the ambassador to England. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. England, Britain. Sorry. Great Britain. I guess you have to include the other islands, but sure. Yeah. Not the University of Kentucky, the United Kingdom. The one that has a military defense program, the Wildcat. strategic trends program that predicts the future that we're in right now. That group. But, Seems like you know. they've been at this at a long time. But then there's another thought that maybe we shouldn't even have to think about these things and just go play Sega. <laughs> Skate around. Maybe we create a video game that it's like an action, action adventure game where you come to realize all this through you know, the hero realizing it. You know, going through called, and- called the hero's journey. <laughs> there you go. Pretty much. Next. Pretty much. Next in the metaverse, the hero's journey. Learn how to be a robotic overlord with poor, poor choices of hairstyles. <laughs> That's more like the anti-hero. Do you see Bill even- Gates? He's going with the Caesar too. He's going with like the Zuckerberg Caesar style. That was in that clip earlier tonight. I was like, oh, mm. I see the trend. Going with the emperor haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, they're getting ready to upload themselves. To some it works in the metaverse. Space. It all looks better in the metaverse. But yeah, they, sh- when they try to look, do it in reality, it looks a little off. That's what we're sensing. <laughs> what clips do we have to cover before we uh, close out the show? How the trolls will, how the police are trolling in the metaverse. That'll be kind of fun to witness. Um, the only ones I can think of, there's two here. Um, Totaling about seven minutes between the two. Like one's three minutes, one's four minutes. Uh, Greg Reese, with the support of the big banks, the CCP prepares for world dominate. That's an interesting one, I think, worth playing. And then that next one is John Bound, which is Prince Charles, Queen Elizabeth, and, uh, you know, what's what's coming for him. So those so two, a, I think, that back H. to back. That H.W. Bush guy that I mentioned a couple minutes ago, he definitely wasn't like an ambassador who opened China to trade in the 1970s for David Rockefeller and his friends to exploit the Chinese even further than they had in the beginning of the 20th century. So we shouldn't have to worry about the Chinese Communist Party because Mao wasn't what he wasn't one of David Rockefeller's greatest experiments, according to an article in the New York Times that never existed called Tales from a China Traveler. So I'm glad we don't have to worry about these things because there's don't have to worry you know, about it at all. Those facts, they're just, uh, that's interesting about time. So that, that I did not know. That's a fascinating. That's almost there. as good as reading Joe Biden's, uh, wall street journal. How, well, I, it makes how I came to love the new world order by Joe, Senator Joseph yeah. Biden. <laughs> like, right. you know, whether it's, whether it's David Rockefeller bragging about Mao Zedong and the communist endeavor, or Zbigniew Brzezinski bragging about how they supported Pol Pot. I mean, there's just yeah. there's example after example of this not being coordinated. Well, the totally thing about it, especially with HW, I mean, if he has that connection to Mao, it makes sense because it's all about destabilization, which is a carry on of the 19th century State Department of Britain, what they had been doing uh, to foment national sentiments around the They used to the destabilize so. China with opium. Well, no, first had, it's opium, then they did it through a, uh, a farmer's revolution, and then a cultural then revolution after banks. that. Then they did oh. it with opium banks, that's right. Yeah. And now HSBC. then we opened up them, they opened up trade to bring in our foreign national corporation, multinational, our national corporations over, become multinational, and uh, to set up shop in China to now bolster up. So China thinks that they're being, they really are being positioned to be the global king. You know, I think their plan was 2049. You know, they're going to, they had, they went through the, the age of humiliation and now they're going, they get their rightful place as being the top of the world. What they don't realize is just like what happened to Hearst when he wanted to expose the, the financiers behind what's going on. 
You know, they can pull yeah, out of China very quickly. And this goes a perfect segue now to what Greg Reese is going to show everyone. So why don't we roll the Greg Reese video? Roll Greg Reese. This is the CCP. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got it. Yep, yep. Affirmative, comrade. Have you heard of this? Blasts in China, all within a week, 10 explosions, 10 bomb blasts in one country in less than a week. Between October 21st and October 27th, there were at least 10 mysterious explosions throughout China, killing at least 13 people and injuring many more. These mysterious explosions came just weeks before Xi Jinping was anointed as a revered leader of the CCP, preparing him for next year's CCP Congress, which is scheduled for next October. This gives Xi less than a year to make good on his commitment to absorb Taiwan into the CCP and unite all of China under communism. And allowing this to happen would be handing the world economy over to the communist Chinese. The CCP deploys massive fishing fleets to illegally plunder protected areas, such as the Galapagos Islands, because they are hungry. The CCP is undergoing a food shortage crisis, warning people to stock up on essential items and adopting laws against food waste and binge eating. The CCP has been buying massive amounts of farmland in Australia and the United States. Handing over the world economy to the communist Chinese would be national suicide for both nations, who have already been infiltrated at the highest levels of government by the CCP. A handful of Republican senators visited Taiwan to vow U.S. support. The U.S. Secretary of State has said that the U.S. will defend Taiwan. And Australia's Minister for Defense has vowed to back the U.S. and Taiwan against China. But who currently has control over the Australian military? Or the U.S. military? The CCP's own woke American puppet, General Mark Milley, says that the U.S. is incapable of defending itself against China's hypersonic missile tech. PSYOPs. Something we have all been learning about firsthand. Many of us have read how they've done it in history. But today, we are all witnessing in real time how the banking cartel is capable of orchestrating a world war. As China's housing giant Evergrande defaults on billions of dollars of debt, Goldman Sachs is busy buying up these garbage assets with U.S. taxpayer dollars. Goldman Sachs is bailing out the CCP with U.S. tax dollars, while the CCP is preparing to wage war against the U.S. By hook or by crook, the ethos of the communist Chinese is what the bankers want for their world government dream. Every individual connected to a central bank, controlled by a social credit score, and made to accept endless injections of unknown substances into their body. For Infowars.com, this is Greg Reese.
Nothing to see there. He's hating on China. It must be CIA propaganda, right? Rothschild, World War One. I. I love it. It, it came from, I, when I saw that reference. Like I was that? like, "Where is That's it from?" It it's from the Rothschild Archive. That's right. That's a solid reference. You should go look that up. Rothschildarchive.org. Type in World War One or type in Balfour Declaration. Get your learning on these things exist. Those people have influence. They have influence today. You <laughs> oh, betcha. Yeah, they do, and they set you the betcha. price of gold every day. Still, you betcha. They they figured out how to like make everyone in the world chase their money that they print out of nothing and have an infinite supply of it's a brilliant devious plan but i don't think we need to carry it into the future too much further finance both sides create world war and then you know be able to build it back up afterwards to whatever well, you they put want. both countries into like you put both sides into debt don't you love how they're billing right. out evergrand like that i mean it's just then we're getting ready to get there might be you know taiwan all it takes is because if they if they take taiwan they take japan and then it's they then take Taiwan. They took away your computers because that's yeah, where yeah, semiconductors micro, come yeah, from. Semiconductors, yeah, for your computer chips, yeah. that's right. It's over. Like that, that. That's where when they say in fact, like, the, the whole area that is, Trilateral Commission kind of groomed from the West Coast to the Pacific Rim. That's all the computer territory. Now, is there anything to that? Well, yeah, there was this guy from Hewlett Packard that was on the uh, Trilateral Commission. He also worked at the Hoover Institute. He was the boss of this guy called Anthony. C. Sutton, he was a historian, mm. very good historian, one of the Hoover Institute's prized historians. Yeah. Until Sutton wrote this book on the trilaterals with this other guy, Patrick Wood, back in 1976. This is Patrick Wood's res- recent book, Technocracy Rising. But back in the day, they wrote trilaterals over Washington, yeah, trilaterals yeah, over America. Yeah. Uh, talk, and, and it was a heavy duty analysis. And uh, Sutton got fired for it by the yeah. HP guy, uh, there's a trilateral commission guy who we don't need to know about because he, he didn't later fire Steve Jobs from Apple or anything famous like that. We shouldn't know about David Packard in our type of history because people like him, who needs to know the names? We just need to know the ideas. Yeah, We just need to know the ideas. We don't need to know the pesky names and how things actually get done in the world. I got it. <clears throat> well, the names are the what generated the ideas. So if you don't have an insight into... Sometimes the names take those ideas, make groups and agendas and plans, and right. we see those precipitate. Yeah, and that's I'm sure to go back to Tim Coyne's on point, now. but you don't need to worry about the names, apparently. You don't have to worry about the culture. No. It's like, these people are the ones influencing the culture, bro. No. Like, they're you the don't ones have to think about it, dude. <laughs> that's right. I'm, I appreciate that consistent reminder, because otherwise I would start thinking about these things and pulling those splinters yeah, out and resolving those same contradictions. One talks about AIC, American talks, National yeah. Corporation, yeah, which talks is about you know, a front and for drug and running. The and the and the Bushes and China and, the and all Nazi that. connection. Um, and funding of the Soviet Union. and oh, but they, That's the yeah. big one to me, the funding of the Soviet Union, because then, yeah. right. Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution, Anthony C. Sutton. It's an ominous parallel um, between big banks and wanting to seemingly foment revolution, both culturally and uh physically insofar as uh regime change now um, when he said there was cy war in that video too right he had cy war up there this mm-hmm. guy right here nelly rock, nelly nelson, rock yeah. nelson rockefeller in charge of psychological warfare operations for uh supreme allied headquarters command and uh charles douglas jackson who might have covered up the jfk zapruder film stuff but there's no yes. connection there either yeah, he's These the one people, that bought the Zapruder film. That's correct. He's also he the first one into, for Henry Luce, a Skull and Bones guy, talked was, about by Anthony Sutton in his let's, books. Let's talk about C.D. Jackson just a tiny bit. Won't go into too much detail because it gets a little gnarly. But he was part of psychological warfare during World War II. Now Eisenhower 
Dwight D. Eisenhower was the head of the psychological warfare department, and C.D. Jackson was right underneath of him. If I remember that breakout in David Lerner's book called Psy War or Psychological War. Psych War. S-Y-K-E-W-A-R-W-R. And so uh, he has a diagram in there that shows the, the hierarchy of yep. this special group. So beyond just being a, um, a general, Dwight D. Eisenhower is also head of psychological. No one knows. Of course, then he goes on to be a president for eight years. And C.D. Jackson goes on to Fortune or Forbes magazine, yes, Before yes. Life magazine. So in peacetime, they're magazine editors. In wartime, they're psychological warfare operations. I wonder what the key skill now, set is. Now, what's, what things. would be the connection? Let's take it back. What would be the connection with that? Bernays, right? I mean, now that there's a direct You're talking about breakfast already? Getting hungry. All right. Uh, yeah, you're right. Psychological warfare operations and Bernays and H.G. Uh, Wells. H.G. Right. Wells is psychological warfare. He also yeah, Walter wanted to have a new well. world order, his 1939 book. And he said the new world order would be a conspiracy. The open conspiracy would be yes. a, a, a new uh, religion, he said. And it's like what's He was a socialist, today? if I remember correctly. He was a Fabian socialist, part of those groups that like to kill people with kindness over time. No, how nice they might them. even want to preserve their own racist ideas and institutionalize those ideas. Well, you know, you very the eugenics society, and then they renamed it to the Galton Institute or the Eugenics Institute, renamed it to the Galton. Now they, they, just, they call just call it molecular biology, Tony, and, molecular and genetics and stuff like Rockefeller, that. Rockefeller, Caltech, and the Rock, you know, MIT. Crazy, crazy world. What's the last That's video we got to check out? Uh, let's just do this, John Bowne, right underneath it, the Infernal King's speech. John Bowne discussing Prince Charles and Queen Elizabeth, and we'll finish it up. That's it. From the madness of King George to the infernal nature of King Charles. Vlad the Impaler. It's loading. We'll just yeah, uh, <laughs> rock yeah. it. Yeah. And then uh, to take carry us out, there's a Someone sent me a video, Yarmo Nevelainen. Yeah, anyways, he's a, I think, a TTW subscriber. Yarmo. Yarmo. Yeah. <clears throat> that that music Stewart is great. Video. And as Ben Stewart was in that uh, Tim Timcast yep. clip from earlier. A little bit more uh, synchronous recursiveness, you know. Ben Stewart knows what a smart grid is. He's just not allowed to say during that show, apparently. Well, it's not allowed to say when Tim's talking, but maybe when Luke's talking. Ian needs to be the one that figures that out. That's, that's Ian's more quiz, like he, because he's new to, you know, not, well, it, I'll be like, new bro, to all of this stuff. Bro, so Internet maybe, of Things? Maybe, like, where have you been? Maybe his still like, has a fertile ground. In his even mind. people like me know about that stuff. That's my yeah. point. <laughs> all right. I got Go this. for it. Ready to roll. Prince Charles can feel the power of the British crown finally coming into his clutches. Queen Elizabeth has ruled for nearly 70 years, but she won't live forever and wants the ownership of 6.6 billion acres are inherited by Charles. Will the land be used in concert with Bill Gates' agricultural sabotage? Bill Gates has been snatching up 242,000 acres of farmland across the U.S. His largest holdings are more than 69,000 acres in Louisiana, almost 48,000 acres in Arkansas, and about 20,500 acres in Nebraska. Additionally, he has a stake in 25,000. They're like, Bill Gates buys tens of thousands here, tens of thousands here, tens of thousands here. Prince Charles is inheriting 6 billion acres. If that doesn't give you context. 6 billion. You know how many magnitudes, orders of magnitude are between Bill Gates and Prince Charles, 
wealth. You ever look at the holdings of the crown, like what they're invested in, or the people that own the crown? Yeah. When the Bank of England and and the British government get bailed out by a banking family, tells me the banking family had more clout than those government organizations. The old Habsburgs, actually, and then the Rothschilds Mm. too. There's a bunch of very. The Senate was talking about five countries. Greece in the early uh, 20th century, late 19th. There's a weird check out the flag. We'll go over that during the town hall. It's fun. It's interesting. Yeah, I was like, you got to continue gotta the be, John Bowne yeah. report without further interruptions. 1,750 acres of traditional land in Phoenix, Arizona, which is being developed as a new suburb. I think agricultural productivity is is one of the most basic things that can help the poor move to a more prosperous life. There was a green revolution based on new seeds, and it raised nutrition levels, it reduced poverty. It was one of the, the great breakthroughs of all time. Now we need to bring that advance to Africa. And so it was at the recent United Nations Climate Summit in Glasgow, Scotland, that we got a small glimpse of what an anointed King Charles would look like going forward. The eyes and hopes of the world are upon you to act with all dispatch and decisively because time has quite literally run out. Putting a value on carbon, thus making carbon capture solutions more economical, is therefore absolutely critical. The scale and scope of the threat we face call for a global systems level solution based on radically transforming our current fossil fuel based economy to one that is genuinely renewable and sustainable. So, ladies and gentlemen, my plea today is for countries to come together to create the environment that enables every sector of industry to take the action required. Here we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector. In his speech, Charles makes mention of an entity he refers to as his. With trillions at his disposal, far beyond global GDP, and with the greatest respect, beyond even the governments of the world's leaders, it offers the only real prospect of achieving fundamental economic transition. With all of Charles' occultic leanings, the reference to his is likely his infernal majesty, or a direct reference to the Antichrist. His Royal Highness Prince Charles, who can trace his ancestry back to Romania's dark and distant past. The genealogy shows that I'm descended from Vlad the Imperialism. So I do have a bit of a stake in the country. As it were. You'd think by now we might have learned a few lessons Mm. from the things that have gone wrong with uh, an agri-industrial approach to everything. Charles of the German House of Windsor will undoubtedly test the limits of his powers under the royal prerogative. The global health emergency uh, has shown us what a uh, truly borderless crisis looks like. And of course, we did not fully see uh, COVID coming, yet uh, climate change and biodiversity loss represent a borderless crisis. The solutions to which have been argued about and postponed for far too long. The fight against this terrible pandemic provides, if ever one was needed, a crystal clear example of the scale and sheer speed at which the global community can tackle crises when we 
combine political will with business ingenuity and public mobilization. Unleashing the tyranny of the final stages of the New World Order. John Bowne reporting. Fascinating. Just wanted to say what was on his lapel there. Very interesting. Sorry. I got muted while I was uh, looking for a video that used to be on YouTube but is now censored, which is, you know, you got Prince Charles talking about this stuff, right? Well, there's a clip, and I'm trying to find its latest source. So I'll just describe it. I'll give you the history blueprint version of it. Edmund de Rothschild at the Agenda 21 unsaid 1992 uh, conference had a speech, and uh, this speech was him promoting. It was Edmund Leopold de Rothschild, and uh, it was after the 1972 unsaid conference, and he went about articulating global warming and how they should kind of create this thing. He said it out loud. I've seen it in a video, but now look, if, if I go into uh, that link on YouTube, the search Edmund de Rothschild agenda 21, which used to turn up uh, all sorts of links back in the day for that piece of footage. Now you got Israel masters, Edmund de Rothschild day two. You've got all sorts of other Edmund de Rothschild oh, investments really and yachts. I bet we can I'll go back and look. We'll find yeah, we're just going to find it. But now I'll all you got when I do advertisements for Baron Edmund de Rothschild's Chateau uh, wine. And, you know, they'll show you anything other the agenda 2030. Look, you can sure. see that uh, Edmund de Rothschild, wow. you know, sales, client, testimonial, impact, revolution. Lots of Edmund de Rothschild on YouTube, but not the clip from the incriminating origin of the green agenda that you just heard Prince Charles being a little bitch and talking about like it's not his Pretty idea sure that mp it's not his idea though. he's just he's just a uh, front man that's right that's right he's a front man for the ones that finance his whole family's operation ld do me a favor real quick go back to when he's speaking at cop 26 yeah and when rothschilds needed to go figure to, out how to sell and this pause clear worthless stones that the beers and cecil Rhodes had a monopoly on they went to the royal family they're like hey instead of the gem the emeralds and the rubies can you guys wear these clear worthless stones but then we'll get some people in hollywood to do likewise we'll tell them diamonds are a girl's best friend and diamonds are forever and we'll have america by the balls every family is going to pay a vigorous debt into this little scam and uh how do we know that john taylor gatto's roommate ed epstein wrote a book epstein yeah the diamond empire was the so movie weird. based on <clears throat> It doesn't have it? to be anywhere. Just go go back you know, a little bit more to COP26 when he's speaking at the, the, the conference of the world leaders. Right oh, there, yeah. stop. With the, the poppy. Diamonds are also part so of look, the Rose Yeah, look, see the poppy flower there? And then look yeah. over here. Got some well, it's Remembrance Day. It's probably November remember? 11th, their Veterans Day. They they celebrate the or poppies celebrate and the, the opium. They have a huge troop. field there around their castle. Troops, so uh, yeah. The troops guard it. Now our troops guarded it. Not our now United they're States. They're the places where our taxpayers go, they used it to do some. Here's one. Here's a poppy lapel on a Canadian. Yeah, so I mean, you can see what what Poppy Bush. This whole it's all about Poppy Bush. Poppy Bush. His name is Whoa. Poppy Bush. Are you kidding me? Come on, <laughs> come on now. Oh Jesus! No, it's late. Holy shit! That's Poppy Bush crazy. plus JFK. Search that for a while. Oh man, crazy world. Crazy. Don't ever look into JFK Jr.'s untoward demise. 
because they'll bring you more Poppy Bush stories than you can shake a stick at. Then you could shake a Hollywood. Hollywood, yeah, there you go. A branch yeah. made out of Hollywood. There the bush go. of the Hollywood. Yeah, there like you a go. Channel of Vision of right. the Hollywood. Yeah. Are we able to? We'll find the uh, Edmund yeah. Leopold, the Rothschild Agenda okay, Twenty One clip. We'll have to do that next week. That'll actually. I'm. I'll try to find that for next week because I'm going to. I'm building out that cybernetics uh, intermission for next week. So then we'll do a deep dive after that. Build it out. Build it out. <clears throat> yeah, it does. It takes a while to learn this stuff, but once you start to catch on, it gets easy. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Finite planet. There's only so many uh, billionaires orchestrated <laughs> effectively toward eradicating freedom but, forever there's a lot of billionaires we focus on them. In, yeah. yeah there's a lot of billionaires that aren't even in the in club it's hilarious um yeah but then there's a the point zero zero one percent you know whatever you want to analogize it to be but then you have the in in club so there's plenty of billionaires went out there and are happy they got jabbed there's an inner circle of- and there's an outer circle and the people in the outer circle don't even know there's an inner circle mm-hmm. that's how they explain it it's rings within rings rings within <clears throat> rings yes yeah anglo-american establishment straight from a whistleblower check it out ld who do we got to thank tonight all right we got a bunch of folks to thank on the rockfin t can the whiz dallas avad aiden buck dm fabrizio nocivelli nicholas david dallas avad and former vp biden (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah former former vice president biden and um, I love that he's a fan of the show and not not Hunter. That's good. You know, yeah, I I definitely don't need Ashley writing about GTW in her diary. Doesn't seem like proper, you know, proper place. Though, yeah. There's another report out on the show card. Um, John Bound did a very interesting and disturbing report about the sexual deviations and potential exploits of the entire Biden family. Like that diary and. And some of the other allegations have been brought against that family spanning decades, incest and pedophilia. It's it's weird. I'm not saying you know. It's just you know, so it's that's how it is in their family, huh? Yeah, that diary's out there, <clears throat> and they said it was stolen from her. So you don't need to wonder. Did somebody I mean, make it up? It Did someone make it up as a scam? I don't think that those people would embarrass themselves by saying, "Hey, that's ours," and send police and arrest James O'Keefe and get all this stuff. You know. Crazy. I think that's a pretty real situation. That's sad. Yeah, it's pathetic. It's well, it's not a surprise because he'd be the perfect puppet if if his family is of that nature, because then they could they could expose him at any moment and he loses his power. We're back to the whole we're back to that whole net you know, Netflix show House of Cards where it's all about power. About power power. When they power. were powerful enough to cover up Hunter Biden's laptop, <clears throat> that was that was that was impressive. In lockstep. And then they and then they brag about it in the times. Oh, the Time article. Yeah, Time magazine, where they say there's nothing going on, nothing to see here. There's definitely not a cabal of people who are interested in adversely affecting freedom. Like they literally state that, yes, we had a major influence in the outcome of the election. It's like reading David Rockefeller's quote in the memoirs where he's like, those who accuse me and my family of being internationalists, I stand guilty of the charge. It's like people reading that and saying... I don't think he's really doing that. Or Woodrow Wilson. I think he just said that. When in his own memoirs mentioning this ominous, like multi-tentacled beast that if people only knew, like in sort of lamenting what he gave himself into and one of the worst presidencies in history. Um, I think those mentally divergent people should go battle the hordes of Ogo. (laughs) Ogo, what's Ogo? 
You guys, uh, I'm pretty sure that's uh, 12 Monkeys, which also yeah. brings in the pandemic and the airports and all that sort of <clears> stuff. The 12 Monkeys scene, you know, in the airport Slow. where he's like, here, you can smell it. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. Just a little irony just, for the, you know, bring the whole conversation full circle and uh, put it out there. All right, LD, thank you for uh, all those fine clips you served up tonight. Do you want to show your Rhodes Pill shirt? I saw that yes, you had uh, Take Your Rhodes Pill shirt. Take the Rhodes pill. Check out freedomunitedrevolt.com. Got new styles up here, including the Rhodes pill. I've got a non-compliant shirt. A government regulations create black markets. We've got this fine. <laughs> See, I just told him that the other day. I wrote it down uh, on the card and already it's a t-shirt. This is Fauci. Uh, they control the gods. Right. Gold oil, drugs, and sex. Sorry. This is America, Rand Paul. Sorry, this uh, doesn't work so well. But Rand Paul kicking Fauci into the pit. Oh, um, that's great! Oh, yeah. We oh, spent in water, spread isn't that? Isn't that what they would come? Hey, we say, used my client meeting, the the meeting at which I was a client. We used that to make that Fauci meme. So that's, well that's a keeper right there. It's well, a good well investment spent. of time. We've got a normalized civil disobedience shirt here. Shout out to laurels she just bought one it was her idea and yeah there Come are together others. more, and more freedom, designs yeah there are more designs on the way freedomunitedrevolt.com um hey we wanted to talk about this real quick our one of our social media people in autonomy anna uh she's in northwest washington the family home was wiped out in one of the in the flooding they don't have flood insurance and they could use some support so i will share the uh gofundme links the gofundme link in the chats and in the show notes um if you're able to consider uh helping them out and is a wonderful member of our team over at autonomy yeah, I meant to suggest, um, I totally forgot to tell at the beginning, I wanted to suggest maybe taking the Rockman donations tonight and maybe giving it to it, but we can we can discuss different ways to help her out. But for yeah, yeah. those that are interested, she she's part of the production team. And, um, or not production, but, you know, just the social media. A couple other things. Uh, our buddy Tease Snyder just put out a new video over on Odyssey. I'll share those the link in, in the show notes and I'll share it out. Episode five of his Conspiracy Synergy is entitled Skynet. And there's a new Truthstream media series out, which I, I saw a preview of the the first episode last night. It's called The Trust Game. It looks really good. Good work by Aaron and Melissa Dykes. Yeah, I'm a couple episodes into that. I got to turn nice. them out. I, I always enjoy through. their work, but it's been, it's been a while since I've seen I have a Skynet t-shirt. Maybe I'll wear that next week since it'll be a cybernetic. So. Skynet. Is that the plan that goes with Bill Gates's plan to block out the sun where Bill Gates builds a really big net and he catches the sun and just keeps it for himself? Skynet? Or is it a different <laughs> Can one? Can you capture it- the sun? Because I thought that was the whole dome argument. I'm just joking. It's late. <laughs> one last thing. Uh, <laughs> you like that? <laughs> I wanted to give a big thanks to Zeb or Eric um, in Sweden. He is. He put forth a donation, a couple donations towards a new streaming rig, and for the Grand Theft World team. Uh, thanks a lot, Eric. It was really awesome. Um, there's going to be some upgrading soon. Um, right now, I've been streaming audio into the Discord for the for the community members. 
perhaps we might be able to do a video stream in there and I'm looking into setting up an M3U stream so it'd be audio sort of embedded on the website um just some ideas thrown around so there's that's a voice there's a voice meter potato which apparently can do like really more intense okay um, yeah channeling can, i guess that thing will, that thing will bake your brain channeling yeah uh, you like that channeling baking mm. brains potatoes mm. baked potatoes mm. again Bernays. I'm actually mm. really hungry. Getting hungry, yeah. All right, so uh, we're gonna next uh, next or last video we're gonna play is um, the the history of mullets at the point of 1991, featuring Bill Hicks. Yeah, we got. Yeah. <laughs> is that the one you wanted? Yeah, Bill Hicks. On yeah, the I just saw it on screen. I was like, good mullet, man. He almost he's almost Canadian with that thing. Mullet. I don't know if we want to finish out with a song or not, but there's that song too. That we yeah, I can roll. We can just roll, roll back to back and then we'll just go right to the but don't want to thank you Jackie. everyone thank you have go a ahead. great night yeah thank you <laughs> hey thank you guys all for tuning in not dropping out have a safe happy thank you ha thanksgiving don't ruin it trying to talk politics or conspiracies just love your family and friends have good meal take that in fuel yourself up we got freedom friday starts right after uh thursday thanksgiving Freedom Friday, you can go to marketplace.autonomyagora.com and there you'll find a bunch of freedom-related product, products and projects to help fortify anyone in your life that needs a unique gift of the liberty and freedom variety. It's like our Christmas catalog, but it's an internet thing you can click and uh, really get good access to intellectual information that will stimulate you well into 2022. Thank you all again, and uh, we'll see you next week. Here's Bill Hicks to play us out. Thank you, everyone. Peace. Kennedy. I love talking about the Kennedy assassination because to me it's a great example of uh, a totalitarian government's ability to you know, manage information and thus keep us in the dark any way they do. Oh, sorry, wrong meeting. Uh, <laughs> shit. That's the meeting we're having tomorrow at the docks. I love talking about Kennedy. I was just down in Dallas, Texas. You know, you can go down there and uh, to Dealey Plaza where Kennedy was assassinated. And you can actually go to the sixth floor of the school book depository. It's a museum called the Assassination Museum. I think name that after the assassination. I can't be too sure of the chronology here, but anyway, they have the window set up to look exactly like it did on that day, and it's really accurate, you know, because Oswald's not in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, wow, that's good. Painstaking accuracy, you know. It's true, it's called a sniper's nest. It's glassed in, it's got the boxes sitting there, and you can't actually get to the window itself. And the reason they did that, of course, they didn't want thousands of American tourists getting there each year going. No fucking way! I can't even see the road! Shit, they're lying to us! There's no fucking way! Not unless Oswald was hanging by his toes. 
upside down from the ledge. Either that or some pigeons grabbed onto him, flew him over the motorcade. Surely someone would have seen that. You know, there was rumors of anti-Castro pigeons seen drinking in bars. Someone overheard them saying, coo, coo. Unbelievable. And you know what's wild is people's uh, attitudes in the states about it. Talking about Kennedy, people come up to me, Bill, quit talking about Kennedy, man. Let it go. It's a long time ago. Just forget about it. I'm like, all right, then don't bring up Jesus to me. <laughs> Back into the left. Back into the left. Back into the left. Back into the left. Which, by the way, that action you see Kennedy's head do in the Zabruder film? Caused by a bullet. Coming from up there. Yeah. I know it looks to the layman or someone who might dabble in physics. This action here would have been caused by a bullet coming from, well, <laughs> up here. Did you see that? Did everyone see that? Yeah, but no. What happened was Oswald's gun went off, causing an echo to echo through the buildings of Dealey Plaza. And the echo went by the limo on the left, up into the grassy knoll, hitting some leaves, causing dust to fly out, which 56 witnesses testified was a gunshot, because immediately Kennedy's head went over. But the reason his head went over is because the echo went by the motorcade on the left, and he went, what was that? So there, we have figured it out. Go back to bed, America. Your government has figured out how it all transpired. Go back to bed, America. Your government is in control again. Here, here's American gladiators. Watch this. Shut up. Go back to bed, America. Here is American gladiators. Here is 56 channels of it. Watch these pituary retards bang their fucking skulls together and congratulate you on living in the land of freedom. Here you go, America. You are free to do as we tell you. You are free to do as we tell you. Oh, good. Honey, I heard on the news that they figured out that the gun, what happened is that there is an echo and that Kennedy was uh, asking uh, Jackie what it was. And that's why his head flew up. Honey, what time's Gladiator's on? Are we missing it? Hey, before Magic we go to it, an Arlen Specter style. Well, yeah, right. If you yeah. guys made it to the end of this episode, you got a long week ahead of you. Got Thanksgiving, got family. You might need another episode, so I'm going to recommend. It's an episode. Uh, it's called JFK 50th Anniversary. It's on a Re Peace Revolution podcast. Just type in Peace Revolution JFK 50. You should either find the homepage of the podcast or the Tragedy and Hope uh, post of that. 20 solid hours of JFK related evidence that you have not heard before, especially in the context that I present it. It's not me talking. It's the first guy who found the weapon at the scene, who was a World War II veteran, a, a police officer in Dallas who swore up and down. It was a Mauser 
not a Mannlicher Carcano, which is a weapon that doesn't exist. There's an Italian Carcano. There's a German Mauser, uh, uh, a Mannlicher magazine for it. It's a creation of the CIA. So when you get into these things, you can see clearly through that event. And then you can see, oh, those people rose to power and they're still there because they were able to kill a king and get away with it. And then from there, globalism is a couple hop step. They skip, didn't just kill the away. king. They ritualistically did it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot I mean, of power. That's all, they that's all disgusting, like uh, sort of premeditated, um, but you know, beyond premeditation, like they're, they're sort of mocking the way in which they're doing it. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. They're yeah. making a, it's right in front of you. If you, yeah. you know how to, you know, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear. So if you have ears to hear peace revolution episode, JFK 50 years later, and, uh, that'll do you good. Then, uh, you won't need to wonder about these things. You'll have a lot more higher degree of certainty going from the evidence and artifacts that existed back then as well as today. All right. Thank you guys all. I'll see you next week. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, LD. Yeah, thank Thanks, you. everyone Thanks hanging everyone. out in the uh, control room. All of you watched it live. All of you watched it on the replay. And all of you who share it, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, I'm 
just happy to be on your list To fill your days and nights like this And I am just happy to know Worry about static, worry about needles, worry about institutions. Get it right. Just look inside, that's where it lies. Love automatic changes, the erratic root them in your evolution, or it's gonna be a hard wake up call coming down for us all. Yes, it's gonna be hard. was ben stewart that's pretty badass yeah it's ben stewart yeah exactly yeah i was gonna i was gonna be cheeky and be like who's playing the radiohead cover and i was like it kind of looks like ben stewart but i was like that's a that's a legit dope song so i won't make fun uh big props yeah Conspiracy is the story of history. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at grandtheftworld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there.